Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 352. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co David Bix and Span. And Bix, we are going to an interesting year, interesting week in time. And uh, 1993, man, 29 years. Good God Almighty, we're getting old, aren't we? I feel old, yes. <laughs> I feel very old. I feel very old. It's just, it's, it's sad. But I mean, here we I, are. I, 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 I've been resigned to the fact that I'm old at, since meeting Nick Wayne last September. Because like, <laughs> once, once someone who you remember being born is on a show you're going to and is one of the best performers on the on that show, then you're old. Well, Even if he's still a child. Well, when you get to the point where like, the people that you graduated high school with are grandparents, that's when you feel old, too. Well, so, <laughs> yes. there's that, too. But, uh, yeah, 29 years ago, 1993, and uh, a lot going on. But before we get into all of that, we do have a Patreon show to talk about, as it is May 1st as the show first drops. So, for the month of April on patreon.com slash between the sheets, we begin our series on Titan Gate 92 as we look into the controversies ongoing at Titan Sports in the year of our Lord 1992. And we haven't finished recording yet as we record this open of the show, but uh, boy, it's already a humdinger already as uh, we're getting deep into the steroids and drugs and starting to get into the ring boy scandals and all that stuff. So we got a lot more to go to record. So we're not going to go too deep on this yet. We'll go deeper next week in the description, but um, yeah, it's already a uh, quite the show, so to speak. And just a little tease. There is a incident in St. Louis regarding the St. Louis police department, the DEA and the WF, which is amazing. So yeah. uh, that just that little tease right there alone should should make it worth you to put down the five dollars a month for uh, access to that and all the other audio that we've done on patreon.com slash between the sheets. And uh, yes, that's just a little teaser because it's quite quite the story. It's hard to believe. Yes. And we'll have all the other stuff, too. We don't want to go again too deep here. We'll go a little bit deeper next week when the show is officially done. Yeah, because we haven't finished recording it, even though obviously it's up and out by the time you are listening. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, I think just because of luck of the draw, I don't think we've ever covered that St. Louis story on the regular shows, have we? No, no. It, it fell between the cracks of what we've done. So Yes, yeah, so there, there's a lot there. Um, yeah, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Also, don't forget the uh, annual option, 16% uh, off for if you want that $5 tier. Ends up being $50.40 a month. So, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, well, let's get on to this week's show as we are joined by a guest this week, someone who's been on in the past, uh, last year, and we're glad to have him back on as we have a major story in his field of expertise. Someone that we've been friends with for well over 20 years now, uh, done business with, uh, formerly of Russell Hollick's videos, formerly of slambamjam.com. And now, of course, the owner and proprietor of the AwesomeLuchaWorld.com. We are joined by our dear friend, Alfredo Esparza. Alfredo, welcome back to the show. 
Great to be back. We might have known each other since back in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> I was the one of those that was lucky to have like news group access in 1993. Yeah. I, I, you know, not, not like Dave Shear and Pete Stein who were uh, doing uh, CMLL TV reports in uh, the early days of news groups, <laughs> which was, which was, was wild, saying- which was wild to read that stuff. When I yeah. first got on the internet, like, holy shit, people were around back then talking about this stuff? <laughs> well, especially discovering Lucha superfan Dave Shearer. Yeah. 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 You know, it was weird because I think I first got online, well, to walk, to look for wrestling was probably like 1995 or 96. 96 uh, for me. Yeah. And I was just like, it was like, first of all, it took forever just to log on to some of those websites. Oh, uh, God. Like, yeah, but, it's, <laughs> you know, if you basically spent your whole, like, whatever your, if you were in, in high school or college, you took whatever break you had and did, it took your whole break to go through. Yeah, I like, went to the library. I didn't yeah. have home internet until 97. So yeah. I would go to the library and you had to, you had like a time limit. And I mean, and then God forbid the days, if you were one of those that were, you know, getting buying hours of online use <laughs> which yeah folks that actually was a thing many years ago so yeah, I, uh, I remember going i remember going like i think it was mikasa or one of those websites and it yes. was like it took like just to go through like you would click on one news uh report and it would take like basically like five minutes just to get to the point of reading the whole thing because there was nothing like you know just for it to load and then by the time you finish reading it and then you wanted to click to something else and, you know, time ran out. You had to go do your, you know, you had your other things to go to go do. Uh, yeah, it was it was miserable. Nowadays, I mean, uh, we're all like, we're a lot more fortunate right now. Even if you have slow Internet, it's way faster than it was in 1996. Well, you know, it's like we talk about, you know, with videos. I mean, God knows, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. back in the days of videotapes and spending the money to, to buy blank tapes and doing all that work and how long it would take to get tapes out to people and look at it now it's in an instant online yeah and and now we don't watch it right chris <laughs> yes now we don't watch it exactly i mean we the good thing is now we have access to the all the old stuff we yes. care about which yes. i think is great like even if you like if you're not if you're on you're on youtube or you have peacock network um there's so much stuff you could watch um and that's really the benefit right now that uh for me that's 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 the amazing thing but it's like Having the option to watch is the most important thing for me. Um, oh, I don't want to watch everything, but it's like, yeah, it's cool. Even like, you, like if you have like, um, you know, your DVR, you could, you could DVR AEW, and you know, well, back then we had to set up a VCR to watch all our shows. Well, just think, you know, we're talking, we're about to talk about AAA, you know, at the beginning of the show. Who, I mean, just think if you were told twenty years ago that there would be a 24-hour AAA channel on a streaming net on a streaming channel. <laughs> I know. <It> was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I mean, also just the idea that, imagine 20 years ago, the idea that we would have live or almost live access to basically every notable show from... Japan. You know, from, yes, all yeah. of the top Japanese promotions, a lot of the lucha... A lot of indies <laughs> that Noah and yeah. DDT would be owned by the same company and on the same streaming service. Back, back in 1993, I mean, you were just you had to like channel surf to find these shows, like half of them. It's like, oh, oh no, or God. some people had a big satellite yeah. dish and they'd have to yeah. figure it out from the observer and experimentation and whatever. 
Yeah. Exactly. It's amazing. All right. Well, let's begin as we're going to discuss. It's a short week because we have done uh, surrounding this, but we have the week, well, almost week of April 28th through May the 2nd. Because we did April 27th on uh, show 299. That's where that ended. And then May 3rd started on show 42. So a long time ago. So we're filling the gap in here. And uh, a lot of stuff going on this week. So it made for you know interesting show as AAA begins this week. As the very first ever Triple Mania went down. Headlined by the Loser Must Retire match. <laughs> Between Conan El Barbaro. Against Cien Caras, the top technical and rude in the country, drew a cell of 48,000 fans, of which 42 to 45,000 were paid, or about the 12th largest verified paid attendance in pro wrestling history. It was either the largest or second largest paid attendance for pro wrestling in North America in the past three years and broke all existing crowd and gate records for Mexico. It was also the largest crowd to see any event at the Plaza de Toros. Traditionally a bullfighting arena, but also houses big name concerts and boxing matches since a boxing match in the 50s. Tickets were priced at 39 US, 120,000 pesos ringside, down to $1.70 US. So the gate was nowhere near the level of some of the biggest WF or Japanese gates. It was probably in the $400,000 range. The average working person in Mexico earns about one eighth of what someone in the US would earn. So, in relation to average income, the tickets aren't as cheap as they sound. And the media nationwide reported the crowd is 62,000, which would be the number the show will be associated with forevermore. The media coverage was similar to a world title boxing fight or an NFL football game in the United States, to the point that Cien Caras and Conan were all, all the network newscasts they had to show and their top-rated news magazine show in the country, equivalent to 60 Minutes. They ran a feature on the card the last week. The promotion was based around heavy television advertising on Televisa, the largest network in Mexico, and the network which airs this group's television show. The advance is about 47,000 tickets, but it didn't actually sell out until the day of the event. At least 5,000 fans were turned away at the door. There were no major problems stemming from that, as was feared going in based on the biggest show in 1991. One of the biggest previous crowds in Mexico, is, this is 1990, not 91, so Dave got his year wrong. One of the previous biggest crowds in recent memory in Mexico was a Cien Caras Rayo de Alisco Jr. Mascara Contra Mascara match in Mexico in, in 1990, the anniversario show, where uh, Caras lost his hood. There was so much demand for tickets that the building has sold out that those waiting, wanting in overpowered security and barged into the building without tickets midway through the card and congregated the upper deck. The combination of 6,000 more fans at capacity and people jumping up and down caused serious structural damage to the building and caused it to close down for a few months. What was interesting also is the huge amount of fans cheering the Rudos, which has been a AAA trademark of late, even when Rudo sections of the crowd heavily cheering the Rudos at the regular Friday night guards. Well, that's that's lucha history right there, Fernando. That's nothing new. I mean, there was always yeah. the Rudo fans at shows going way back. I mean, that goes back to like back when Santo was a, a Rudo. So, um, yeah, it's always it's always existed. It's gotten worse now lately because now the poor Technicos can't really do much to win the crowd over. So it's become like American fans in yeah. a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, in much. a lot of ways. Yeah. The days of having your, you know, good guy Technicos high flying and stuff like that. I mean, they'll still do it, but the fans, they want the. The bad guys. They want the ingobernales. 
like Roosh yes. and all that type of deal. That's what's cool. Peros de Mall when they were hot, you know, stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, regarding this, you know, coverage of this show, you know, it was just seeing some of the magazines from that era. It, I mean, it was an amazing event, you know, in the media's eyes. I mean, they they really went out of their way to make this show seem like a huge deal. And, and, and you know, the, yeah, the other thing, the other thing about it was that Conan was huge at that point in time. Remember, he's he's coming off of like a telenovela. Uh, oh God, he yes, did, yes. He he did a a, a a album like it's not rap. I don't think it's rap. It's kind of like. Uh, Oh man, it's like a weird combination of uh, Mexican Spanish music, which I guess you could call it a little bit of a rap. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know the genre per se. Well, uh, uh, you know. Kind of like Gerardo. <laughs> yes, yes, Rico, yes. Rico Suave. <laughs> yeah, basically that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. What it yeah. was. Uh, that was really popular back then. So oh god, yeah. You're getting Conan at that point, and then you're getting all these other. Uh, you know, guys who Paraguayo, who was a huge star at that point in time, still in in Mexico, and Cien Caras coming off. You know, it wasn't that too long ago where he dropped his mask, so he, he was still a big star. Uh, so, you know, they had a lot of star power and had a lot of, uh, I think they even had like a couple of celebrities in attendance. So um, it was a pretty big deal. Well, let's yeah. see if we can define the genre of the Conan thing here real quick as I pull up uh, one of the appearances he made in an amazing orange suit with his extensions in. Yeah, boy, you see him in this suit, and it's very obvious that Conan's extensions era look is basically him trying to be Gerardo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, 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 and the and the orange suit to think. Um, I think the I think he calls it the mango suit. Like it became like a an ongoing thing on his podcast too. So, yes, it is a very mangoish look. Yeah. <laughs> There's another song. I don't know if it's in this upload, but I remember the uh, the copy that Bob Barnett had had a different song. Yeah, I guess it's just this one song, whatever it is. Yeah, the, the, I, think, I think I think the other one you're referring to is the like the one where it's like Seve Buena or something. She looks yes. good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There, have you heard the full album? The full album's actually on there. I think. Isn't it? Really... Oh God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't recommend. I don't recommend listening to the whole thing. But <laughs> no, just you're, you're definitely talking... listen. Yeah, this you is gotta remember bow wow wow on WCW. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, Chris, you gotta you gotta remember. I, I actually listened to Hooven Toots rap album. So <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody's like you like I watched the Blue Demon TV series. I watched it, I listened to Hooven Toots album. It's like, you know, if somebody tells me I have to do something, I pretty much do it. Well, um, I, I well, believe me, I that was during the days when I was getting the posters. You know, and and God, that's all I saw on his Facebook page was that BS discussion. And oh, <laughs> my God. But anyway, um, but yeah, this major, major deal here. And uh, yeah, it worked. After the third match on the card, Jake Roberts was brought to ringside. Even though he had done a few heel promos on television, he was largely cheered at first as being an American superstar. Some people recognized him and others didn't. 
He did an interview talking about how he was the best wrestler around and put down the country of Mexico and Mexican wrestling and wrestlers in general. He said he won a challenge to win the main event, who he hoped would be a Cien Caras, and grabbed his crotch and gave the crowd the up yours, which resulted in chance of culero asshole at him. Roberts watched the rest of the car from a fifth row seat, and TV cameras constantly showed him sneering at the quality of the wrestling. And uh, Dave heard raves about his facial expressions all night and getting himself over instantaneously. It is Jake. He's a master at that. Surprisingly, the crowd was split when the main event started, and estimated 40 50% of the crowd was cheering Goddard vehemently. The kids, particularly the teenagers, and the women were cheering for Conan. Boy, does that sound familiar? <laughs> the older fans, particularly the men, were heavily pro Cotus. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> the older fans are more traditional, and they like older wrestlers that they're familiar with rather than the new flashes in the pan. And they are more nationalistic. Cotus is Mexican, and Conan isn't. And Cotus, even though a Rudo has been around for more than 19 years, and in the fixture on top, they were heavily pro Cotus, and there were lots of Mexican flags waving for him. As you can figure with that kind of crowd mix, it was Pedro Aguayo, who was popular with every audience, that received the most thunderous cheers on the show. Conan came out surprisingly with midget wrestler Mascarita Sagrada as his second, which made sense based on what the storyline was. In the third fall of the main event, after several near falls, Jake came to the ringside. He had like he was trying to give Cotter's advice, but Cotter's kept ignoring him. As Cotter's finally jumped out of the ring to confront Roberts, Conan attacked him. Sagrada, who was in the vicinity, was then jumped by Jake and punted around the ring. At this point, Rudo Carlos goes to save Sagrada, who wound up doing a stretcher job, and he and Jake exchanged blows until Jake hit him with the black glove, remnants of the late referee Grand Davies, and gives him a DDT. Conan and Jake started brawling around outside the ring with Conan getting the advantage, and while this was going on, Carlos' brother threw him into the ring, and Conan was counted out, losing the match. Jake never actually entered the ring because promoter Antonio Pena didn't want to test prospective problems because he didn't have a work permit. And had he interfered in the ring, CMLL could have possibly caused him governmental headaches. (laughs) Is this before or after they caused issues with Conan's visa? I wouldn't know the timeline on that for it. What about you? I would say it's after, isn't it? Because I think they started doing the whole Conan thing when AAA first started. That's, that sounds that's what I, I what thought. I would, yeah. 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 So Payne knows firsthand that this could be an yeah. issue. And you know, it's a promoter thing. All promoters do some really shot, some really questionable stuff, things towards their competition. So he knew he knew something was going to happen with um. But Roberts. Oh wait, Fredo, what are you talking about? A major promotion <laughs> in American wrestler war would never fuck with someone's visa when they heard that a new promotion was starting. It's not like anything like that has happened in the last few years involving a wrestler who had very prominent visa problems, but we don't talk about the details. Anyway, what were you saying? But what I was about yeah. to say, it worked out because, I mean, it, Jake not in, in, entering the ring, per se, makes it even better of an angle. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It kept him, it kept him fresh to where the point when he finally made it to the ring, because at this point in time... I mean, Jake was great psychologically and promo-wise, but he wasn't what he was, you know, in the ring. And the fact that they were able to keep him out of the ring for a little bit longer, really, I think that kind of made him a bigger, uh, a bigger, a bigger deal for AAA. Because um, you know, obviously, the, the only other thing with Jake is that you knew at some point it was going to fall apart. But you know, I think the fact that they didn't have him in the ring during this match 
probably kept them kept the whole thing a little bit stronger for an extended period of time. Yeah. At this point, a lot of the kids and women started crying and promoted Antonio Pena cued a song called Las Galadrinas to be played over the speakers. Galadrinas. Galadrinas, yes. To be played over the speakers. This song is famous in this country as the saddest song there is. It reminds people of funerals and other sad occasions, and many people cry whenever they hear the song. So before you knew it, about 30,000 people were crying, making one of the most emotional finales to a wrestling show ever. As Conan left the ring... (laughs) (laughs) Keep it playing as I read. Okay, well, let me turn it down a little bit so it works a little bit. Fix. We're going to have to use that if, if like, if... I'm going to have to remember to use that. Like, if I ever, like, break up with, like, a... If I'm on a podcast and somebody decides to quit, I'm just going to play that after the show. Like, so long, brother. Uh, it's like a lane on Seinfeld with the witchy woman. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Conan left the ring for the final time, as if he was hugging the kids who were crying. This all took place between 12.30 and 12.45 a.m. <laughs> since the show lasted so long. <laughs> After the show, there was so much heat that there were estimated 5,000 fans waiting outside the Rudo dressing room at 3 a.m. for Jake before they finally got the crowd to disperse and could get Jake safely out of the building. Obviously, based on the finish, Conan will be returning at some point, but it looks as though it will be for about two months. Yes. After the show at about 2 a.m. with several thousand fans near the Technico dressing room, they already began getting in a leather riding campaign to bring back Conan. <laughs> so they guess that's the direction they're going. Very tentative plans. Conan, Otis, and a couple other coach Caballero match in the same building around September or October. And holding up the inevitable Conan Jake Mexico City match until Triple Mania 2. Oh my goodness, great. The letter writing campaign, huh? Somebody's been watching American <laughs> Wrestling, haven't they? <laughs> Somebody's come up with some ideas. How do you say tugboat in Spanish? <laughs> well you guys you guys remember there used to be a, a section in um on Lucha T V shows where they would get um do the most popular and most hated wrestler mm-hmm. every week. And it was based off letter um, you know, fan mail. So it's like that doesn't to me it doesn't really surprise me because you know back then and we even we like you know we didn't do I, I i never did it um but you know you knew fans that actually would write letters to you know wrestling promotions asking them to you know bring somebody back or where's this person or asking questions um so that doesn't surprise me um it's funny though now did pena also do the Mahorate matilda campaign to build up his mailing list as well <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we're not going to talk about this when we get to the main show. Um, so we're going to talk about the match here. I mean, this is crazy. It's a crazy, crazy atmosphere. And uh, the fact that they didn't really have a full-on riot definitely says something. Because that finish and all the stuff going on at Kona, be- Kona. Conan being so hot. I mean, Jesus. It, I mean, it... It's quite the scene as it is, but it could have been a lot worse, you know. And I remember watching this for the first time and thinking, "Holy shit, this is crazy!" I mean, seeing a crowd that big and that much heat and all that stuff going on—I mean, it was a perfect main event for that show. 
Yeah, Brandon, and, and you, you, yeah, go ahead. You know, the weird thing is, like, I think it was like a 15 minute long match, maybe 16 minutes, actually shorter than that. But the whole um, the whole video clip was maybe around 15 minutes. I think it was like a 12 minute match. Uh, three falls. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a, it's like one of those modern day CMLL matches where they put in as as little effort as possible into a 12 minute type of match. But like if you watch it, the first two falls really like it's not really that. Um, it's just like them trying to get the pin, you know, trying to get the quick win right away. And then like it's the last part where Jake finally gets involved. That really starts to get like the crowd really uh, fired up. The heat for that match for that fall was really, really strong with Roberts just getting him, you know, attacking Mascarita Sagrada. Uh, oh, yeah. I think I think he was probably like they're like looking back at that. I mean, if not him, obviously, Terry Funk was the other option that they were going to go with. Uh, but like beyond those two, I can't think of anybody else who, who would have been ready to do that at that point in time in Mexico. Because I obviously Jake has the experience of being around, you know, a rowdy crowd from his days working Mid-South and all these other um, smaller territories or, you know, regional uh, places that were known for rowdy fans down south, especially. Uh, so I kind of thought that that's what made it so perfect was the fact that they found somebody who actually fit that in, fit, fit right there. And that's the other thing, like if you look at, you know, you fast forward to AAA now when they talk about Jeff Jarrett or as bad as, as he is nowadays, he's kind of like the ideal guy to bring in as a, like they're like the foreign heel because, you know, he's, he's been around that type of crowd when he was younger working Memphis and, you know, the fans who kind of still believe it's real. Um, that still exists nowadays in Mexico, which, you know, is, you know, every once in a while you hear Conan say that he doesn't, um, you know, Conan mentioned this one day that he didn't think uh, fans nowadays believed it was um, real. They know it's all, um, you know, it's all the work. And I think he was telling Hilo Santos that, and Hilo Santos like, yeah, you try telling those um, three to 5,000 fans that are yelling culero to like the, the Rudos. Um, they still think it's real. Um, so, you know, somebody like Jake Roberts, I mean, perfect for this role i mean i think i don't think there would have been somebody that they could have brought in that um unless there's like you like i said he had to be somebody who understood um that type of psychology how, the type of fans that there are over there and has worked in the south and to me that's jake roberts was perfect i think and especially at that time at that point in time uh it may have been a little bit you know out of it because of the whole you know his his personal issues but you know him versus um conan was that was the perfect next big match that they should have gone to, um, which, you know, at a later date, you could probably talk about all, the, all yeah. the, the, the the lead up to all that stuff and how it never really came to be. Or, you know, actually, they, they would do trios matches, which, you know, did a lot of good business for AAA as well um, down the road. But for this match itself, I I mean, you could tell the crowd. I, I kind of think this match and maybe the the the. The match where Dandy lost his hair are probably the ones that most people remember as far as seeing crowds um, getting so emotional for Lucha Show um, during that time during the 90s. Um, just because, you know, you see, you you know, the camera crew, like the production team understood how to, you know, get the 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 fans that are, you know, reacting to it. Blue Panther Love Machine. Yeah, yeah. They're all uh, Conan unmasking too. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. always like I think there's so much emotion in Lucha. I, th I think that's the thing. Like it's it's it, even like even like when when like uh, Ultimo Guerrero when he lost his mask, there was a lot of oh pressure. god, yeah. there was yeah. still a strong reaction. So it's like it's like the fact that you could you're 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 gonna have to find guys who people are very much you know into that you know kind of feel like they're 
you know, they're huge fans of theirs and that they're kind of like more to them than just like their favorite wrestler. It's like it's somebody they idolize. And Conan kind of fit into that category. Um, like you said, Blue Panther Love Machine when they had their match. Um, it, it's just I, I just think the emotion was was so great in this. In this. I mean, the, the crowd, I mean, you, you could tell they wanted to get jake roberts at that point in time and i i think um i think um, doc, um dr lucha in his um, newsletter wrote that did he say that the president was in attendance the president during that time was in attendance for triple mania um i don't remember i don't remember I seeing that because i read i read the the thing and i don't remember seeing it in there i mean it may have been in another issue yeah, later cause, on cause he, because he, he, i looked it, at the issue okay. yeah he, he well had, Okay, let's see, because actually the um, – I do not have our Lucha Libre weeklies well sorted and separated, but this issue is one that I do have that done for. Uh, yeah. So let me see if I can find that real quick. But I don't remember seeing it in there. It could have been, but I think it may have been oh, wait, a, a here later. We go. I found it. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, okay, and we have more details on the MLL Jake Visa stuff, actually. So I'll read the whole paragraph. Jake the Snake Roberts almost attained, well, or I'll skip the part that has about the angle, but it says Jake the Snake Roberts almost attained at the airport in a last minute promotional gambit by EMLL promoter Paco Alonso came out of the crowd <laughs> to distract Conan, blah, 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 result stuff. And then let me find where do I see the word president again? Cause that's not highlighted anymore. Uh, okay. So Jake sitting in the fifth row, climbed over the rail past the president of Mexico well, I don't know if he climbed right past him, but President Salinas de Gotari was sitting in the front row legit and came to challenge Conan during the third fall at ringside. Okay, so, yeah, the president was in the first round. Yeah, I just I just missed that. I mean, I, I, I didn't see it when I read the thing, but oh well. Yeah, you know, for those of you who have watched Narcos, uh, the president— <laughs> This is the one that supposedly killed the maid, wasn't it? Like he was. Yes. Like, that's the very beginning of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, and as far as the gate and all that, and scaled to the economy, the way that Doctor Lucha put it was: lastly, the gate for the show was said to have been over four hundred thousand dollars U.S. He means, which is amazing in a country where the average daily wage is only one eighth of the U.S. daily wage. So the translation he means adjusted for the economy is like a three to four million dollar U.S. gate in uh, 1993 terms. Well, okay. But, I mean, this match is not a Matt Classic. Let's put it that way. This yeah. is a heat psychology match. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, perfect. Fix, what, were you, what are your thoughts on the match uh, when, you, when you saw it? It's been a long time since I've seen it. I honestly don't remember that much about it besides the heat. Um but it's just a takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're also in the era where he would get a little better with uh, this type of thing. But Dave Meltzer seems allergic to recognizing the positive aspects of Lucha that his, is not his preferred mid-card high-flying style. <laughs> you, you, you know, the thing is, the one thing I will say is Conan wasn't that bad. Like, like a lot of people like... I think they remember Conan as what he became in WCW, kind of not you know, more of a catchphrase, you know, yelling stuff out. Well, I wouldn't uh, even say that. I would say with Conan, although at this point he's still quite good at doing like the AAA main event brawling style. Yeah. The way I've always felt about Conan is, and it goes to stuff he, you know, he said in Torch Talks and stuff in the past. 
if he is not over yet, you're going to see a Conan who's working very hard, doing his cool mat work, trying to show off. Once yeah. he's over, he's going to do as little as he can to stay over. <laughs> but to try to protect his body. And given how much his body broke down relative to all that, he that was still the right decision. Um, yeah. Also, a, a, oh, almost forgot to mention earlier, with the Terry Funk thing. So the lore, at least from the Observer over the years, I presume this is something Conan told Dave, was that Terry Funk was the original choice instead of Jake. But that Pena didn't know who he was, but he knew the guy with the snake from the WWF. So that's why they went with Jake. Interesting side you, note to I, that, though. I, I, and you but. know, the weird thing is, I could actually believe that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like, it's kind of funny, like, over the years, uh, when I first, you know, when you're still young and you read this stuff and you think, man, come on, how do you not know who Terry Funk is? Or and all stuff. But, like, as you start getting to know promoters and, and people within wrestling, and you realize that a lot of them, a lot of them are are not Conan. You know, Conan is somebody who will watch a lot of wrestling. Um, he'll know like er, like practically everyone. There might be like one or two, like a handful of people he doesn't know. And if he doesn't know, he'll watch. But for the most part, there's a lot of promoters that really don't watch a lot of wrestling. Like they there's they they watch certain things, whatever like you know is in that moment, they'll watch. So I mean, like it doesn't surprise me because especially wwf was like a big thing more so in mexico then um you don't really see a lot of mexicans talking about the nwa and uh mid-south wrestling and all this other stuff it's basically lucha and wwe or wwf and you know maybe new japan every once in a while um but the other thing i was going to say is when i did the article about um night the line was crossed and the ec you know the first big ecw three-way for fighting spirit years ago uh, that one I did not interview Terry Funk directly. Brian Elliott interviewed Terry Funk for the article and shared it with me. And he was talking about, I think it was when he first asked about it, he was confused and thought Brian was asking about something else. But it soon became clear that as far as Terry Funk having the idea to do a three-way match, he said his idea was originally to do it in the same time frame in Mexico, which to me means that Conan contacted him about this. He doesn't end up getting him in, but Terry had given Conan the idea for it to be a three-way program, and that's how it happened. Because I, I otherwise, I, I don't see Terry Funk saying, oh, I had the idea for Mexico originally, and it really meaning anything else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes sense. And, and, and you know, Pena, you got to remember with him, too, I mean, he was a, he was a wrestler. So, I mean... In, in his younger days, so I'm definitely sure he wasn't watching a whole lot of wrestling. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's working. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what a lot of people tend to forget. Like a lot of the wrestlers, they don't keep up with it because they're actually, you know, they're actually in the business. They're not, they're not looking at everything else. And it's besides, Mexico, which yeah, you know, they're Mexico. working all the time. Yeah, their schedule was like relentless. Like they're constantly wrestling. Like it's what was it? If they're in EMLL, they're working. You know, Tuesdays. Fridays, Sundays within EMLL, but then they're also working, you know, Puebla, Guadalajara, and then all these other smaller buildings. So they're all over the place. And then if they're not working in their, um, the main region, they used to travel back into the, you know, the northern portion of Mexico, or they'd go get sent to Guatemala. You know, they were always traveling. So, the or they, yeah, or they go to New Japan, you Tijuana. know, some of the guys go to Yeah. So it's like, it, it was pretty crazy for them. Yeah. But That's I, a normal. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I kind of think that it would have been interesting just to see what Terry Funk could have done there. Because I think, I mean, 
that would have been pretty impressive just because he could still like 1993. He, oh God. He could yeah. still go and, you know, he doing was moon salts? Can you see him doing yeah. moon salts? Yeah. Holy shit. You know, imagine that. what he would have, imagine what he would have learned from seeing Ray Mysterio Jr. <laughs> it would have been like, Oh God. His past working with the, with, with the Guerreros and yeah. Romero and all that type of stuff. I mean, he, he worked West Texas. He worked El Paso. He, yeah. he knows, he knows how, yeah. how, how it is. Well, I think, I think, um, Gory Guerrero booked the funks into his territory too. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, well it was like the I, same territory. Was, it was, yeah, it was yeah. part yeah, was of the, that territory. Yeah. He was the promoter. Yeah. And it's like when you watch like old world class and you see Kevin Von Erich, some of the stuff he did, a lot of the stuff he did, he got from Mexico. Like it actually, because when he would travel to Mexico or worked with guys that would come in from Mexico that worked within, um, you know, not just the world class, but when they would work, uh, you know, where Bosch was promoting, um, that was basically where he got a lot of that stuff. You know, granted, some of the guys did it. Uh, when you see a Kevin Von Erich match, is very different from, actually, I wouldn't even say it's that different. I think it might, might have fit, fit better with Lucha because, you know, the whole, um, Un, you know the there's a weird uncontrollable type of thing within a, a von Erich type of match um the flow kind of, and the psychology of it does have kind of a lucha feel yeah like like if you look at it like if you go back and even when you hear guys talk about working with the von Erichs, it's like they're talking about like oh yeah if we couldn't control it we sometimes we didn't know what they were doing and it's like i would watch and it's like it kind of looks like a lucha libre um, trios brawl um, the stuff that we later on grew tired of watching for a stretch in the late 90s. But it's like that kind of was kind of what they were trying to do. And uh, it, it does come from all that stuff that they got from, you know, whenever the guys from Mexico would go back and forth from Texas to Mexico. And, you know, the guys with the, the American guys would go back and forth from the, the area. So um, to me, I, I think it would have been interesting just to see what Terry Funk would have done. I think he probably would have been. But. They probably would have turned him babyface, honestly, like because he yeah, has that whole promos. Yeah, yeah. The fans, I mean, first of all, he would have been a great heel, but as it went on, I think they would have just fallen for him like they did Paraguayo and Nero Casas, because that's basically a lot of what Terry Funk is like is very similar to what Paraguayo and um, you know, a Ray Mendoza and a guy like that is like it's a, it's a, a it's a personality that can easily be um, um, go from being a a, a heel to a babyface to a, to like a certain type of fan, and like you said, the 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 older men are the ones that are going to fall in love with that type of like, you know, somebody who's a little bit more you know rough around the edge edges type that Terry Funk well, was back then. I, I I guess maybe we should look at you know him in Puerto Rico, and yeah. that that would be the template. And he was he was insane in Puerto Rico, that's for sure. All right, uh, on a normal schedule, this car would have aired on television in Mexico City on, on May the second, and the United States on May the ninth. However, it had been announced earlier in the week as a means to guarantee filling the building that the show wouldn't be televised this weekend. And in the slot that would air on May the 9th, they will still air the big car taped on April 25th from Villa Hermosa from a bull ring, Plaza de Toros, with Conan and Cien Carlos on top going to double countout and a stipulation match. And then the Triple Mania show will air on television in Mexico City as a special on May 21st on Televisa for those who have dishes. Although Dave doesn't know the time slot press time. He's been unable to confirm if the show will air in the United States, although it was speculated it would air during the normal television wrestling time slot on May 23rd. There's also talk of AAA running shows as soon as June or July in the United States, as well as a major card in Tijuana across the border from San Diego during the same time frame. So, yes, they're getting ready to expand going to the United States, which, you know, 
they're starting to gain steam here. They're getting the TV here. People are watching it, buzzing about it. So as we've seen, you know, with the right promotion, you can draw out, you can draw houses for lucha shows in this country. Absolutely. It comes down yeah, to the promotion. Yeah, then you got Jake the Snake as your lead heel at that point in time. So Yeah, exactly. But somebody the American fans would know. So they mm-hmm. you could always draw in the Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Based on what Dave was told, the rest on this car would be considered good under normal Libre standards and a spectacular overall show with the rock bands playing and laser light shows. But according to two regulars that were there live, that the wrestling itself was below the standard of the typical Friday night shows at Hinnasio Juan de la Pereira, Mexico City. It was confirmed that a lot of the wrestlers were really nervous, with no deception of Pedro Aguayo, who has seen and done everything that can be done in the ring already, and thus had the best match on the show. Most didn't try new moves on the already ultra-spectacular moves that have become commonplace on the regular shows because they didn't want to screw up moves in front of so many people. It was far and away the largest crowd that just about all of them had ever performed in front of and was the most publicized show in company's history. Well, the company ain't been around that long yet, Dave, almost a year. The pressure took the work level down just a peg. Dave's told almost all the matches were good, just that none were of the spectacular level that some of the Friday night mid-card matches have reached for the past few months. All right, results from the other card. We have Mata Lobos, Pantera Serena, and Wendy. Over Lula Gonzalez, Vicky Carranza, and La Rosa in an all-action match where La Rosa was the highlight. So Dave putting over the women here, Fredo. I know. I mean, that, and you know, the, the the funny thing is, like, there's a lot of, like, the women's wrestling from Mexico. Like, the, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say women's wrestling in general, but, like, some of the female wrestlers, um, they've been very undervalued in terms of history. Like, Lola Gonzalez, we don't really hear about her being talked about as one of the greatest female wrestlers of all time. And she was really good. Um, same thing with Pantera Sudreña. So um, it's good that it's good every once in a while to hear somebody say something positive about women's wrestling in Mexico. Well, yeah, it, it is a butt of jokes in Mexico yeah. a lot. Yes. I really, I think what they should get credit for that they don't, for some reason, at least not nearly enough publicly, is the influence that the luchador has had on the Japanese women's style. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, and it's, I just don't think we have the style that we come to know as the Joshi style without the influence of Galact- Galactica and the other Mexican women coming in in the late seventies. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I would agree. I mean, because like, and then you also have a lot of the, tra- the guys who are training them were luchadors or guys who were trained in lucha, like, uh, I think one of the Gil Ariano from um, here in Los Angeles, one of the, the trainers for all Japan women in the 70s. And then Gran Apache later on was also a trainer. So there's been countless other men who have trained. I think I think Luke well, trained some of the women also. Gran so in the original JWP yeah, yeah. too. Yeah. So th- there's a lot of influence. And even like when you see like uh, uh, the later version, like the like the Manami Toyotas and all that, they use a lot of Lucha influence. Um, their style is very influenced by that. Well, I remember when there was was that weekend of Joshi Mania shows a decade ago, and I went to the New York one, you know, that Chikara put on, and it really hit me during the trios match. I always forget who else was in it besides Yoshirai's sister, but it was was an Aja Kong team against Manami Toyota team, and it really hit me watching them do a trios match. It's not Lucha... But Lucha is the closest thing you can compare it to in the sense that 
you need to think of it as something that has its own psychology and pacing and transitions. You know, that it's not yeah. American wrestling. It's not the various flavors of Japanese men's wrestling. It is its own thing. And it goes back to that, that it's, you know, as the luchadoras came into Japan and also as you started to have more athletic women like, you know, Jackie Sato, Maki Ueda, Jaguar Yakota, etc. come into all Japan women, suddenly you had this completely different style, which, yeah, for those of you who have not seen like mid-70s all Japan women, go look up like uh, Jumbo Miyamoto and Makfumiaki and people like that on YouTube. It was not that different from the Mula style of wrestling. Hmm. And, and no. you know, to to and I think like with the women, I don't think it's necessarily us, the fans outside of Mexico or even people in Mexico. It really was the promoters and the commission that kind of like kind of kept it from really becoming something bigger than it could have. It could have been a lot bigger than it it turned out. Because um, I mean, even during the '90s, we weren't getting a lot of women's wrestling matches on television. Um, so you know. Pena kind of tried, and then later on, obviously, CMLL bought back their women's division. So, Which also, how about the fact that when it came to women's wrestling really finally becoming a staple on main cards regularly, that it wasn't a Mexican woman who really brought it back, that it was yeah. Sarah Stock. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's but, like, even it, then, it, but even then, though, the most pushed woman is uh, Negro Casas' wife. <laughs> well... <laughs> Still today, yeah. It's still today, she's <laughs> she's very much still the 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 push one, and you know it's 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 that's what I that's what it is. It's like you kind of like there's every time you bring up how 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 there's possibilities of the you know women kind of being on the rise. You know when it started happening in the in the United States when they started like pushing women's wrestling again. Uh, everybody started talking about that in Mexico. Hey, you think you, that could happen? And you know, obviously. Uh, they're they're asking women that are already like in their 40s um been around for like 20 30 years and it's like yeah you know maybe it's like not them that you should be asking like if they're still the main stars the ones that you see that are still the stars that's not going to happen right now it's probably going to take a couple of years when somebody finally figures out that hey you know we need to like start elevating younger women uh because i, I mean look at all japan all Japan women, like most of the women would retire at a certain age. And it was usually like when their peak period was like in their twenties. So it's like, there's really like, if you, if you go right now in Mexico, probably the, the most of the women are way above 30 years old right now that are, are like, as far as in AAA and CMLL or even like top stars, they're all a lot older. So um, to me, it's, I don't know. It's, it, it really had to, it has to be a change in within the mentality of the promoters and the, uh, the fans that they want to see something that's more, um, well, a little also, bit more advanced. It's also about more... looks, too. Be yeah, yeah. I mean, Mexico definitely. Yeah. It's about oh, looks. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that. Yeah. Too. That's why you still got Estrellita around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sexy star, you know. Yeah. Sexy star, exactly. sexy star too now, and it's like, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Maybe look at the Instagram page. It's just holding the story. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, so Sarah, you vote, have you voted for her to get her OnlyFans? 
I don't do OnlyFans. I don't matter. <laughs> so, Socero, Supercolo, and Winners, the future Bisbon Negro, beat uh, the Exoticos, Mayflowers, Rudy Reina, and Baby Sharon in your next match. So, there you go. Volador, Misterioso, and Rey Mysterio Jr. beat uh, Los Destructores, Toriarse, Volcano, and Haraka Valente in what was the second or third best match on the show. Think about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the match that Dave's talking about because these guys on a, on a random Friday, you put this match on and they're going to tear the house down, you know, and just do crazy shit. But here's yeah. a little bit more reserved. I want to know who the fans were that said that this was an okay show when this is the third best match on the card. <laughs> I mean, that would be better than most of the shows now. Like in Mexico nowadays, this is like a way better show. And I mean, me and Bix talk about this all the time, Fredo, but Tostra Torres. I mean, oh, they were awesome. Amazing, amazing, amazing team. And, you know, so key in getting these guys over, you know? Yeah, they 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 knew their role, and I think you that's what you got. That I always dig these type of trios. Um, you have the Destructores, the Diabolicos, um, just fun trios that like they're they know what the role is. They got to put guys over, and they were there to cre- create the next big technical star. And they did such a great job with Rey Mysterio Jr. I think that's that's one of the things like when you see like um like some of the like a Rey Mysterio Jr. or even like Sombra later down the road when they start they they mention the guys that they're that they thank like they'll thank like the lowest undercard guy and and people are like why are you thanking that guy he's like because that guy was the one that got me started um taught me how to work how to do the how to work properly um he actually he actually let me beat him you know like these guys actually didn't mind losing um not like it is nowadays like nowadays it's very different uh, but these guys were just great. Destructores. And remember Destructores before we had Emilio Charles Jr. Um, I just I don't think he wanted to jump or they split him off of the group at one point in CMLL. So it's like it, when they when they added Rocco Valente, it was like it's they were still great. Uh, how do you like it's just it's just like I, I dig that trio. I always dug them and Diabolicos were two of my favorite trios from that era. Absolutely. Octagon, Yodo Santo, and Villarro Tercero. That's a, quite the trio's team. Beating Fuzzagarera, Heavy Metal, and Rambo. Commissioner Rambo. Yes. Isn't it weird? Like, we, we mentioned Rambo, and there's people who just think, oh, what a weird what a, what a a weird name. And it's like, and then other people think of him as the commissioner. And then when we talk about it, it's like, oh, this guy was a great worker. You guys really need to see Rambo in his prime. I mean, even then, here, right here, he's a little older, but he's still, like, in the 90s, the guy was still really good. Uh, are you guys going to mention heavy heavy metals um, situation at this point in time? Well, go ahead. I was going to bring it up. Go ahead. Since you brought it up. <laughs> well, he wasn't supposed to be there. You know, he, he, it came close for, to him not being there. So uh, uh, that was actually one of the. I don't know. I can't. I kind of. I don't know if they ever mentioned if he was going to be substituted or what. But there was some questionable. Um, he made a poor decision at that point in time, and uh, no, that was going to make it to the show. <laughs> No. You know, the, the, yeah, I mean, you know, heavy metal. Um, <laughs> yeah, he would never do nothing like that. <laughs> Eric Eric Casas, quite the character. I I would I would love to hear him like, like you know how they they've never really done shoot interviews over there because guys oh. aren't going to say they're just not going to shoot straight. But I would love to hear him like talk about like his career and then maybe have other people talk about the shit he was going through at that point in time because oh. um the guy and not even like. 
the women he hooked up with because there's so many crazy stories about that also it's like <laughs> thank god for cybernetico to for him being around and being <laughs> the only one that tells us all this stuff Cybernetico don't give a shit. Yeah, he don't give a <laughs> he shit. He don't like. care. Yeah. He don't care. But Evan Evan Metal, man, he's a guy who I mean, yeah. if he stayed clean or or somewhat clean, he'd have been one of the biggest stars in the business. Well well, you think about that heavy metal, Jerry Estrada. Oh uh, La Fiera. Oh La Fiera. Another, yes. I mean, there's like about Four or five guys within the like 80, I guess 81, 82 that started around that time period. And then during the early 90s that where you're just thinking, man, this guy was amazing. Why wasn't he pushed? Why isn't this guy like a big star? And then they're like, yeah, he had a lot of, um, you know, personal issues, um, drug issues. And God knows, you know, obviously, if you're doing drugs, you're, it's going to lead to other issues, um, you know, spending time in prison or doing other stuff. So it's like it's like just imagine what this heavy and especially heavy metal during this time when, you know, a uh, few years later, what happens with all these guys that were in AAA at that point in time? This guy never even got that opportunity, and it—it's really sad that that didn't happen for him because he should have been. He should have been at at or near the level of superstar that Nero Casas is, um, and he isn't. Like he's basically like the forgotten other Casas. He's more talented than his brothers. I mean, the yeah. guy. I mean, the guy was so gifted at what he could do. And just squandered it away because of his addiction issues. Yeah. And his addiction issues got so bad that by the time he finally did start to get his life together, when he had the, you know, big CMLL run, you know, what, like a decade after this? Yeah. His issues had gotten so bad that he basically forgot how to work. Yes. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> yeah. Like, he... My understanding is he was clean by that point, but it was in the Observer even that they in they were so negative on his work in the office that they told him he needed to start going to the wrestling school during the day and start <laughs> training under Blue Panther to get back to where he should be. Well, they dropped him down. They, he was working through Saturdays. Yeah. Yes. I mean, good lord! But I mean, yeah. You, you, and we talk about Rambo. You got the the you know Rambo and Bianca Tesoro with all their history in this match. So and of course, Fuerza with Santo and Altagon. I mean, there's a lot a lot of history here in this match. So a great a great matchup for just uh, the the backstories in this match. Absolutely. Yeah. Then we get Lismark retaining the Mexican National Heavyweight Title. A strange finish over La Parca. Spelled how, Chris? P-A-R-C-A, which Dave spelled like that for quite a while. And weren't there some early Lucha magazines and TV graphics that spelled yes. it that way, too? Yes. Well, actually, isn't the isn't whatever it's based on with Day of the Dead in Mexican folklore, isn't it that spelled P-A-R-C-A? I, I don't remember. I don't okay. know. But anyway, La Parca y Ruda was the best worker on the show, based on what I was told, and was cheered like crazy, and this was said to have been a great match. Oh, I can believe that. Uh, this match went about 20 minutes when La Parca got the pin, but just for the three count, Nismar got his shoulder up. <laughs> that was supposed to be the finish, a controversial one to give Nismar something to complain about. Anyway, apparently they forgot to inform the commission what they were going to do. So because the Bossy Lucia commissioner saw Lismar complain and made a fuss, they ordered the match restarted because Lismar had his shoulder up. Pena came out, and what was agreed to was they were going to the 15 minutes. 
And if these markets win during that time period, he retained the title. But if he couldn't, then Parker could keep the title. They went 15 minutes. So apparently Parker, Parker would get to keep the title, but somehow be a referee's decision. These markers ruled the winner. The every ending was every bit as confusing as it reads. Oh, those commissioners. <laughs> well, well, you uh, know, I, I, we should probably mention this, that um, that that the national heavyweight title and all the titles that are national titles are actually like the commission has a word as to how that title is um, defended or yes, you know how it's used. So it's they like it's not just AAA. Yeah. 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 So it's basically like triple A has some control over it, but at the same time, the commission has to agree to it. Um, it's it's still that way to this very day. <laughs> Only now it's within CMLL's um, organization that those belts are are in. Which um, there was a time there when you could get either or. I yeah. mean, some but some of them be in AAA, some of them be in CMLL. Yeah, yeah. I think, they, I think I think the only ones left are the tag. No, actually, the tag titles are also there. So I think there might be one title. That there was a holdover for all for many years, yeah. where all the belts were in CMLL except for the tag belts. Yeah. And it was Lafarca Jr. and Altagon that had the belts, so they never defended them. Yeah, because basically, a lot of the guys who held them in AAA would bring the belt with them <laughs> to when they would jump, or if they would jump from CMLL, they would bring that title with them. And that was the best thing yeah. when Stu when Stu Sachs. Uh, first came to me about doing uh, lucha rankings for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. He told me, he says, I want you to rank the champions. And I said, uh, Stu, I said, uh, these guys don't defend their belts. I mean, it's very rare <laughs> that these guys, well, okay. So I said, listen, I think it's better for me to rank these guys by how they do on, on a, because it's online every week. Do it, how they do it on a weekly basis and then monthly try to do like an average or whatever. And if there's a title match, then the top, the, the champion or whoever won the title would automatically be ranked to, at the top of the list. He could understand that. I said, it's just the way it is there. They don't, yeah. they just don't defend the titles. <laughs> now it's picked up a little bit more from what I've seen lately, yeah. but it, it, for uh. a while there, you didn't get belts defended. Yeah, now now they're being defended more often because um the whole mess up with um Diamante Azul. Oh left, god. Uh, CMLL. DMT Azul. Yeah. He made, <laughs> he made a big deal about the titles never being defended, so he didn't understand why he was stripped off of his. So it kind of became this whole thing. And then I guess CMLL was like, Yeah, you know what? We're gonna defend all these. So I mean, first of all, CML has so many shows every week, so they could actually defend a title every week. They have twenty something titles within the promotion, so there could be a title. There could be a title defense on every single Epcot show, and it would be, you know, and the guy might defend the title once a month. So it's like it makes sense to do it. Let's but, not forget um, the NWA historic titles. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> now, now they're the now they're the world historic titles. Oh, I know. Uh, God, <laughs> it's it's it, it's it's crazy, but yeah. I, what can you I, do? I don't know. Did, did you ever do the PWI 500? I think you did that, right, Chris? I was part of one. I, I, I've then told them, I said, and, and they want me to rank like that. I said, you just can't do it. Yeah. So <laughs> you can't do it. I, I could tell the story now because it's already happened. So I get I get asked to do it. Um, I think Cubs fan, I think it might have been, you might have been also in this one at one point. I was. Um, uh, and yeah. I think Kurt, I think it was around the same time. And then Kurt gets asked that also to do it. So then um, we get told what to do and we all send lists. And like, I'm, I'm, 
I, I think I knew you and myself, and I think Kurt might very little know about um, the PWR 500, but we kind of took a little bit more like with an understanding of what we we're going to do, how to rank them and all this stuff. So then um, uh, the Cubs fan isn't a big uh, PWI or magazine type of guy. You know, this is from a different time period that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a part of as a wrestling fan. Uh, so then I get this, uh, I get this message and they're like, hey, so um, I don't know, like, I don't understand. Uh, Kurt has some really questionable choices. I think he, I think he did, he included a mini or something in his list. And then, uh, and then he's like, I don't know, like, we're, you're supposed to list like champions and like, um, I noticed um, uh, Cubs fan had La Parca as like the number one wrestler overall. <laughs> and I was like, so I started laughing. I'm like, well, you know, La Parca kind of is the the number one guy, the LA Park, not the La Parca, yeah. the AAA one. Yeah. So I, I, I just thought, and then when I see the list, when it comes out, I think maybe like 10 people that, because I, I knew more or less who had who. And it's like, I knew none of us added Blue Demon Jr. on that list. I go, there is no way none of us put Blue Demon Jr. on that list. And then I see some of the other people like, there is no way we put, like, there was at least six or seven luchadors that I knew none of us would have ever put yeah. on the list. Because I was putting, like, Negro Navarro. Because this was during I the time period when... the same yeah, thing. During the time when Negro Navarro, Black Cherry, all these guys... Were, that were, era, like, yes. Like, yeah, top ten guys. Like, it wasn't even a joke. Like, it wasn't even like a, like they're doing the exhibition type of match. No, these guys were pushed. Like, they were working working main events in IWRG all the time. They were going to indie shows, working main events. And it's like, they weren't even on the list. I'm like, dude, why even ask me? So I just stopped doing it. I think I did it twice and that was it. That's why I haven't done it since because, I, I mean, it's just like the criteria. I mean, it, I understand what they're doing, but Lucha is such a different beast in that yeah. way. I mean, I was doing the list like a, like a Death Valley Driver 500 type list. I was yeah. ranking guys by work. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how we need this done. We want it ranked by the champions. Yeah. But which yeah. means, which meant uh, El Terrible, uh, Diamante Azul, Blue Demon Jr., who was a champion, the heavyweight champions, and then go from there. I mean, you just can't yeah. do that in Lucha. It's not and the way it is. Yeah, nothing against you, but I would hope that Kevin has a better handle on this now. Um, They still do it the same way. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> it's tradition but, I guess. It, it was funny because they they basically told us to list like give the number that we thought they deserved like on the list so you're picking 500 so like say you put la park um obviously he's not going to be in the top 10 so like we already know going in he's not gonna be top 10 so like maybe you put him at 12 like you're 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 making a guess like okay he's number one in our list but he's like i would put him like at number 12 or so and like and that's why like when they told hey uh uh Cubs and put La Park, LA Park as number one. And I'm like, I think he put it at number one as the number one luchador. I don't think he meant number one ahead of like whoever was like, like, like whoever was like the WWE champion at that time uh, or like New Japan or whatever. Yeah, because they wanted us to just do the lucha list. Yeah. Yeah. I would have done the entire list. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, though, is that Kenny Omega. When he's AAA champion, it's like okay, Kenny Omega needs to be number one in the rankings of Lucha. I'm like, he's he doesn't defend the title. Yeah, he, he doesn't even wear Mexico. <laughs> he's a champion. He, he, hey, when he wrestles there, it's great, but it's like it's like it's once every three or four months when he was active. Now that he's hurt, he hasn't been wrestling there, but it's like when he was active, it was like once every what was it Triple Mania and then the other Triple Mania. Yes. <laughs> so yes. It's like, yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's weird. Good Lord. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. Um, 
All right, so back to Triple Mania. Mascara Scarada, Love Machine, and Mascarita Scarada beat Jerry Estrada, Blue Panther, and Jerito Estrada in a mixed match. Main focus of this was the Blue Panther Love Machine long-time feud. Machine kept going for the Martinette, which is legal in Mexico, power driver. Ref kept stopping him. Finally, Panther gave Machine the Martinette and was disqualified. Machine did a stretcher job, and we kept out of action for two or three weeks. Yeah, that feud went off and on for the next three, well, for over three years, basically. Yeah. So... Good stuff there. And then the semi-main event was uh, Conan, before Conan Cien Carlos, was a Gabriela Contra Mascara match, where Pero Aguayo went against Mascara Onyuras Mule. Pero bled buckets, as he always does in the big matches. This is one of the wildest matches in most heat. Not only was Pero drenched in blood, so was the mat, and there were puddles everywhere. Mascara's brother Universo Dos Mule interfered in early falls. Pero won in 28 minutes, and Muscular first ran away, but was forced back into the ring and announced he was Jesus Reyes. Chucho, the younger brother of Cien Carlos Camelo Reyes, which was well-known, 34 years old. Now, Universal Dismay was suspended by the commission for the entire month of May after hitting the referee <laughs> at this, so that was probably a word to give him a vacation. His older brother was a mess by Pero and same show. Most likely unveil a new ring name. This is hard to go by that name when you don't have a mask. Oh, just you wait and see, Dave. Well, wait, okay, so I guess also at this point, Dave does not realize that Ciancaris means 100 faces. Because if the other brother didn't change it, then I'm guessing then that, that uh, mask of the year 2000 is also not changing his name. No. But, what, is, uh, what, what is Dave What is Dave from 1993? What would he think of La Mascara? <laughs> yeah um i think i mean if if you were a fan that had any sense and you're watching the watching this finish i think you have to know for a fact that cien goddess was not losing in the main event if his brother's losing his mask yeah. then we're not then cien goddess is not losing the main event you know, so do you think that doing this booking at this point in time like this was not the right decision? That they should have held this off to another show and main evented with it? Because it's a main event match on its own. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I think if this was CMLL, they would have held back on one of those matches. Because, um, you know, they would have seen, hey, we could get a bigger gate, two big gates for the price of, um, you know, instead of doing it for one show. Uh, but this, this is triple A and triple A is very different. They kind of want it to be like the, the, this one, they wanted this to be the WrestleMania basically. So it's like, they just had another big, they just, you know, overloaded this, this card with this additional match. But I think this would have been perfect. Like if they were going to do it the fall, like on another show, like as far as the main event, that would have been great. Yeah. But they did it. <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, and, Yes, if you've never seen this match, folks, yes. Dave's not lying. Pedro is a blush, blood gusher. No shock there for people that watch Pedro Aguayo over the years. And uh, yeah, he spewed all over the place. And great well, heat in this well, one, too. Well, remember Pedro, like his last couple of years, remember he used to just bleed as he entered the ring? Yeah. It was one of those things where we're like, oh, Pedro's already bleeding as he, as he enters the ring. What's going on? Like, yeah, a, <laughs> that's how he very similar to Abdullah. His forehead was so scarred up that it's kind of like he already like he already had extra blood coming out as soon as he somebody touched him. Yeah. So. This shows easy of success. I mean, 
no doubt about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, you got to give them credit, man. They they pulled it off. I mean, this is a company that's been around for not even a year and uh, puts this show out there. So you know, you got to give them all the props on that one. Yeah, and you know the thing. The the other good thing is that they actually had a good backing behind them with Televisa. So um, it would have been very difficult for them to fail. You know, it was it was pretty much going to be something that was going to be a success. Um, and you know, it's it's Triple A still like they're celebrating their 30th anniversary. So it's it's been a very it's been there's been some up and downs, but uh, you still see them around right now. So absolutely. Now, real quick before we move on to the rest of Lucha. Is there any indication why they never ran another stadium show? Mm. During Is there this time, any specific like, reason? I mean, they, they never ran stadium run... shows. Yeah, they kept running running stadium. Yeah, shows. they kept running stadium let shows. Let me okay. Let me put it this way: ran a stadium show that needed a stadium to this degree. Then is the better way to put it, I guess. I think uh, the Monterey shows are always at uh, baseball stadiums. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah. okay. Th- why do you think specifically they that they came nowhere close to this kind of interest and crowd since to where even if they're running a bigger stadium, like what's what's the biggest lucha crowd since then? Be some of the Arena Ciudad sellouts. I would think so. Like they they and that's done like well, but what twenty thousand? Yeah. Yeah, it's like I think the the big um wasn't that that show in Padre, the Padrissimo show wasn't that a big crowd in Yes, I think that mm-hmm. one was a big crowd. That was a that was a big. Uh, like, but that was a split. That was a promotional yeah. split show. That, yeah. So that was a special deal. That was more Televisa than anything else. That was, yeah. So, but it's like as far as with AAA, I mean, they still ran a lot of those um stadiums, but it's like I think I think what happened with AAA is like there was a stretch where just like they. They're, I would say it's more so. I I would guess Pena kind of dying kind of like has really killed it off a little bit as far as um, um why they haven't been able to figure it out to get more people. Uh, they're constantly like they're still trying. I mean that's the one thing I will give AAA, and I think it's even like when you go back to UWA, uh, those promoters will go out of their way to like try to make a big um you know a big show. But it, for whatever reason, sometimes it just doesn't work out for them. It's like it just—it's a hit or miss type of thing. I, I don't really know why. It's just—it's just kind of something that. Um, yeah. It's sometimes it's bad booking where they just come out, they overbook shows, and yeah, uh, I think the fans kind of get tired of it. And for the most part, they still get a lot of casual fans. You know, like the the kind of like what the WWE fans are like the universe, the WWE universe. There's like, so much in Mexico City too. There's so many shows yeah. run. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they're yeah, and it's like uh, obviously the in recent years it's more because of everything that's going on. But you know, for a stretch of time, I mean, it just I just think it it really depends on how um what they're what they're what how hot whoever they have in their promotion is at that point in time. And I, I don't think right now they don't have any they don't have anybody at the level of Conan in this prime. They don't have anything like nobody that. does. Like, yeah, because I mean, Psycho Clown is great. But I think right now you have so many fans are kind of still kind of jaded and kind of like harder on on newer newer stars that it's kind of like I, I don't well, know if you're gonna you know you don't have like, like a Mystico either I mean yeah. yeah he's like the last great one I guess yeah and if you look at Mystico I mean really his 
um, since he's come back, he's been great for CMLL, but it's not like a, a continual thing where he's, you know, you don't see the same level of sellouts that you used to see like in, in during his prime when, um, remember we started getting television for the Tuesday shows and the Sunday shows and there were packed arenas. Arena Mexico was packed all the time. Um, and now you see Arena Mexico, they make a big deal about the Friday shows being packed, but then you look at the the other um, Arena Mexico shows and it's pretty dead. Like the crowd, like there's nobody at those shows. Yeah. It really, I think it's just, it's just, it's just a cycle type of thing where um, there's not a big star right now that can actually draw in the crowds. I think this show, I think this, um, this year's Triple Mania, at least one of these shows, I think it's going to do pretty well because they're kind of coming up with some really creative things. Um, I don't know if it's going to work if they can bring in somebody from, you know, obviously you mentioned them, Kenny Omega. Um, if they could get Kenny Omega to work with Iho Vikingo, that might actually be something that the fans have been, um, they've been wanting and they want to see. And that's something that maybe that could draw in a big crowd for one of these bigger arenas that they're going to be running. Um, yeah. the mo- but, you know, to be fair right now, so the thing that's drawing is going to be that um, the, the mask, the Ruleta de la Mascaras, Ruleta de la Muerte with all the masks. I think yeah. that would probably be the what, what's going to draw people in. Yeah. Yeah. 70 year old connect bringing in the crowd. <laughs> Seven, <laughs> six, yes, six, almost seven years old, insane. <laughs> All right, CMLL. April 28th, Arena Coliseo. We have Olipico over Reyes Vellos. It's around 500 fans, by the way, attendance. Uh, Orito, Miki Segura, suicide. In Ultimo Dragoncito over Flanito and Pirotito Morgan. Damiano Guerrero, Guerrero de Futuro, and Guerrero Maya. Over El Bronco, Monterey version, Pantera and Tarisman Jr. Blue Damon Jr., Cachorro Mendoza, and Rigo Mendoza over Gran Marcos Jr., El Mornaca, Javier Cruz, and Moguer. And then Elantis, Corazon de Leon, Chris Jericho, and Peroff over Black Majesty, Norman Smiley, Fabuloso Blondie, Ken Tams, and Negro Casas. You, uh, you know, I, I'm actually, I'm kind of surprised um, Blondie didn't end up getting a role in AAA. <laughs> like I, I, I mean, speaking. You would have thought. Yeah, I mean, if they couldn't get Jake, I probably would have thought they would have extended like an offer to him. I mean, he would have been the other. If you couldn't get Roberts or or Funk, Blondie would have been the other guy. Yeah, you think I can't tell. Well, the guy had a history there, so yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and he, yeah, he, I mean, he had matches with those guys too, like with Conan and um Ciancara, So there's a history with them. Yeah. On uh, April 30th, another thing we got to mention, uh, Trump Mania was on, uh, you know, Kids Day, Dia de los yeah. Ninos. So that's another big deal. And uh, similar around Arena Closeo, going head-to-head with Trump Mania. All the kids got in free. Headlined by the new cowboy, Silver King, El Tejano and Dandy, against Los Brazos, and drew more than 4,000 fans. It was their fifth show over a one-way period at Arena Coliseo, trying to burn out the city before the AAA show. Didn't work out too well. <laughs> well, I mean, that's—I mean, I get what Dave's trying to say, but it's like Arena Coliseo. They ran Arena Coliseo every week, no matter what. So yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah. It, it wasn't. It wasn't with intention to burn off. No. Triple A. No. So uh, we had Olympus over in Pegaso over El Mestizo and Reyes Vellos. Filanita, Filanito and Ocho Tumbita over Arito and Ultimo Dragosito in a four-star match, according to Don yeah. Lucha. Supremo Dos, Gato and Torano Negro over Angela Salataria, Patera, and Triton, three and a half stars. Sicono Ramirez, Corazon de Leon, and Oro over Felino, Javier Cruz, and Negra Casas, three and a half stars. 
And then Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and Brazo over Dante, Silver King, and Tejano. No stars listed for that match. So there's Gato uh, working here on the uh, Arena, Arena Coliseo show in 1993. By himself, no Jada. And then we have uh, the Sunday show, Arena Coliseo, May 2nd, front of 3,000. We have El Vencedor and Pegaso. Well, I hope Vencedor won, because that's his name. <laughs> over Escarero Rojo, Rojo and Rebucanero. Yes, young Rebucanero. Olimpico and Olympus over Hako Negro and Rey Barbaro. Aguila India, Aguila Sarataria, and Gran Apache over Arcana de la Muerte, Panico, and Torana Negro. Io de Gladiador, Gran Marcos Jr., and Titan over Cachorro Mendoza, Sicuro Ramirez, and Triton. And then Corazon de Leon, Laser Tron, yes, Hector's in the gimmick, and Ultimo Dragon over Massacre, Negra Casas, and Sancre Chicana by disqualification. Um, we talked about this on the show in this era for the differences between AAA and CMLL, you know, as far as how they're looked at in the fans' eyes. I want to get your opinion on that. Give everybody uh, your thoughts on on the uh, the differences in the promotions here. Well, at that point in time, the di- biggest difference was that AAA was, I think they were kind of a little bit hotter than CMLL. Uh, CMLL, because they lost a lot of the talent that they did to AAA, they kind of were bringing in a lot of new faces, um, some foreigners like Jericho, Gato, I think Haku was around this time period. King Haku starts showing yeah. up, yeah. I think John Tenta even shows up at one point, too, which was uh, kind of weird. Uh, but they also bring in a lot of the, the remnants of UWA as the... I think it's around this time, or 94-ish, where they start bringing those guys in. So um, you're really starting to see a, a different type of um, CMLL. Uh, they're also kind of starting to have to focus more on like the lighter weights also, because... Uh, there's they lost their main heavyweights, which were like the Dinamitas, Conan, Aguayo. Um, that's basically what they ha- they lost, and so they're kind of like going more with Nero Casas. Uh, you know, they're going they're they're kind of trying to develop some of the other guys. Kind of they're just kind of like bringing in like kind of like trying to bandaid uh, the 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 promotion back together again. And, and um, I I think it I think if you look at it from a from an in ring style, you see um, CMLL looks a little bit more still a little. Um, older style, um, even though they're bringing in some of the guys like Jericho, Ultimo, Ultimo Dragon was still here. So you're uh, you're seeing like the you know some of the guys were a little bit flasher, but it's still very old school booking, very similar to what they've been doing. Um, and it's honestly with CMLL, they've never really changed the uh, other than a few times with like the Mystico Boom, where there's a little bit more of a you know a little bit more pizzazz in the in the product. It's usually always been you know the same type of booking that it's it, it looks about the same. I mean, when you look at AAA and AAA has the, you know, the women, um, they have the, the Edicanis that with them. Um, it's a lot more flashier, the, the the more colorful the guys are, have different looks and everything. And then you have Ray Mysterio Jr. who's just, you know, you know, innovating. It's, it, it's so, um, Psychosis, another guy who's like innovating just in his own way where it's like, you know, a, a heel who's taking a lot of crazy bumps in the ring. It's, so you're, you're really starting to see more of a, uh, what what I guess like what today's modern fans would consider lucha libre, they would probably think of it as what AAA is. Whereas like if you're more of an older fan, you're more familiar with like the the you would understand that CMLL is really what lucha, you know that's more the style that you're you're more um is more of a, a lucha libre style because um you know a lot of what a lot of what Pena really liked was a lot of he liked to bring in everything like a lot of different things. So, you know, you got more of a show overall, and that's what you got, like Jake Roberts getting in, in, involved. You would very rarely see that in, in on a CMLL show. 
uh, I mean, it's very Syria, Syria e estable. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's <laughs> the serious and stable promotion. And that's pretty much what it, what it was at this point in time. I think I think any time they had this issue, they just went back to that. And, and it's funny because you look at it now, um, the people running CMLL nowadays are the guys who ran, you know, the main boss is the guy who used to run the promotion back in 1970 that actually left like around 1980 <laughs> yes. running the promotion. And it's like you look at it and the the same issues that happened in the early 90s. It happened in the mid 70s is exactly what's happening right now where guys are leaving uh, because they're complaining about not, you know, not getting enough work or not getting paid well. And that's pretty much what everybody else was doing back then. And it's like it, it's very um, CML is never going to change. It's the same thing no matter what. Every once in a while you get a, a really hot character that comes in that actually kind of elevates attendance. And then other times you just have the same thing that's going on every single time. And it's like, you know, it kind of feels a little bit like. You know, and they get very upset when you say that it's the same old CMLL, and uh, but it's it really is. I mean, it's it's very similar. Yeah. Whereas AAA, you kind of you kind of see like it, it being a show, you kind of see a big difference from from time to time because as talent leaves, you have to figure out a different way to you know to come up with a show. And we see that in a few years later when Conan and his crew left, uh, Pena just completely um, you know I don't know where he found half of the guys he had in that promotion because some of those guys when they first started off. Um, they were very um, green, but over years they kind of became big staples of the promotion. You know, Chessman, um, the Barrio Boys, uh, many of those guys would later on become other characters in the promotion. So uh, you just it, it's it's always been something that where AAA has always kind of evolved, um, not necessarily in a good way. I should say it's not necessarily a good thing that they evolve. It's just an evolve they evolve because they have to out of necessity because sometimes you just don't have the talent that you have during a, a certain time period and you just have to continue to build up a show and do whatever. I mean, if we're not too far off where um, Vampiro was booking the promotion and it was one of the worst <laughs> years of Lucha Libre that I've ever seen as far as a promotion. Horrible stuff on AAA. Uh, once Conan came back, it was uh, a lot better. Um, what what helps a lot with um, and very similar to what was going on in the 90s is that I think a lot of the the the, the luchadors during certain periods really follow whoever is the hot character person. And Conan is kind of seen as a guy who's a visionary. So, you know, back then it was Pena that was the visionary. Now you see Conan being viewed as like the, the visionary. So they follow him and, you know, he brings in a lot of, um, a lot of good talent into the promotion, even though like he does have his faults as far as um, booking shows. Um, and, but it's like, it, it, at least it's a little bit more entertaining and he gives guys a little bit more of a, he brings in better talent too. So, um, it's very similar to what it was in the early '90s, where you were getting a lot of um, a lot of creative um, undercard matches. Um, the main events always questionable in Lucha Libre, uh, uh, especially with AAA. For whatever reason, you can never figure it out. Like sometimes, like I said, it depends on who's there that that can bring in the crowd. Like not every year, you, you not every year you're going to get Conan versus Cien Caras, who were at that point in time still at their peak as po in popularity. Uh, Let's not forget the era where Cybernetico was headlining against guys like, <laughs> like Tiger. Uh, who was it? Tiger Steel or whatever his name was. Tiger uh, Steel. Yeah, yeah. So it's like kickboxers, it, kickboxer, and all that guy. Those guys. It's like, yeah, uh, we don't, we don't, you don't get that all the time. And uh, I just think, I just think that's that's what you're seeing at this point in time in '93 is that um, two promotions. One has their view is that it's a show, 
and the other one just sticks to what they've always done, which is try to be a traditional Lucha Libre promotion. And um, and in some cases it works, and and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't work. And at this point in time, it kind of like it was. I would say it worked where they were just able to keep uh, keep it going, and then as the years went on, they started bringing back a lot of talent. And really, the the big difference was really like the guys like Silver King, Nero Casas, um, Dandy, um, Tejano, Hector, guys who were could just Hector go. Garza. Um, they, Hector Garza, those guys could just go. Satanico was still around, um, so you could still, or actually, he what he left came back. He comes back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like it's like when Santo um, came back. Yeah. And when so, the, yeah. When those guys came back is really when it kind of like got hot again. Uh, but to me, it's just like you just see two different promotions and the the way they think as far as what they basically AAA is a national type of promotion. And and CML has kind of become more of a, a, a territory where they just basically run their Mexico City, Guadalajara and Puebla shows. And that's they're OK with it. And I mean, that's fine. And that's what they want to be. They own their buildings and it's all yeah. profits. All yeah. They don't lose money. I mean, really, like I think I think somebody said that if they draw a huge crowd for an anniversary show and and maybe two or three more Fridays, they're pretty much set for the rest of the year. So it's like can't fault them for that. Yeah. Mil Mascaras and Ryder Liscuit Jr. back from suspension for tag matches on May 2nd against Kinect and Grammacus Jr. in two houses in Mexico City area. Now, now, Chris, I believe that is headlining next week's a Rena Lopez <laughs> It would not surprise me. Uh, it, it, assuming Grand Marcus Jr. can be can be brought back from the grave, you know. <laughs> well, somebody might be working as Grand Marcus Jr. Yeah, but God Uh-oh. knows they'll yeah. do that. Yeah, there, and I'm sure there is. I think there was a Marcus Jr. There was. There yeah. was. A, yeah, there was one. Right, right. This Jr. claimed the suspension was unjust, and he was jumping from CMLL to Pradesa. This is pretty much a work, a because Pereza is a worked opposition group formed to eventually have interpromotional matches once it's established its own identity. But it's really a satellite group and not opposition. And Rio's suspension is just a way for them to have a drawing card as a regular. <laughs> well, speaking of Pereza, real quick, they ran a show to Reno Capon on April 28th where we have Prince Maya over at Caminate, Impala, Olympus, and Sanson over Cerebro, El Fierro, and Lynx. The Vianos, three, four, and five over El Dandi, Silver King, and Tejano. So here's AAA against CMLL on this show. Oh. And uh, and then the, what a main event this is. In a mixed wrestling martial arts match, Kato Kung Lee defeated Kung Fu by DQ. Now, the first fall was under judo rules, won by Kung Fu. Second fall was under karate, won seven to five by Kato Kung Lee, including a kick by Kato that shut Kung Fu's right eye. Third fall was a regular lucha libre dominated by Kato uh, Kung with Kung Fu half blind. Kung Fu then used nunchucks for the disqualification. Holy shit. <laughs> well, wait. <laughs> so if Kung Fu's specialty is judo, why is his name Kung Fu? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you didn't even know what Kung Fu was. <laughs> It sounded better. Well, yeah, remember, though, sounded... also, as, as Dr. Alfonso Morales always used to tell us, all luchadors have a judo background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. From Felipe Hanley. He taught him all that stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so here's AAA and CMLL guys on this on this show here for, for Perdessa. 
I wonder how they pulled off Biano. I mean, I would think the Bianos probably had independent type of deals. Like probably. Yeah, probably. probably. And Predessa was who again? I'm blanking on who's. Yeah, I have no idea. It's <laughs> maybe a Juan Herrera thing. Oh, oh yes, it, it was. Yeah, you know what it was? It was Juan Herrera during the period he was gone from from CMLL. He was gone for like a month or something, and they brought him back. But of course. It, which yeah, Dave yeah. Dave always gets. Dave talks about how Juan Herrera is from CMLL and EMLL is bringing him back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it it was it was um it was like a one like a very brief period where he was gone. Um, I think he was involved. I think it was during the time they brought in Marco Moreno to book the um, CMLL or something. Yeah, with the uh, Red Nakapan, it makes sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, UWA, they ran El Torreo on uh, May 2nd. We had the Blackbirds and Orietal over Bad Boy, London Boy, and Ray Richard. Got off a garage junior, uh, Rene Gorajado and Viano number one over Aeroflash, Gran Apache, and Rocky Santana. Black Power 2, El Signo and Negro Navarro over Celestial, the original Sagrado, and Nuevo Adaz. Dos Caras and Enrique Vera over Vianos 4 and 5. Well, do it to WDQ, Super Libre. And in our main event, Dr. Wagner Jr. and the key letter went to a draw with Atlantis and Peroff, where Killer pinned Peroff while Atlantis pinned Wagner, which ruled a draw, even though they should have gone on. And then Atlantis challenged Doc to a title shot. That's another feud that went on forever. Atlantis and yeah. Dr. Wagner Jr. <laughs> it probably could still go today if uh, politics weren't there. So if, if Wagner hadn't quit on the promotion. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's, is we're reading all these results in 1993, and uh, half of these guys that are working these shows are still working today. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would assume, I would assume the Rene Guajardo on here is um, Junior or something. Gotta be. Yeah, because Guajardo, I think, died around that time. Yeah, like, yeah, 1991. Got me junior. Yeah. But um yeah, most of these guys like uh, the main event guys, Wagner, um, Atlantis are still rustling. Uh Viano yeah. four is in the mass tournament for Triple Yes, <laughs> yes he is. Negro Navarro still going. Yeah, Negro Navarro still very and still very good. Um, of he, he's timeless. Rocky Santana, I think, is still wrestling, isn't he? I think Rocky's still worse looking at Arena Lopez Mateo's shows. <laughs> um, I think Dos Caras may even don the tights every so often. So I wonder, uh, I wonder if this Oriental is the Oriental that um, is still wrestling now. It may be. I mean, he's yeah. an opener, so it could, it could be Young yeah. Boy Oriental. Yeah, young, young. And the Blackbirds were uh, the Blackbirds were Iceman Parsons and Brickhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> During their opening match uh, period in <laughs> Toriel de Cuatro Caminos. <laughs> yeah, Harold T. Harris in the yeah. corner. Oh, God. Yeah. Wait, how do you All say right. Rudy Poot stick in Spanish? <laughs> 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 and we close out with Tijuana, and we got We had to mention Van Pedro somewhere. Canadian Vampire Casanova, Pedro uh-huh. Jr., back from minor elbow surgery, and Black Magic were Tijuana on the... Kids Day in front of, at a forty thousand seat bull ring, but only drew fifteen hundred fans, and half that was paper. And next day in Mexico, they only drew about five hundred. Okay, so this Damn, Kids Fredo. Day, we have big names. Um, why do I get a feel the feeling that the uh, promoters of this show may have been involved in a cartel of some kind, and they may have been needing to uh, <laughs> launder some money? Why? <laughs> Why wouldn't kids want to go see Vampiro, Pierrot Jr. Black Magic? I mean, 
when you think of kids' shows, those are the three names you come up with first. Well, Canadian Vampire <laughs> Casanova has has a, has an action figure and everything. You know? <laughs> I think they all had them. Well, Pierrot did too. Uh, Black yeah. Magic did not. Yeah. But they're a TV star. I mean, he's a TV star. Right. You know, you think he would draw. And he's charismatic, <laughs> and the kid. Well, the girls love him. I don't know how much the kids love him, but <laughs> I always love whenever there's a, a a lucha promotion that pops up and they're running huge buildings, and everybody like starts asking how they got money for this promotion, and we're like, ah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't, we don't talk about that. You know, we don't talk about that. <laughs> they just have it. Just be thankful they're getting guys are getting people are getting paid. Yes. Yes. I remember some of those when I would cover the northern shows. Yeah. And that was in that time period when it was really bad in northern Mexico. And oh, yeah, you well, you I, think you I think you covered when um Cibernetico and the guys got um their bus oh, over, didn't they? Oh <laughs> yes. I remember that story well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean it got to the point where I mean there weren't nobody was running. Monterey oh. dried up. Yeah. For a while there, you know? I mean, and that was one of the hottest wrestling markets around and dried up because of the fucking cartels. Yeah. So, Still crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, who knew Lucha was going to be such a long section? Maybe not being the longest section in this show, but, man, yeah, I mean, it's great stuff. WCW, not that long this week. And, uh, in fact, in Japan's really short we'll get in that in just a few minutes but let's go wcw and let's start with the pro wrestling torch the talk of wcw hiring script writers has grown as apparently they want to enhance certain aspects of their tv shows and no soap opera writers have not been asked to book future angles what this means <laughs> is this is the mini movies fredo that we're about to start getting in 1993 lovely I, I don't know why he's so down on soap opera writers. I mean, <laughs> isn't yeah, that what Wade. we end up getting anyways? <laughs> yeah, Wade. What's wrong with soap yeah. opera writers, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but this is what that is. This is them, you know, enhancing their mini movies, which they had already been doing. They started in 92. But now it's really yeah. where it starts picking up, you know. And uh, we don't get the masters of the powerbomb on the beach without these types of writers. So uh, come on. I mean, it was enhanced that programming. In many ways. Yeah, and also, I mean, I don't notice a difference in the scripting between the various mini-movies. What's noticeable is that the budget gets much bigger with each mini-movie. Oh, yeah. Somebody was, somebody had got the, into the pocketbook yeah. and was getting money spent that wasn't getting spent before. This is when Ole's in charge. You know, first, spin the, wheel make, yeah, spin the wheel, make the deal <laughs> is not particularly high-budget looking. But oh, then you've no, got no, all no. the helicopter stuff in White Castle of Fear. Mm-hmm. And here, they clearly made an effort to spend money on this. Yeah. You know, with the one that we're about to get with the, with the, for, uh, for Bash at the Beach, well, excuse me, Beach Blast, still, yeah. at this point. And, you know, they spent, what, allegedly, like 100 grand? Or was it? Or was it 50? Uh, I think it was more than 50. Okay. They've had a 75. That sounds right. So we're in the, the middle middle area. But, you know, not just on production values, too, you know, as, you know, like Harry Smith has joked about, like, he remembers his dad saying, you know, why are they paying all these child actors when we could have just asked Harry to bring a bunch of his friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's WCW, everybody. What do you expect? <laughs> 
But anyway, all right, speaking of TV, lots of TV taping news. The TV that aired on May the 1st was taped on April 28th at Center Stage. Quick turnaround. It ranged from excellent to pathetic. They opened the show with a well-produced gimmick opening involving the Blackhearts, name misspelled on the cryon as a uh, Chiron, excuse me, as Blackhearts, H-A-R-T-S, who looked fair. Well, right, so th- real quick, though, that had been their name in some places. Yeah. That was but... their name in Calgary, you know, so well, I got the gimmick. Anyway. All right, so that, this is how WCW Saturday Night opened on May the 1st, 1993. It's one of the strangest openings to a WCW TV show you'll ever see. Let's roll the clip. WCW Saturday Night is on the air. Tony Schiavone and Jesse Ventura. Don't adjust your set. Take a look at this, Jess. Tony, it's springtime. Halloween and the eeriness of all that was six, eight months ago, wasn't it? We are opening up this program with our first look at a brand new tag team in WCW, the Blackhearts. Look at that, he disappeared. I don't know what to make of this. The Blackhearts. The Blackhearts are in the ring to begin WCW Saturday night. <laughs> well, wherever you are, good to have you with us. <laughs> okay, so since the listeners could not see that, it was basically the Blackhearts doing their little in-ring ceremony with the removing each other's comedy and tragedy type masks over the all black wrestling masks but in the ring completely almost completely in the dark in close yeah up. yeah uh, very, you didn't see wcw do shit like that production wise and that's you know at least trying something different and interesting there that's very thing too. it's very avant-garde of them yes and Bischoff's very early in, in that game of being the executive producer here. And they would, sh- you know, they would be like, you would see them in the crowd or some shit, if I remember correctly, before they actually started wrestling. Like, you see the mask and stuff, and the cameras would show them. And it looked like they were going to do something with these guys, but they just faded away. Weird. There's, I think there was a lot of guys during that period. Oh, 93 is a crazy year. There's a lot of... Like like you said, there's some excellent to pathetic, which was pretty much the best way to describe WCW in 1993. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, also, I was going to say, um, I always forget which permutation of the Blackhearts is which. This is is, uh, Dave Johnson and Tom Nash. Okay, so no, no Dave Heath. No, he is long gone. Okay, he's by working this point. in East Vampire Warrior. Yeah, he's already Vampire Warrior now. Okay. Okay, this is Tom Nash, Dave Jock. Well, also the fact that Luna just started in the WWF. Yes. So, but so, this is also this is also right before Tom Nash literally falls off the face. Well, not literally, but close to literally falls off the face of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> so Junkyard Dog and Jim Neville Neidhart debuted as a face tag team. 
Dog got a big reaction from the center stage freebies and is the best condition in years, but the match was terrible. Dick Slater was watching, and they talked about a long-time feud between Slater and the Dog. Yeah, I mean, Jay, give JYD credit. He did lose a good bit of weight for, on this run, but this is maybe the shortest run he had in WCW of all of his runs at WCW. Doesn't last long at all. He looked great in this. In, in, I saw the, I saw him on here, and he looked amazing. Like it wasn't too long ago when he was like what, like three hundred pounds practically, and here he's yeah, in yeah, he looked really damn good at that point in time. Absolutely. No, he had been on his way to getting in better shape when he was around in '92. Yeah, he was. And that that run though is by far the best he was in the ring after leaving Mid South. Yes. He clearly was trying to impress, show that he had cleaned up, got into shape, you know, wanted to prove himself to Watts, but it didn't work out. No. And Anvil here is, I mean, the thing is that guys work, still works, you know, many years after this, but he looks past his prime. Oh, he looked washed here. Yeah, and he's still working in as late as 1999-2000, so good lord. Well, at least we got the Anvilizer. <laughs> yes. His Cobra Clutch finish. Scott Norton did, destroyed the, the Z-Man. And then we get the debut of Colonel Robert Parker. Robert Fuller did an interview on the role of a heel wrestling promoter claiming he became the Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis Presley's business manager. When Day was a young child in the 60s, he always thought the Beatles were way bigger than Elvis. But now in the 90s, he's learned he was wrong 20 years after his uh, – wrong. 20 years after his death, Elvis is still being used in wrestling angles. Why nobody in wrestling ever mentions the Beatles? <laughs> I love that Dave – wrestling dictates Dave's thoughts on yeah. that. But anyway, let's watch this, shall we? This is an interesting way to debut the Colonel Parker gimmick. So let's watch this. He's interrupting a Scott Norton interview that Jesse Ventura is conducting. Yeah, Jesse's just like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> wait, wait. Who the hell are you? <laughs> My name Colonel Robert Parker. Most people call me Colonel. Who might you be, sir? Who am I? Who... I'm Jesse the Body Ventura. Yeah. You made some movies, didn't you? Yeah, a lot of <laughs> Jesse, allow me to offer you a cigar. Well, thank you, Colonel. Hey, wait a minute. This is a Cuban. Cuban cigars are contraband. Anyway, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We'll be back after this time out. And really, I got no idea this Colonel is interrupting. We'll be back after this time out. The formalities here. You know who I am, and I know who you are. Tony is a fine name. Here, Tony, have a cigar. Tony. He puts it in his mouth. I'm a promoter. My father promoted, and his father before him. Would you happen to know who Colonel Tom Parker is? Yeah, well, everybody knows who Colonel Tom Parker is. You know, it's been said. Tom Parker, by the way, is a relative of mine. My father said, and even Tom Parker himself said, that I have a minus touch. It seems like everything I touch just turns to gold. So, Tony, that's what I'm doing here, see? 
I want you to get your microphone up here good and close because I'm a tall man. You just a little fella, Tony. But I want to tell you something very important, something you should listen to carefully. I am here. Robert Parker is here to promote in WCW the greatest star of all time. Now, Tony, what you can do, you can go up here and tell some of these friends of yours. I'm sure you have a lot of friends, don't you? I have a lot of friends. You're a likable guy, Tony. Listen, tell them all, everybody <laughs> you want to be friends with, maybe your family, maybe take some regard to this yourself, Tony. Invest in Robert Parker because it's just like putting your money in the bank, if you know what I mean. Tony, I'm going to come back here one week from now. And when I return, I'm going to be bearing a contract. And I'm going to guarantee you this. It's a very good likelihood that somebody right here next week will have the opportunity of a lifetime. And that is to be the greatest star of all time. Good day to you, Tony. Good day, Colonel. Let's go to the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, the following... <laughs> It's Robert hey, Fuller yeah. doing his heel promo voice, but plantation ownering it up a bit. Yeah, he's foghorn leghorning it too, in a way. Well, that's kind of yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and we just heard him last week in a Nick, Nick Gulas segment, and doing you know that he's doing that kind of voice there in a way. But here he is, and uh, this is the beginning of his run in WCW, which would last. Four years? Damn. Yeah, four-year run. And it's Colonel Parker. So, And, of course, he would manage Sid at first and go from there. So. Well, it's a good thing WCW doesn't have a black tag team coming in soon that they might want to put a guy dressed <laughs> as a plantation owner. <laughs> well, that's way that's way in advance of this. We're, that's, you know, we're months away from that. I know, so, yeah. but... All right, so... Also this week, we hit the very first Flair for the gold. And Flair has Big Van Vader as his guest. They thought this was excellent. Everyone played their roles per so perfectly and did exactly what they should have done to tease the Flair-Vader match that should be at least nine months down the road. Which it was, almost. Starcade. All right, so... Well, it was supposed to be later, but... Yeah. But anyway... So here we go. A flare for the gold. The beginning. Welcome to a flare for the gold. Tonight's special guest will be former NWA heavyweight champion Harley Race and WCW world heavyweight champion Big Van Vader. And now, here he is, Nature Boy Rick Flair. Laughing and a joking, we're up front, a cooking and a smoking. 
bigger than our single Stealing Dusty's line. We are, ladies and gentlemen, a flare for the goat. This is why. This is why letters have come by the groves for years. People wanting to know. They say, Nature Boy, are you really? Woo! I kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun. Well, just take a look. This is it. It's a flare for the gold. Now, as I promised you, I've got a big, major sports celebrity here tonight. But before I bring him out, I know on the mind of every man in my audience tonight, everybody's asking themselves the same question. Who is this? Well, let me just step back here. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the finest French ballet that money can buy. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Fifi. Now, as I told you last week, I promised you a big-time sports celebrity, and he's here with us tonight. I'm talking about none other than the world heavyweight wrestling champion, Big Ben Vader, with the legend of The world heavyweight wrestling champion. That's right. Well, Rick, I let mean, me tell you I something. Mean, bring the big man some food. First time big... I came back to the WCW, I walked down that aisle and I walked, brought back a world heavyweight champion. No, 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 no. I got this man right here. <laughs> he this the whole three play. times around world heavyweight champion. <laughs> big Van Vader himself. You know how Vader, a lot of sandwiches. folks out there don't know that Big Van Vader was a huge success on the continent for years before he came to the U.S., made a commitment to WCW, and in a period of short years, am I right, Big Man? In a period of two years, he has worn the world title on three different occasions. Three times! That's three a remarkable feat. And there you are, Harley Race by your hey, side. We're not here to talk about the past. We're talking about the here and the now no, no, and the no. future. Um, Get on with it. Please, Nader. Boy. Nader, relax. Get on with it. I've got some questions that the public wants answered. First of all, first of all, brother, you're, he's a lot to handle, man. It is very obvious that this is scripted, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, but the thing is, though, Flair is into it, and he, he's doing a good job of what he's doing. He's into it, but it's clearly not his forte. No, but, I mean, and it's the first one, but yeah. he's trying to make it work. Also, I mean, by the way, the chair and couch are way too low to the ground, and it's very distracting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. to be fair to Flair, though, to be fair to Flair, I mean, he's way better. He's, 
He's way better than Magic Johnson was as a talk show host. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Around the same time yeah. period, too. Yeah. <laughs> the the like, couch I is would watch bed. this. Go ahead. But seriously, look at this. Look at Flair looks like he's sitting on a kid's chair. Yeah, I Harley, mean, it, it should be up higher. Harley looks like he's laying down. <laughs> well, he's had a few drinks. I mean, it looks like. I mean, that is, it, but 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 that, but that is pretty elaborate set for WCW too. Yeah. So. Well, money. Hey, hey, first time around, he sat in that seat so many times. I've sat in the seat many times over the years. How does it feel to be the most hunted man in all of professional wrestling? We the champ, night in and night out, brother. You got to be ready to defend that title against the greatest. Stars of the WCW. Hey, it's a lot to handle, brother. Let me tell you something first, Nature Boy. Vader is the hunter. He's not the hunted. And I'm tired of hearing about everybody. I'm tired of hearing about Davey Boy. I'm tired of hearing about Sting. Let me tell you something about Sting. Sting has been to Vader's school of pain. Oh, yeah, he suffered pain and he endured pain. And that's why I'm the heavyweight champion of the world, and he's not. You're looking at it, baby. Okay, hey, brother, you are the champ. I'm giving you your due. Let me ask you one more question. Let me ask you one more question. Slamboree, May 23rd. May 23rd, Slamboree, reunion of a legend. The greatest fight in pay-per-view wrestling. You've got to wrestle none other than the great European star, Davey Boy Smith. How do you feel about that, champ? <laughs> the pride of Great Britain, huh? The British Chihuahua. Yeah. Let me tell you something about Davey Boy. He's got to go to Vader's School of Pain, just like Sting did in his broken ribs, just like Ron Simmons did in his broken shoulders, just like Joe Thurman did with his broken back, just like Cactus Jack and Nikita Koloff. We can't find him because I ran him out of wrestling. So Davey Boy, got to go to school. Relax, relax. Okay, hey, one more question. One more question. Everywhere I go, the kids ask me, wrestlers ask me, hey, Harley probably wants to know too, why do you wear that mask? But you don't like my mask? I love your mask. What's wrong with my mask? I think your mask is great. Let me tell you something, brother. Vader. 
Tease a match of the future. I, th- I thought it did very well because it's not something that's imminent, you know. It's something that re- it's something to keep in the back of your mind, so to speak. But, my uh, favorite part in that whole thing was um, my favorite part was Bader getting really happy about saying Bulldog Chihuahua or whatever, or British <laughs> British Chihuahua. Like he, he kind of has like that whole uh, Cartman type of feel to it. Like oh, I just came up with something really funny. Oh. <laughs> British, British Chihuahua. Then he, what was that? The bull offense? <laughs> yeah, he was the bull of the woods. He was still in Dusty's line. Yeah. My favorite thing was him yeah. when, when, when he was trying to eat the sandwiches. <laughs> he just had the look <laughs> on his face. But um, you, you remember, you remember in Living Color? Oh God! They yes. did uh, that. Remember when they did that skit on Arsenio Hall where they were making fun of Arsenio Hall's show? Oh yeah, Keenan was Arsenio. Oh yeah, yeah. This is what kind of reminded me of for for some reason. <laughs> well, like, you know what? To... The crowd was into it though. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. They could have easily shat shit on that. <laughs> but they didn't. They were into it. So props to the crowd for for being into it. But anyway, there, there there's numerous skits, Bix. So I mean there's numerous Arsenio skits from Limit Color. But anyway, there's a flair for the gold. The first of many. So Blackjack Mulligan came out and did color the rest of the show. And he was every bit as bad as his last color set in WF in 1984, which lasted all a few weeks before they had to mercifully put his role to sleep. Then came two matches with the exact same finish, where the heel brings in a foreign object, the babyface gets it, and gets DQ for using it. The first was Tech Slash near Shanghai Pierce and the Wrecking Crew, beating the Cold Twins, Tuco Scorpio, Marcus Bagwell. Like none of these eight can do a job on television. And the second was Paul Orndorff defending the TV title against Ron Simmons. It, and it, 
they finished the show with a wild pull-apart brawl with Dustin Rhodes and Britt Rude, in which Dusty appeared on the scene. Uh-oh. Well, let's go to that, shall we? As uh, we started up this show off with the Blackhearts and that weird intro, and then we end the show like this. Introducing first, from Austin, Texas, weighing 261 pounds, the United States, the champion, the natural, Dustin What are we supposed to think with two minutes left in the show? Well, you think it's going to be either a quick squash match or there's an angle coming, so... Uh... Well, we are, we are awaiting the arrival... Don't get too excited. Wait, there's no Dustin Rhodes. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. To my left here, what travesting Rick Rude has made it out here. What's, where's Dustin? Giovanni, I got all gussied up in my Sunday go-to-meeting clothes just to come here and watch Dustin Rhodes compete. But rumor has it there's been a little mishap that took place back in the training room. I don't know if Dumbo the elephant accidentally slipped and fell off the trainer's table, or maybe Baby Huey got a little analgesic balm in his eyes, but whatever the case may be, <laughs> Dustin Rhodes isn't going to be able to participate today. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait just a second. Here he is. I, can't. I thought you would have had enough of me for one day, Rhodes. There he's going to the ring, and there. I thought you had enough of me for one day, Isn't this a touching scene in the ring right now? We not only have the disease, but we have the spread of the disease. I can't believe after all these months of talking bad, Dustin Rhodes, you're going to hide behind it. I told you, it's busted loose, Tony. Great way to end the show. Different way to end the show. Different way to begin the show. And that was a different way of doing. They didn't do no many stuff like that where, you know, Rude shows up unannounced from the opposite side. Wearing yes, a suit. and the camera swinging around. Again, that seems like something where Bischoff is trying to experiment with the production of the show. And it yeah. worked. And how many times did you even get an idea of where the match entrance and the interview set entrance were relative to each other on center stage on Never. TV before this. Only if you were in the building. So, yeah, very different. And Mulligan trying... Mulligan talking over as rude as talking. <laughs> Somebody should have clued him and said, hey, uh, lay out for this one, Jack, because... The, I mean, you can only basically hear rude. You just basically hear Murdoch... I mean, Mur Mulligan... You know, in the background, you can't hear a damn word he's saying, which, you know, might not be the bad thing, but still, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing for him. But yeah, very fun way to close the show. So, uh, different. Different indeed. All right. We'll have another clip uh, coming up in just a minute. 
But first, uh, both Carl Styles and David Taylor from England were given tryouts after the taping. Styles didn't look good. Taylor said they'd been really good worker, but no charisma. They probably didn't work with the heel either, so there you go. He showed his charisma as a heel later on. Yeah. All right, so after being the hottest angle in wrestling just a week ago, the Catnish Jack Angle was pretty much killed off this weekend. The only acknowledgement was an interview that seemed designed more to getting the new trainer over than getting Catnish Jack over. For an interview, it appears they're going in the direction of Jack suffering from amnesia and coming back at some point and not remembering anything. All right, Bix, here we go. You're going to love this. So let's go to Tony Schiavone interviewing the new trainer of WCW. Uh-oh. Actress Jack last week on the program, not a very pretty sight. Let's go now to my colleague, Tony Schiavone, who's standing by with the WCW trainer in the training room. Over to you, Tony. What do you got for us? Okay, thank you very much, Jesse Ventura. Yes, we are back in the training room. And each and every week here during our television tapings of World Championship Wrestling, we're very fortunate to have a man that I really introduced to the fans kind of by accident last week, Chuck Taché, who is the yes! signed by Turner Broadcasting <laughs> to the athletes here during World Championship Wrestling. This is the training room. And, of course, uh, during the course of the night, not only during our television events, but also the events... Uh, uh, throughout the country, Chuck is here with the athletes uh, tending to their injuries. Chuck, tell us about uh, your role here with World Championship Wrestling and how it kind of maybe changed last week when you had to involve yourself with the injury to Cactus Jack. Well, in most cases, um, I'm here for preventative measures and to take care of the minor injuries, you know, the sprains, strains, um, also to evaluate if they're the seriousness of these sprains and strains and if they need to be seen by a doctor. Last week, Cactus Jack sustained an injury to the uh, upper torso and neck and head area, which is a very scary um, situation because you're not quite sure what is going on. And he did lose a little bit of semi-consciousness. So to get a lot of information from him was, was difficult. Um, in that situation, you just basically monitor their vital signs and maintain that they stay um, still. Um, until further help arrives and then take him to the hospital for further examination. Okay, and that's exactly what happened at the end of our program. The, uh, uh, the ambulance arrived. Uh, we took Cactus Jack to the hospital. Now tell us, uh, you have been the one man who's been in contact uh, with this situation. We've had a lot of phone calls the last week at World Championship Wrestling, our office at the CNN Center. Tell us about what you know about the extent of his injury, his diagnosis uh, from that point on. Um, right now, what we do know, and the only thing we really know, is the Cactus Jack sustained a um, concussion. Mm -hmm. And at present, he is um, experiencing some unawareness periodically, you know, coming in and out, um, which can be serious um, to some degree, but it continues to need to be followed up and uh, monitored to uh, check his progress. Have you been able to talk to Cactus at all himself? I have not been able to talk to Cactus Jack at present. Um, I have talked to the doctor, and he has sustained a concussion. Like I said, all we know, and I will probably this week be talking to the doctor and following up on his progress. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. I know you're very busy here tonight with our athletes, Chuck. Thanks a lot. And uh, that's it from the training room, Jesse. Let's go back to you. Thanks indeed, Tony, for that report, and things not looking too bright right now for Cactus Jack. But the action continues here on WCW Saturday night on TBS. Let's go up to Gary Kopetsky at ringside. Oh, Hell yeah, Chuck uh, Tashe. Fuck off, Danny Young. There's up. only one Chuck Tashe. <laughs> Chuck Tashe, <laughs> yes. <laughs> A legend.
Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's one of the things that's cool about WCW. And that's not just a Bischoff era thing that like they would point out these people. <laughs> yes, the uh the, the secondary characters, the people that are behind this Doug yeah, Dillinger, yeah. Alan Sharp, uh, Rob Garner, you know? Yeah. Nate Lambros. <laughs> exactly. All these all these great people that are behind the scenes. <laughs> it also shows, too, in terms of, you know, WCW has a lot of issues at this time, but I don't think WWF had an athletic trainer full-time at the, this point, did they? Well... Not no, and WCW always had their credits, you know, in the pay per views. WF didn't do that, mm-hmm. so you get you would read all these people's names off that were working in the company. You knew them. Oz, they would talk about Oz Coleman, the cameraman, and I mean they, they would they had they would talk about all these people. Wendy Turnbuckle, you know, I mean, a whole bunch of, of people would get name name checked on WCW yeah. television. But this may be my favorite part of the whole clips so they have a they slamboree's coming and they're doing these legend moments so now we have a slamboree moment with the assassin this is great you know one of the more interesting and exciting aspects of the legends reunion at slamboree 93 is the fact that a symbol all in one big room are going to be some of the greatest wrestling competitors that ever stepped in the ring, but also assembled in that same room are going to be some of the greatest egos ever assembled at any one given time. You know, about that many egos all in one little room. Anything's liable to happen. I'd like to take this opportunity now to introduce a few more of the legends that are going to appear there. Greg Gagne will be there. The legendary Vern Gagne will be there. Nick Bockwinkle, Jumpin' Jim Brazil, they'll all be there. And of course, <laughs> let us not forget <laughs> the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. You're going to be there, aren't you, Mr. Rhodes? You know, I still got a big score to settle with you, Rhodes. But I realize that at the Legends reunion at Slammery 93, that's not the place to do it. Or is it? Well, let me say this to you, Rhodes, in all honesty and all fairness. Just don't get too close to me during the course of the evening, or I may have to forget that I am a gentleman, and we might just finish what we started a long time ago, Rhodes. You remember that. Now, next week, I understand that the legendary Ole Anderson is going to be here, and he's going to have more information on more legends that's going to appear at the Legends Reunion, Slammery 93. God bless the assassin. <laughs> oh, Dusty the assassin had a fun feud that year. And you know, no one could cut a promo like the assassin on. Oh, he's TV. he's no, <laughs> well, you follow him with Ole. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. did we ever find out what the significance of "ask your mama"? Though <laughs> I don't think so, but yeah, I mean, God, the assassin was so fucking awesome. Oh, wish I had more early assassin stuff. Mm. 
TV ratings continue to be unimpressive. Saturday night did a, uh, which was on May 1st, first show after the bit where Katniss was carted off, did a 2.1 rating, which showed that as well done as that angle was, it really had minimal effect on the number of viewers. But Power, I mean, event, both did 1.8 that same weekend. All right, house shows, and this is not good. A-team house shows in Raleigh, Roanoke, Greenville, and Harrisonburg, Virginia, drew in the $6,500 to $8,500 gate range, or worse than awful. I don't even want to hear how the B-team did, Dave said. This is the A-team in Raleigh at Dorton Arena, 900 fans. Um, 900 fans. And listen to the car. We had Kent Cole over Fury in your opening match. Then Max Payne over Keith Cole. Arn Anderson, Eric Watts over Bobby Eaton and Chris Benoit. Rick Rude over Brad Armstrong. And then Dusty Rhodes retaining the U.S. Heavyweight title over Paul Orndorff. Barry Windham retaining the NWA World Heavyweight title over Ron Simmons. And Big Van Vader retaining the WCW World Heavyweight title over Ricky Dragon Steamboat. That car should have drawn more than 900 fans. But it's WCW, everybody, and their house show department sucks. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Now, if you think someone doesn't have it for Philadelphia, these are the top five matches on the May 21st show. Barry Windham against Van Hammer. Arn Anderson against Bobby Eaton. Dustin Rose against the Barbarian. Did he turn babyface or was that just a dream? Aaron Watts versus Paul Lordorf, and Brad Armstrong is Max Payne. <laughs> what? <laughs> if Philly was, I mean, they just ran a pay in Philly. What? Well, they uh, obviously want. They obviously think Van Hammer is going to draw a huge. Oh yeah, Van Hammer in the main event for the NWA <laughs> World Heavyweight Title. Sure. And Good here we world. were making fun of the NWA World Now it's Van Hammer challenging. Why do you even book that? <laughs> Who? Uh, it's like, what? What's going on here? All right. The latest on Tully Blanchard this week is that he's not coming back, coming in, because he's mad that he was offered less money than Johnny B. Bad and Jim Neidhart were given, and less than Tom Zink is earning. Of course, that all could change by the time you read this. I thought I thought the Tully Blanchard thing was years before. This is another one. He, this, is Paul, <laughs> this, is, well, this is why Paul Roma is in. Because uh, that was supposed to be Tully. Even though Tully's in the building. He's supposed to be the original horseman. <laughs> oh. Going to reunite. And then they brought Roma out. It was advertised as the original horseman reuniting, wasn't it? Yes. Wow. And, and then... I mean, that's... You can't blame Jim Hurd for this one. You know? So... Well, you can blame Jim Hurd for Tully's for distrust. <laughs> yeah, but if Tully, if they're offering Tully less than Tom Zink at this time, with Tom Zink is not a push wrestler, Bix, that's not. I mean, that's not good. Well, he doesn't not bring good. in the ladies like Zeman does. <laughs> no, he used to, but not anymore. All right, and the. The torch has uh, Mike Weber talking to Mike Mooneyham of the Charleston Post Courier. Yes, Fight TV's Mike Weber, who's working in WCW at this time as PR guy. Uh, he talked to Mike Mooneyham about Cactus Jack, saying he's one hurt puppy. Nothing's been determined yet as to what will happen to Big Van Vader, but he's not scheduled our next TV tapings. I don't know what the X-rays reveal, but he's got so many crap bones in his body, it would be hard. Cactus will obviously be laid up for some time. 
And you should have tech. You should have called them uh, trillers, Mike Weber, since well, they did buy a uh, flip slash <laughs> by TV. So he, he does technically work for Triller, and that something about that sounds funny. So yeah, and Mac. I don't know how much of this is a product of the time when clearly the biggest actual injuries he has here is whatever concussion and or stinger he got. Um, but I feel like, well, also that we know that he almost lost consciousness or was semi-conscious or whatever. It's, it seems weird that even if you're being more cavalier about head and neck injuries, that it's being phrased this way. Yeah, I don't know. And that's off of the shortest Japanese session maybe I've ever done. It has uh, All Japan and New Japan both are off. Tour will start up uh, the 1st of May, which is not during our week in particular, the shows. So we got some indie shows to talk about. Starting with uh, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, April 30th at Takamatsu General Gym in front of 2518. It's not Kids Day in Japan, so this is well, I just day. Well, I just realized <laughs> what it is. It's the, the first week of May is Golden Week. And our yes. week ends right before the big shows get started. The exactly. big shows start yes. on the third. Yeah. Which we talked about on show 42 with Dave Prezak. Ah. All right. Uh, Shar Shashuya over at Yuki Nabeno in your opener. Ricky Fuji over Choden Senshi Battle Ranger Z. Miguma Kudo and Miwa Sato over Combat Toyota and Rie Makamura. Dr. Hannibal went to a no contest with the original Sheik in 149. And Dr. Hannibal is uh, Steve Gillespie, I believe. Yes. Rie Nakamura won an eight-woman battle royal. Tarzan Goto beat Sabu. And then a street fight main event, Big Titan and the Gladiator, teamed up with Dr. Luther to beat Asusha Nita, Greg Rivera-Chef, and Ijiazaki, the future Hayabusa. Nothing says street fight rules like Gregory Verachev. <laughs> yes. I mean, you're also shortchanging Big Titan... Yeah, that style. I mean, he's a regular here in that style. Grigory Virachev's a leftover from the more martial arts era, frontier martial arts. Well, well, Chris is shortchanging Big Titan by not referring to his future as Razor fake, Ramon, fake Razor, or yes, <laughs> Big Titan, or fake future Razor. New Japan, future New Japan T two thousand, well T two thousand, I guess, or in well, the, and, the NWO NWO superstar Japan. Big Titan, yeah. NWO Japan, oh. yes. Big Titan. Yes, and also uh, he ended up being a life coach, I think it was, too. Late in life. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he was. Michinoku Pro, they ran a show May 1st at the Waga Multipurpose Exhibition Hall in Kitakami's. And this is, yeah, one of their very first shows. They started in mid-April, I think. Yeah. Shiru Kaseyashi beat Yoshikumi Kimura. Who's that? <laughs> Who knows? Liparo uh, Negro defeated Akihiro Yonakawa. Soshi Amada over Karu by disqualification. Scorpio Jr. Hey, there you go, Fredo. Scorpio Jr. here. Yeah. And Super Delphin over Kendo and Takamichinoku. And then in the main event, Great Sasuke and Sato, all caps, Dick Togo over Espantos 4 and 5. So we got some Espantos there were. So we got yeah, well, we got some of uh, Sasuke's lucha friends here on the show. Yeah, well, there's a lot more of that flavor in early Mishinoku Pro as well. It's it's the ones for Toriyama, Fredo. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. 
Espanto um, four and five. Okay, wait. So this is the f- May first. Espantos. <laughs> there are a lot of members of the Espanto family. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Mission Cooper started in March. Actually, I don't know why I thought it was April. But yeah, Kamura yeah, has no uh, profile on any of the websites, so he must have been a quick, uh, short-lived trainee. Yeah, and Yonakawa was Yone, is Yone Genjin. It's correct. Yeah, uh, Leopardo Negro is Hanzo Nakajima. Correct. And uh, is that it? That guy was. As... That... He was great. That guy was great. Hanzo Nakajima. Kendo's Kendo and Scorpio Jr. Scorpio Jr. Yes, um, and something worth mentioning here too is um, this came up randomly on Twitter a few weeks ago when Sean Waltman saw I think what was it a gift that Alan Blackstock tweeted I think and was talking about just what a great worker he thought Kru was and he was talking about and I didn't know this that. She basically got fired from All Japan Women for getting married and was technically part of the Universal Lucha Libre roster for a few years. So they they were bringing in all sorts of women to wrestle her when she was no longer in All Japan Women, which I did not know, but also helps explain why someone that talented was on the outs with All Japan Women since it was still technically the Three No's era. Yeah. All right, uh, Pro Wrestling Crusaders made the show Bix. Yeah. They ran Prince Hotel Multipurpose Hall in Kitakushu in front of 1595. And they had a prize money tournament. We don't know <laughs> how much was on the line, but we had some prize money. Uh, we have Masahiro Hashibe over at Yukimura. <laughs> Your opener, who I don't know. Uh, Masaru Toi over at Satoshi Kuroda. And we have. Takuba Benke over Takashi Akiyama, Masaru Toy over Masaru Toy over Benke, and then Jiro Inazuma and Shunji Takano over Iron Horse, Danny Lou Gehring, and Asao Takagi. Pro Wrestling Crusaders, everybody. So, who knows? Rings! They ran Cork and Hall on April 30th. And a uh, basically like a Young Lion version of Rings show here in front of 1,500 fans. We have Masuya Nagai over Nobuhiro Shuramaki. Yuki Shikawa over Kurichi Kimura. Masuyuki Naruse over Yukihiro Takamaki. And Adam Watt over Tsurihiko Iwashida. So, yeah, very young Naruse, Nagai, and Ishikawa, and, and Kimura on this one. Working for working Rings branded show. So, there's Japan. Like I said, not a whole lot of nothing going on in Japan right now. They're, no. Like I said, gold, golden wings about to pick, get going. And nothing really to talk about on these shows either. No, they just regular shows. So, yeah. Although I'm kind of intrigued by the prize money tournament. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a few bucks. Yeah, All right. Really. Uh, all right, so it's halftime. So after some great 1993 commercials, we'll come back. We'll talk about Patreon show. We'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back. Fredo will join us as we go to the U.S. indie scene, where we have some uh, news on some New England indie shows, new promotions starting up, some of Bix's uh, Tri-State Heroes, and the, one of the greatest <laughs> wrestling matches in the history of Memphis television. All that more after the break. First Sunday is brought to you by Fiesta, where you always find lower food prices. 
Why shop at Fiesta? Lower food prices like these. Delicious. Three sweet mangoes, just $1.19. Farm tender fresh ground beef, just 94 cents a pound in the family pack. Pick up big savings on Mr. Pibb, Minute Maid Orange, Welch's Barks, regular diet cherry Coke. The six-pack of 12-ounce cans, 99 cents. Make a great dip. Five California Haas ripe avocados, just a dollar. Every week, every day, in every department, Fiesta has lower food prices. It's this weekend only, Sunnyland's incredible 33% off sale. This weekend only, save at least 33% on furniture and accessories for your dining room, living room, bedroom, for every room in your home. Save at least 33% on Drexel, Heritage, Baker, Henredon, Karastan, Kindle, Lineage, and more. When Houston wants quality, they come to Sunnyland. And this weekend only, save at least 33%. Only at Sunnyland, America's great furniture store. Discover the spirit of the arts with the Spirit of Texas at the 1993 Houston International Festival. Join Channel 11 at the Texas Stage Sunday, April 25th for Grady Games at the Texas Upsetters. The Basics on Saturday, May 1st. And Joe King Carrasco on Sunday, May 2nd. It's a 10-day salute to Mexico at the 1993 Houston International Festival. Brought to you by Channel 11, the Spirit of Texas. Texans are talking Pontiac's three-year smart drive. Right, three-year smart drive. What's that? $199 a month for 36 months, worry-free. For a limited time, buy Grand Am for $199 a month and get an additional $500 regional rebate for your down payment. $199 a month for 36 months, worry-free. Now buy Grand Am for $199 a month at your Texas Gulf Coast Pontiac dealers. Whoa, that's a sweet deal. Hurry, offer in soon. Having trouble disciplining your kids? Well, relax and tune into 11 News. They'll tell you the 10 worst discipline mistakes the parents make, plus how to handle bedtime, spanking, and a whole lot more. So the next time your kids get on your last knock, you'll know what to do. The do's and don'ts of discipline, Monday at 10 on 11 News. Because it's not just the news, it's the spirit of Texas. Tommy, we're sending in the SWAT team. Gotta go. I just came from a funeral. Some time ago, the family bought a life insurance policy through the mail. To their surprise, it didn't cover all the costs. That's why I saw my funeral director and chose the forethought plan. I received more than a life insurance policy. My funeral director guaranteed that my funeral can be provided without additional cost. I have peace of mind knowing my family won't be burdened financially. Talk to your funeral director about funeral planning and about the forethought plan. When you need to know, listen to News Radio 740 KTRH. All right, we're back. And hope you enjoyed those great 1993 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show, where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we do have a new Patreon show up covering part one of our multi part look at Titan Gate 92. These scandals that rocked the World Wrestling Federation, steroids, drugs, ring boys, other sexual uh, innuendos. Yes, all kinds of stuff that was going on. And uh, part one is a doozy. Yes. One of the longest Patreon shows we've ever done. Oh, I think it is the longest. Yeah, I haven't done the editing yet as we're recording this, but we did – since we recorded the main show, we did finish recording it. And I – 
at least before doing all my little tricks and stuff, it, it is definitely well over six hours. Yes. It's because we got clips. I and mean, that's one of the main parts of the show. We got Vince on Larry King. We got the Donahue stuff, which, you know, we played when we did the Graham show. We just mainly focused on the Graham stuff and when everybody was on stage. This show, we focus on the beginning of the show when it's Tom Hankins, Barry Orton, uh, Murray Hodgson, and Vince at a roundtable with Donahue, yes. which is ex- kind of explosive as well. So uh, definitely a show you need to listen to, and you need to tell everybody that you know to listen to it. And to do that, it's $5 a month at patreon.com slash between the sheets. $5 gets you access to that show, all the other shows that we've done in our five-plus years of the Patreon and uh, we'll get, you know, if you keep on going, you'll have access to the rest of these shows. So uh, go ahead and get in on it. It's five dollars for uh, for a month, and annual is sixteen percent off of that. So that comes to what? What's the total on that? Fifty dollars and forty cents. Fifty, forty. So there you go. A good deal. Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. Twenty-five dollars. Well, $1, if you want to just put that down, that gets you access to the Discord, and thanks to this segment, which we'll do in just a minute. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, have two shows in your mind when you're doing this, if you want to do this, because somebody could have picked the week that you want, or, so I mean, this could be a show we've already done. It could be something we've already talked about on a previous show that could have been the beginning of a week, end of a week, whatever, and you may have forgotten. So... If there's any questions that you might have about that, then uh, get with either one of us, and we will get you straightened out on that regard. And we want to know, you know, we'll know why you're picking this show. And that's always good to know that. And uh, if you uh, have an ulterior motive for the time-wise, as far as uh, want to promote something, then let us know that too, so we can make sure everything works out that way as well. So, uh, and again, Patreon. Patreon type stuff is not um, requested for. So you don't take requests for Patreon shows. Uh, we won't, When you put your request down, it has to be for a regular weekly formatted show as we yes. put out every Monday. That's it. Nothing else. No, no uh, theme shows. No know, theme shows. No shows about one person and like that. So $25, you know, gets you access to that. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website. 30-day rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday of the year that you want your show in, either this year or next year, not the year of the show you're picking. And, uh, yeah, you do all that, you should be straight. $50 allows you to pick a segment for the show and 100 for the whole show. Sit in for a segment. 100 you sit in for the whole show if you, if you want to. It's up to you. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, picks. We have that this week as our new and or returning patrons. Well, it's that time of the month. Although last last month, this time of the month was pretty fruitful. So we really just have one, which is uh, going from monthly to annual for Engorge the George. Engorge the George. Thanks, Engorge the George. Very interesting uh, name. <laughs> yeah. Um, not so, sure what uh, I make of that entirely. If we're going to have a... Uh, one one Patreon week, then that is a um, interesting name to remember. So we thank you, Engorge <laughs> George. 
We thank all the, everybody else. We thank all you old patrons, new patrons, patrons that have uh, been there from the beginning, coming along the, the way. We thank all of you for being with us at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, IWTV, IWTV, Bix, what's going on there this week? Well, let's see. As I thought I was on that tab, and I was not. So as we are recording this, this coming weekend, this past weekend, as you're listening to this, uh, live streams, we've got the latest wrestling open. We've got a Without a Cause show featuring our dear friend uh, Daniel Maccabe, who we should be getting on back soon. Excuse me, back on the show soon, shouldn't we? Just got to get everything right. Yeah, we've got an Invictus Pro show, Freelance Underground. Oh, and I guess the main event, well, a few things actually, uh, would be the WWR Plus show on Sunday and also our dear friend Mikey Blanton's Black Label Pro Fancy Wrestling. That was also on Sunday by the time you hear this. And all of those should be up on demand by the time you hear this, if not shortly thereafter. So I think we went over some of those in detail last week, right? I guess so. I don't remember. Although we do have actually the updates now that I check for fancy wrestling as far as the talent changes coming off of the people who had to pull off of the show, um, including – yeah, pull, pull off the show for a reason that still nobody has officially talked about. Even though it's very weird that no one's officially talking about it because it's not it, a big deal. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, actually, as of the as of when we're recording this, I'm very confused because you would think the thing they were pulled from would have been publicly announced by now. Yes, and I'm only we're not saying it because I don't think I heard in any capacity that was not off the record. So, anyway, it's it's nothing to be concerned about. Is just what I'll say then. But anyway, it's just silly. Well, also, people <laughs> should by the time people hear this show, they should know what it is, right? Probably. But anyway, um, so we now have a decision match for the vacant Black Label Pro Championship with PCO taking on Joshua Bishop, Levi Everett, and Kobe Durst in a four-way. Plus, show also includes uh, Tom Lawler defending the Midwest title against Davey Richards. Our dear friends, Violence is Forever defending the tag titles against the main event, the New York main event, not the ones now known as TME. Uh, Impact X Division title on the line with X with, bleh, with Ace Austin defending against Devin Monroe, and much more, including I am shocked no one had booked this match previously. Dan the Dad versus Billy Starks. Yeah, this is like a, it was a match that probably should have happened somewhere. The guy with the dad gimmick wrestling the seventeen-year-old girl. Yes. Yes. So much more. Josh Alexander, Cody Lane, Myron Reed, Anthony Green, which. Relative, at least in the way the lineup is listed, relatively down the card, even though it's probably one of the best matches on paper. Shaz McKenzie's on the card, so good-looking stuff here. I'm very curious to see what it looks like with the alleged dress code for the fans and wrestlers, though. Yeah, that that one could get interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit, but still. I know, I know, but still. I uh, think we're going to see a lot of Canadian tuxedos. There'll be a lot of tuxedo shirts, I'm sure. Yes. sure. Yes. So there is that. Um, and what else? Oh, wait, I should have opened the live back up to talk about next week. I shouldn't have closed that. Um, sorry, a little hazy today when we're recording this. So then next weekend, well, this coming weekend, as of when you listen to this, 
Oh, of course. The premiere of Uncharted Ta- Territory Southeast First on uh, the day this comes out, Monday, May. I mean, the day of next week's show coming out, Monday, May the 9th. There you go. Which uh, I'm trying to see. Do they have anything announced for that yet? And that should be interesting since we have a bunch of friends involved with that, of course. Uh, okay, we do have matches announced. We have IWTV title, AC Mack defending against Slade. Uh, Sup Bone Storm title, Alec Price defending against Ashton Starr. Violence is Forever is Culture Inc. Jaden Newman, Alex Kane, Adam Priest, Damian Tangra. And Kenzie Page versus Shaza McKenzie. And anything else that is of note that weekend... Uh, there's another Stan Styles intergender bonanza show, Blitzkrieg Pro, and more. So, of course, as always, lots of live streams on IWTV. And if you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD at sign up. So we get our little referral fee for as long as you're a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right. Well, let's talk about private internet access, shall we? Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and how many, in many times, or even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help you. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network admin. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geo-block content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. It don't get no better than that, folks. And if you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for BTS listeners. And the deals are this. You get $11.95 per month. You get a three-year plus four free months for $1.98 a month. Yearly, $3.33 a month. The best deal, of course, is 83% off. That's the three-year plus four free months at $1.98. That's $79 for three years off. So, wow. I mean, that's amazing right there. So, privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets is on that. Well, remember, and, no, uh, it's three years plus four months. That's what I said. Three years plus four, four, free, four, four free months. Yes. So, that's, so, yeah, so it's, it's basically $2 a month if you pay for the three years. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN in the market. And if you get it right now, you could take uh, private internet access's 30-day risk-free challenge. You can try it out for 30 days and see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So, go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk free again private internet access.com slash between the sheets all right good deal all right uh plug time next week's between the sheets we go back to 1990 and uh we'll be talking about uh hulk hogan and, and uh, his plans for the 
spring and summer in the WWF and what might be going on there. We got uh, all kind of stuff from the indie scene, especially from Memphis and uh, Dallas, of course, and other various uh, cities and uh, promotions we'll talk about. We got Japan. We got New Japan running a three tr- three days in a row at Cork and Hall to talk about a big UWF show at the Budokan. Tenukunichiro leaving all Japan. Well, that's already happened, but it's the what's going to happen now that he's gone. And in the NWA, the very last day of our week, Ole Anderson is announced as the booker. Well, he's not announced. He's hired as the booker. It's not announced until after our week, but he's hired as the booker for the National Wrestling Alliance. And uh, Steve Beverly in Matt Watch, which comes out week and a half after this happens, gives a thorough day-by-day summary of the events that led to this happening. And we'll have Dave Meltzer's thoughts as well on uh, what would have happened if Cowboy Bill Watts took that job. So all that and more next week on Between the Sheets with first-time guest J.D. Oliva joining us. So it should be a really fun show. J.D.'s been around a while, and uh, he's done podcasts for, so he's no rookie at this. So it should be really fun next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me at, on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at B-T Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And Bix, what's going on in your world this week? Hell if I know. <laughs> well, I guess that means nothing. Uh, I other mean, than, off the uh, top of my head. Other than doing you, 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 what you normally do. so uh, Yeah, I'll have some, I'll have some stuff out soon. I was taking a little break. Yeah, follow Bix on Twitter for all that. All right, well, that's it for this. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to the indie scene now, as Fredo's back with us. And let's go to New England, as we have the IWF. They ran a show in Dedham, Massachusetts, on April 30th in front of 1,200 fans. It was the Bulldozer over Tim McNeeny. Jamie West over Brittany Brown by disqualification. Richard Byrne over Chris Duffy. Cowboy Chris Duffy by disqualification. Smooth operator over some guy named Terrorizing. Then we have Mad Doll Richards over Candyman. Perry Saturn over Tony Roy, longtime WF job guy. And your main event, Jimmy Snook over the Honky Tonk Man. So this is, if not Triple H's first match, one of his very first, right? Uh, yeah, April third, nineteen ninety-three. Yeah, he's very, very young in the business at this point in time. Yeah, I I feel like I've seen an actual first match date. Let me see if it's on cage match to get an idea here. The earliest one on cage match, at least, is an IWF show from May twenty second. Uh, July night. Oh well, he no, it's it's wait, no, he's he, his debut was March twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two. So he's a year in. He's okay. already been champion. That's right. He, he's already he's already been champion. He now, was granted, by he was John John Rodeo. <laughs> he was not working a lot of matches, I don't think, though. So this is still very early, you know. Even if he's about a year in, um, and his first went, his first uh, match was against uh, and beating Tony Roy. Of course, it was Tony Roy or Antoine Wah. <laughs> well, this is in Massachusetts, a so Tony Roy. Yeah, Antoine I mean, Wah, I... uh, Wah was more for when he would work uh, Quebec and stuff, right? Yeah. Or no, actually, no. He would use it for heat in New England too. I think. Now that I think about it. 
probably uh, the northern part of New England. Vermont. It's and pretty. It's, it's it's pretty impressive to see how quickly Terra Rising moved up in the business. He's a WCW okay. in '94. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nine, two years in the business. Yeah. Well, yeah. he had that. He had that look. Yeah. He, he he did not have the independent look. You know, never he had, did. He had the right look, and he also had. Kowalski behind them too. That, yeah, yeah. Well, the you know the Eliminators are in USWA 1994 as well. So uh, you know those those guys are you know branching out and doing pretty big things already that that early in their career. All right, uh, Demolition Axe Bill Eady won the All Star Wrestling Can Am title from Snuka on May second at a TV taping in Bellarica, Massachusetts. In which Killer Kowalski actually worked this show, beating the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty. And here's our results of the TV taping. And we know we already said Jimmy Snuka's worth in the show. So Metal Maniac beat Scott Sharkey. Then Rio, Lord of the Jungle, yes, that's the Renegade, beat Jimmy Snuka by disqualification. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Tony Ulysses <laughs> over Chris Simpson. Perry Saturn over Black Cat. Not Victor Marr. <laughs> no. Or uh, Gerald Finley in uh, Crockett Promotions in 85 under a mask. Scott Taylor, Scott Tuhati over Steve Ramsey. The Terrorizer over Bob Moran. Okay, wait a second. That has to be terrorizing. Gotta be. Got to be. Then we have Demolition Axe over Playboy Vince Apollo. Hey. Then Terrorizing over Black Cat. Kowalski over Doherty. Ulysses over Bob Moran. Chris Simpson over Perry Saturn by disqualification. Then Perry Saturn went to no contest with Scott Taylor. Axe went in the KM title. And then Metal Maniac over Bob Moran is your final match of the evening. So, some TV taping here for probably some public access channel. Who knows? Yeah. And, I mean, we're going to see more of it, I guess, when we get to these upstate New York results, too. It, like, New England does not have a half bad uh, nexus of local talent at this time. Yeah, as we go to upstate New York, where Tony Rumble debuted his version of a, a Can-Am Wrestling Federation on May 1st in Oxnenburg, New York, with Vic Steamboat beating Rip Martel to become the first heavyweight champion, and Ray Odyssey beating Tasmania to become the first junior heavyweight champion. Other results, Seaway Skipper over Sonny Blaze, Tiger Jackson over Little Louie, Tony Atlas over Tommy Dreamer. The Bushwhackers over the Puccios, Double Trouble, Tony and Val, and then Vic Steamboat over Rip Martel. What a car this is. Well, it's like Tony Rumble's CWA shows would look like, too, where they basically look like Savaldi productions without Savaldi's. And with WWF talent. Yeah. So, no crowd listed, so we don't know how much Tony Rumble drew to uh, mm-hmm. add more to his case at as being one of the great independent promoters of all time. so And probably one of the most just generally like indie Hall of Fame-worthy figures, too. Yes. And then we go to Universal Wrestling Superstars picks. Jake Roberts and Hercules both no-showed their uh, May 1st card in Rome, New York. It was announced that both, both missed their flights out of Mexico, which in the case of Jake, with all the commotion after Triple Mania, is probably the truth. Don't know what the story was on Hercules. Well, maybe he was in Mexico for other reasons. <laughs> That's you, not it. Fred, 
that's just me and Fredo knows what I'm talking about with the laugh. Uh, yeah. DDP worked the show, which is the first day I've ever heard of him resurfacing since disappearing after a shoulder injury in WCW. Which everyone forgets that he has his period out of WCW. This is it. All right, the results here. We have King Kalua over Larry Briscoe. Professor Larry Briscoe. Yes. Then a 12-man battle royal, one by Demolition, Axe, and Blast, who split uh, the win. Boss Hogg went to double count out with Cousin Lou. Oh, good lord. To be clear, that is Boss <laughs> Hogg Calhoun, the guy who constantly <laughs> bragged about being the grandson of Haystacks Calhoun, despite not being his grandson. Going to a double count out with Hillbilly Cousin Luke. There is yes. not a more New York indie match you could have in 1993 than the dueling New York indie hillbillies. <laughs> well, I'm not done. Kodiak Bear beat Damian Stone. Next. Well, maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Damian Stone being Little Guido. Yes. Who was uh, resurfaced again in Impact. How about that? Good for him. Yes. And then uh, Diamond Dallas Page over Chino Caruso. Oh. oh. <laughs> and then Demolition 2000, Axe and Blast beat the Italian Stallion and Scott Putsky. So Demolition 2000 beat Italian Stallion and Conan 2000. Yes. <laughs> and not. Uh, I, I'm not sure if this is Sabal. I don't think it is. Who is the Italian stallion here in New York? I I have no reason to believe it's anyone other than Gary Sable and, there's and Gary a lot of, Cordinelli. Well, there's a lot of Italians in that area, so... But he's enough of an established name. I mean, this isn't... This isn't having your multiple homicides and ruckuses and blackouts and Azrails in 2001. <laughs> You know, yes. where they were all kind of coming up at the same time. Or, or, or God forbid, in Mexico, and Fredo knows this well, your multiple Huracan Ramirez's. Wow. Yes. <laughs> oh. So who was Demolition out. Blast? Demolition Blast, if you've ever seen the various uh, tag team partners of Edie in this period, uh, Demolition Blast is the large man in a body stocking with LOD-type shoulder pads that, for some reason, became the new Demolition partner for Billy Eddie in this <laughs> period. So Big doesn't know who he is in particular. Yes. I mean, I mean, I, it's not anyone you would know off the top oh, okay. of my head, no. Um, there were other, yeah, there were other Demolition partners he had in that early 90s time frame on Indies, and even there was the one in New Japan, too, because there was... Um, What's his face? Uh, Richard Charland had been a demolition member with him, although I don't remember what name he used. There was the really tall guy who wore the traditional demolition gear in New Japan with Axe. Uh, so there's at least three, but I don't always remember what their name. They become were. like the Moon Dogs in this era. It's <laughs> all kind of different Moon Dogs revolving around Moon Dog Spot. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm, I'm at least pulling up Richard Charlon's cage match real quickly to see if it lists his demolition name at all. Uh, the only name that fits of his alternate names on cage match is Tempest, but I don't know if that's it. Mr. Tempest? <laughs> <laughs> From Mike Alley? <laughs> oh, Mr. Tempest, oh my goodness. Um, yes. I mean, the only results for the word demolition in Richard Charlon's cage match Excuse me. Or two NEWF bookings against Demolition Acts. So. Uh-huh. Who knows? All right. I, well, let's get, let's continue our, our uh, New Jersey and tri-state area show here. As we go to the WWA in Clementon, New Jersey on May the 1st, where uh, 
I'm guessing these are in reverse order, so I'm going to start from the bottom and work my way up. The spider over Sashim, the Somalian warrior, by disqualification. I mean, honestly, I could see, I could see the order that it's listed here being correct, though. Oh, I will still <laughs> read in reverse. Sashim, the Somalian warrior, topical, uh-huh. topical gimmick in 1993. Uh, and the spider here would be what? Glenn Roof. Yeah, if it's solo spider, I believe it's Glenn Roof. Yes. Then we have Chris Evans, not Captain America, and Chris Candido. Over Bobby Salsa and Johnny <laughs> Handsome. Yes, and that's Chris the Edge Evans, of course. Yes. Uh, Misty Blue over Cat LaRue in your Hellcats uh, tribute match. In 1993. Yes. Ed the Razor over the Avenger. Wow. And then our main uh, main event, opening match, whatever. A Buddha Singh, Balls Mahoney, going to a Tyler draw with... Boy gone bad. <laughs> Are we assuming that Amy Lee was at ringside for this? Uh, probably so. Yes. Uh, so this is very early post Corluzo sharp split WWA. What a bunch of names on this show, too. Bobby Salsa. Johnny Bobby Hansen. Flocka. Bobby Flacco should have changed his name to Bobby Salsa. If he's doing the he's doing the gimmick he does, that, that would have been good to do that. Sashim the Somalian warrior. Sashim the Somalian warrior. I I want to see a picture of Sashim the Somalian warrior just to see how racially offensive that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can, I don't know how much more offensive you can get than uh, Kamala's quote unquote son being named Kunta. But <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, and uh, what I was gonna—what oh, was I about to say though? Oh, with the Bobby Flacco and Bobby Salsa and all that. Um, are there, either of you familiar with Bobby Orlando, who wrestles up here? Um, Bobby program? Orlando. Yeah, I did confirm recently. First, someone asked me, and then I made sure that name is. Similar, but different, for reasons you'll understand. Uh, kind of a rib the same way that uh, MJF being Maxwell Jacob Feinstein originally coming out of the same wrestling school was. Because, you see, you know that uh, that gray-haired, aging Italian gentleman we have who is our most visible and problematic uh, New York State Athletic Commission inspector? That's Inspector Robert Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about that? Yes, yes. He of, let's see... Stopping an intergender match because of anti-intergender boxing rules. Fame, that's him. Uh, saying that Nick Wayne couldn't wrestle because he's underage, even though there's not actually a law or rule on the books that prevents it for wrestling. Um, claiming that oh, there was only supposed to be one ladder in the ring during a ladder match. Saying that drinking in the ring after the show, after the GCW Hammerstein show, was against the rules, even though there's no rule against that, and there's really not a rule for wrestling with that. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting a bunch. There are stories. I feel like I asked and people added some on Twitter recently. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot with him. And he, he also does boxing and maybe also MMA, too. So, God help us. How about that? Yes. All right, we have some Eastern Championship Wrestling stuff here, and you can—you just will not believe what t- publication this came from. Andy Gilbert was in the process of moving this week for Tennessee to Philadelphia in order to get involved full-time at Todd Gordon's ECW promotion. 
The new Hot Stuff International includes Gilbert, ECW champion Don Maranco, and ECW TV champion Jimmy Snuka for a wrestling torch. Well, Matt watches monthly at this time, so what can you do? <laughs> He's got 80s travel plans and the torch here. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> time. Yeah. What hour do we think so Eddie called Wade at? <laughs> Who knows? What was that, Fredo? Someone should have warned Eddie about moving. He should have just stayed in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wouldn't have got the King of Philadelphia stuff. But, but yeah, yeah, that is true. But oh, that would have been that... terrible to be without those king, wonderful King of Philadelphia skits. But maybe it. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't know if I would have affected Eddie's uh, uses of drugs if he would have not been a Philly or not. Who knows? Well, but... don't let Doug hear you say that. Well, I mean. It's obvious when you watch the yes, video. it is. Um, <laughs> and I love Doug, but it's there. It's, there. it's his older brother. I get it. but yeah, it's, it's there. Yes. All right. ICWA in Tampa. The Canadian Tiger, whom Dave guesses is Mike Lazansky, that's the name he uses in Mexico, won the wing junior heavyweight title from Jimmy Backlund on April 29th at Tampa. As we have Buddy Valentine going to a draw with Chris Nelson. The Lord of Discipline over Bill Tyree, AJ Andrews and Jamming Johnny over Oscar Ledoux and Luis Morales. Chaos went to a no contest with Jumbo Beretta. Jeff Bradley went to a no contest with Rico Frederico. Oh. oh. And then Wing World Junior Title, Canadian Tiger wins the title over Jimmy Backlund. And Fredo, Mike Lazansky is a guy who uh, did a lot of work in Mexico, and a guy that you know never gets talked about anymore for being a good good worker at that time period. And he was there for like at least a year or two, I think, in uh, Mexico, like for a long stretch of time. Yeah, I mean, he was good too. I, I'm I'm surprised he didn't get at least one little bit of a run somewhere else besides Mexico. Honestly, um, sometimes it just doesn't. Just doesn't work out for certain people. No, I, I mean, I guess I don't know if it was a charisma thing with him or what, because yeah. you know the other Canadians, which and, and Lance, I mean, including Lance Storm in this. So think about that. I mean, other Canadians end up having a uh, a bigger run in other places. Well, so, Lance yeah. for one did not have Mike Lazansky's demons. Well, there's that too. Yeah. Um. I mean, they must, been, they must have been some pretty well-known demons, too. <laughs> I mean, it must have been well-known around the wrestling circle for him. Well, we also need one. We need to keep in mind, though, Mike Lazansky was a guy whose family had money. It allowed him to learn his craft yeah. and go around the world and not have to worry too much. Unlike a lot of people who would be taught certain lessons of wrestling, was not shy about it. But in a way where he was always helping out everyone else. You know, you hear about him having problems. You never hear a bad word, though, about Mike Lodansky as a person. Yeah. You know, like, all true. sorts I mean, of stories. Go ahead. Well, just, and I think, just I think you even hear, like, right. some of the guys mentioned that they, uh, like, when they would go to Mexico, he would be one of the guys who would help them out when, when he was down there, too. So, You know, um... Jamie Dundee used to tell the story of how the, the cyberpunks outfits for him and Wolfie were outfits that Michael Lazansky basically just paid to have made for them when they got the idea, when they went down to Mexico with him. And just other stuff of him, you know, helping guys out on the road because he knew he could, could and wouldn't have to worry about it too much. 
you know, it seemed like he didn't have an ego about it. He knew he was in a good position. And probably also because he liked traveling and stuff. Was I don't even know if he was necessarily that worried about getting a big gig somewhere anyway. Yeah, at least would have thought maybe ECW. Well, he did work there a little. Yeah, but it's about like, when is ECW? ECW. Sure. So, but anyway, Jimmy Back basically Jimmy Backles was in the talk because he's on his way to smoke. Yes. So, yes. so there, there's that. All right, speaking of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Robert Fuller, who debuted as Colonel Rob Parker on WCW television this past week, is scheduled to fulfill his bookings to the end of May. So he's supposed to be in the Rage in the Cage on May 9th at Knoxville. And we just, you know, talked about him being on WCW TV and Smoky Mountain TV the same day. So there's that. Tony Atlas is supposed to be starting the next television, which sounds bizarre today. <laughs> <laughs> which the gimmick was he was going to be managed by Tammy. And that was going to be a heat angle because white woman managing black man in Smoky <laughs> Mountains. Was Tony going to wear the shirt? Was he going to wear the t-shirt? <laughs> if he wore that, I would have. I would have loved to have seen that. You, know, you want to tell everybody what shirt you're talking about, there, Freda? Bix can probably explain it better. <laughs> I think. I think Bix has actually had a. I think he might have just talked about it recently on Twitter when. Uh, Something was going on with um, Tony Atlas or somebody. Somebody there was a story about somebody, and then Tony Tony Atlas came up, and the T-shirts. I think somebody put up the screenshot of the the weight. Yes, and then I I yeah. made sure to take a better screenshot. It's uh, it's during one of the weightlifting things in Mid South in '82. He is wearing a custom screen printed yellow T-shirt with a black design. Of a woman's high heel shoe stomping on his own face. And then there's the shirt he wore in George in 82, which was one of those, you know, 80s shirts. with the, Like iron with the on iron lettering. On. Yeah. Lady yeah, step on my step face on my, or whatever. Yeah. Lady step on my chest or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was not shy about it. Like, that's when I saw that, that Mid-South thing I tweeted. I was specifically like, oh, okay, wait. So you're telling me for years people were like, psst. Tony Atlas has a foot fetish. Pass it on. It's like, motherfucker, he was on regional, highly <laughs> rated television in the Bible Belt in 1982 with that. Yes, I really exactly. don't think you need to be treating it like it's some secret he doesn't want people to know about. No. <laughs> uh, it would have been, been something if he wasn't in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I, I, I would... It would have been interesting, although I don't think he is. Uh, well, I, they did have other guys who weren't that good, but he was pretty bad by that point too. So yeah, yeah war, I think they about why it weren't wise because Smokey at this time still is, you know, a lot more of a I must say work rate promotion, but the, most of the people there are really good work. There's a high yeah. standard of work in the territory yeah. would be the way to put it, I think. Um, and. <sighs> The whole black man, white woman thing, regardless of what weird racist ideas or ideas of audience racism they had, it never drew anywhere anyway. This amazing heat that you were supposed to get just from the implication, just from them standing next to each other. It never, it never clicked anywhere. Yeah. You know, even in places you might expect it to. You know, I mean, the the only place it clicked at all, and even then, it, I, I don't think it was a huge drawing program, 
was when they flipped it with the with Dick Slater and Dark Journey in Mid South, and even then it's, it was, still wasn't some huge success or anything. No, and the thing is, I mean, this goes to you know Cornette's thinking of about the fans in that area, you know, because he does. We said what he does it the year later with the gangsters. Yes, although as we've talked about on here. If you read that letter to the torch, you sure get the feeling that uh, the gangsters were also kind of a response to certain negative publicity as well in the newsletters. You at least oh, get that yeah. feeling. I don't know if that's the case, but you get the feeling. Um, and also, as we've I think alluded to before, he like I'm sure like clearly the way people explain it, there was that element in the fan base, but they ended up not even wanting to see the gangsters was the yeah. issue and also like, how do i put this we've heard people give the impression that in terms of not understanding that territory really because he wasn't from there there have been stories that he did not have the highest opinion of the fans are. oh well, i'm shocked <laughs> i'm shocked I... was it that the whole point of all the shows just burying the fans every single like week I mean, everybody, like, all the heels just trashing the, the fan, like, the you know, the, the the town promos was constant. Yeah, we're getting redneck kicks, yeah. Yeah, just food stamps. Just, yeah. Food stamps, cold. women. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the way that, that they saw that it was that, that, to get heat. I thought that, they yeah. thought that would be the way to get the heat. <laughs> and it probably worked with some people, but. Yeah. We saw what happened with Smokey. All right, highlight uh, house shows drew three to five, three fifty to five hundred over the weekend. That's highlight was in Hazard, Kentucky, where the loser got tarred and feathered. Where the rock and rolls against heavenly bodies, bodies won by DQ when Robert Gibbs was caught using the tennis racket. But in the post match brawl, it was the bodies who wound up being tarred and feathered. So you know, you reneging on the stipulations on that already. Uh, Tim Horner with Jimmy Golden, your opener, Killer Call over Brian Lee, Singapore Spike match, Kevin Sullivan over Night Stalker, the Tarn and Feather, Bodies of Rock and Rolls, Eddie Q, and then a Tennessee Chain match, Tracy Smothers retained the Smoky Mountain title over Dirty White Boy. Now, April 29th in Fisherville, Virginia, they drew 400 fans, but about 150 were deaf children from around the area. It was an amazing sight. With all the sign language heat going back and forth. Robert Gibson was signing back since he's known sign language his entire life since his mother is deaf. That had to be a cool thing to watch. You know? To see that go on like that. So, I mean, I, I, I just... Because... I, I, I just think that that's it's, it's very interesting because Robert, you know, like like Dave's talking about here, and he would do it in promos on TV and everything. That, that had to be something. Very interesting environment to work in front of. Tim Horner over Bill Maddox in your opener. Brian Lee over Killer Kyle. Kevin Sullivan's on double count with Night Stalker. Tracy over Dirty White Boy to retain the title. And then Rock and Rolls over Heavenly Bodies. So, real cool. On this weekend's television, Tammy Fitch came out and offered to manage primetime Brian Lee. Lee told her if he wanted the woman to tell him what to do, he'd get married. But that she isn't his type, which got a big pop. Well, let's see for ourselves here as we go to the clip. Hey, fans, and with us right now here is primetime Brian Lee, and Brian is getting 
all prepared and all keyed and all ready for the big volunteer slam. Right, Brian? Exactly right, Bob. Volunteer slam. I can't wait. Rage in the cage. It's all coming down. And the... uh, wait, wait a minute, fans. Uh, Brian, if, for you fans that did not see last week's program, let me right now introduce you to Tammy Fitch, who is the young lady that's filed a discrimination suit against Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Now, believe it or not, she wants to at least look at the possibility of becoming a manager or some high-up official within Smoky Mountain Wrestling, correct? That's right. Brian, I've studied a lot of wrestlers in this area, and you seem to have some potential. Um, you have a little bit of ability, and you're certainly big enough. But I think you just need a little bit of guidance. So if you sign this contract, I can tell you every move to make. You can be incredible. Hey, what about... What do you say to that, Brian? Well, uh, excuse me. Wait, wait a minute. Here, Ms. Pokemon Fitch, Commissioner. Miss Fitch, I know that my lawyers have asked me to give you some leeway because of your lawsuit. But I can't allow you to come out here and interrupt wrestlers, especially this man. He has a chance today to beat the champ right here on TV, and you're interrupting him. I can't allow you that much leeway. So don't be asking him questions that he's not interested in. Just a second, Commissioner. Let me answer the little lady's question. If I want a woman to tell me what to do, I'll get married. And honey, you're definitely not my type. <laughs> I guess that answer is no, right? They're obviously insecure about the masculinity. <laughs> oh, fans, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more in the future about that. Right now, let's take a look at this from the Rock and Roll Express fan club. You can uh, be an official member. Wait a second. The whole point of the angle ends up being that he joins up with her because he is attracted with her and thinking with his little head. She played the long game. Well, he he, he did hang out with the Fullers. So. <laughs> she played the long game with Brian Time and got and won. But uh, I guess, but it, well, I this mean, is her, it's, it's a second appearance on TV too. Yes, I'm kind of curious since I know the the whole story is she was always a natural at the promos. Really, I'm curious if her voice breaking little at the end was by design as a choice, or if that's her being green because it it actually worked in what was going on. I don't know, but you can see that definitely there was the potential there oh, for yeah. her. And just looking at her then, young and innocent. Well, <laughs> well, she's innocent. what twenty? No, I wouldn't say innocent. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say innocent, really, but young. <laughs> and no one was, you know, was what her life would become as time went on. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So she is. Yeah, she's twenty. She turned yeah. twenty in December. Yeah. Oh. Bob Armstrong announced he'd be the referee for Rage in the Cage in Knoxville. So that's coming up. They announced on May for May fifteenth at Johnson City that the semifinal for the uh, Rock and Roll Spot he's losing town will be another Cowboys of Flab match with Tracy against Dirty White Boy. And let's go to to that clip, shall we? Hey, no, there everybody. ain't no fans. You know what they are? They're fanatics. Fanatics is what they are. But that's what fans. Also, uh, as we are on 1993 Stan Lane Wig Watch, especially since we're right at the end of the run, this looks better than the other ones, and it's longer it's hair, 
But it when, still when doesn't did, look entirely right either. What's that, Fredo? When, when did he drop the headgear? Uh, well, he doesn't wear it when he's not in the match. Yeah, but he still was wearing it, right? Towards the. Uh, he had quit wearing it by this time, I think. Okay, yeah, because I'm still at the point where he's still wearing the headgear, so. Yeah. It's funny also, to look. Yeah. Cor- Cornette is wearing a different kind of suit than usual. He's got peach pants. And the jacket is basically uh, New York Knicks colors with of the same shade of blue with orange trim. Kind of like Dwight the Clown. I I think that's the same outfit that Conan was wearing in that video. Oh, LL the jacket, the hobby <laughs> pants, yes. It could hey, it could be a reversal type of jacket because it has a little bit of mango on the. Could be. Outside. Could be. No, it's got to be running through your mind very heavily right now. The Volunteer Slam, for instance. What about the last tangle in Tennessee? Those are two things I know are weighing pretty heavily on you right now. First of all, let me say one thing. You don't tell me anything. You don't know what's running through my mind. As a matter of fact, you don't know what's running through your own mind. You're in a fog, just like Bob Armstrong is. Now, let me just say this about the rage in the cage at the Volunteer Slam. In case you idiots out there don't realize the magnitude of this match. This is the way it goes. There's going to be five status matches, five single matches. The team that wins the majority of those matches will gain the advantage in the rage in the cage. There's five men on each team. Stan Lane and Tom Pritchard, Killer Kyle, Kevin Sullivan and a Tasmaniac against the Rock and Roll Express, Brian Lee, and our old friends Robert Fuller and Jimmy Gold in the stud stable. Now when that rage in the cage match gets started, We're going to choose one man, and they're going to choose one man. They go in the cage, and they wrestle for five minutes. At the end of that five-minute period, the team with the advantage sends another man in. It's two on one. And for two minutes, anything that those two men can do to one man is legal, because there ain't no rules. Every two minutes thereafter, somebody new comes in the match. But the team with the advantage at the first always has the advantage. And if we win most of those status matches, we're always going to have the advantage. Two on one, three on two, four on three, you get the picture. The match can't end until all ten men are in the ring. And then it's either submission, make your opponent give up, or there's going to be five sets of handcuffs on one side of the cage, five sets of handcuffs on the other side, so you can handcuff all the members of one team to the cage, and you can win it that way. And then, of course, by the way, they would be completely helpless. That's right. That's right. Then six days later, the last tangle in Tennessee where these men and the Rock and Roll Express, regardless of what kind of condition they come out of that rage in the cage, they get in the ring in Johnson City to settle it. Bragging rights for the whole promotion. That's right. I've waited a long time. I've waited 10 years to say that I, me, Jim Cornette, was personally responsible for my team getting rid of the Rock and Roll Express. And this is the closest we've ever been. So you say, are we ready to take the risk? Yeah, we've talked about it. We've thought about it. And we're ready to take the risk because getting rid of the Rock and Roll Express is worth just that much. But there's one thing that still breaks in my craw. Bob Armstrong, you have done every single thing that you could possibly do to stack the deck against me and my men. Everything that you could think of, there's nothing on God's green earth that you haven't done to make sure to screw up Jim Cordon and the heavenly body. Well, I'm inform you of one thing. Hey, hey, I've had it with him. You got a stick of nose in everywhere? I just wanted to deliver a message to you personally. Now, in the rage in the cage, 
there are no rules. Is that right? That's exactly. Well, you ought to know you thought this stinking thing up. Let me tell you this. We'll probably see more violence than anybody's ever seen in the Smoky Mountains. You've got that right, brother. But somebody has got to be there to raise the, the winner's hand, right? Somebody's got to be there to declare yeah, to the winner. Yeah, raise our hands. That's right. Well, I just want to tell you personally that I'm going to be the referee in that match, and I'm going to watch you very closely. Well, fans, you've heard it right here, and that's what'll happen. We'll be back right after this. Sunday night, me the night. Oh, that Jim Cornette speaking too soon. Nothing else Bob Armstrong could do. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, finally, women in this one kind of TV stuff and Bobby Eaton aired. The bodies beat up only after the match. Rock and Roll's made the save. Now, a couple of things of TV. Down and Dirty with Dutch Mantel and Kevin Sullivan. And uh, this is quite the uh, this segment here. It's Kevin Sullivan's in full uh, Kevin Sullivan mode here. And not in the uh, satanic way. Let's put it that way. Go to the clip. Right now, my special guest on Down and Dirty is none other than the master, Kevin Sullivan. Let's hear a big hand of applause right now for the master. Mr. Sullivan, can I call you master? You certainly may. And may I call you Dr. Dutch? Yes, that would be very good. Uh, you know, a lot. I've heard a lot of comments. A lot of people say you're sick. I merely say that you're misunderstood. Is that correct? You, you think you're misunderstood? I'm certainly misunderstood, but Dr. Dutch, can, can, do you mind if we sit down? No, sit can down. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down with me. I will sit down with you. You know, since uh, he's more comfortable sitting down, people, that's why we're doing this. is a, a, a psychiatric little uh, session right here. You know, I, I had a little deal. I want to do a little word association with you. When I say a word, I want you to tell me what you think. What about the word... Uh, butterfly, baby white seals with big brown eyes looking up at me when I have a club and they're screaming, don't hit me, and I smash the head, and I smash him, and I crush his skulls. <laughs> well, that's, that's a real good answer, Master. Let me, let me give you another word. Flower. Oh, I think of the Night Stalker, maybe in a family reunion. He's carrying a platter of steaks near the grill. He trips and falls, and his face gets on the hot coals, and his face is stuck to the hot coals, and his whole family's trying to pull him back, and the flesh is running off of his face. Uh, let me, let me say another word. Cage. A tranquil waterfall, a stream through a nice, beautiful park. Uh, what about Rage in the cage. A tranquil waterfall, a nice stream in the park, but the stream turns to blood and big chunks of flesh and broken bones go over a waterfall full with kidneys and intestines and creams. Okay, let me say one thing. You, you say the night stalker has betrayed you. How, how do you deal with a man that has betrayed you? Your comments very quickly. Very quickly, meaning like this? Yeah. Very quickly is night stalker. Just remember this. I'm the master and you're the pupil. <laughs> Seal face. Okay, fans, there you heard it. Another lesson with uh, Kevin Sullivan. Lay right there. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Bobby Eaton and Brian Lee coming right up. <laughs> Bix, any thoughts? 
he's being Continental Sullivan a bit here. Goofier, though. Yes, but closer to that than a lot of his other versions. <laughs> that was wild, though, yes. Prado, what are your thoughts of uh, Kevin Sullivan's performance here? I mean, you kind of expect that from Kevin Sullivan. He always has these weird... Um... I mean, I was watching some Florida wrestling, and he was doing some sort of um, interview with J.J. Dillon. And, no, I think it was Humperdinck. It was actually Humperdinck. Was this and, the 87, 87 version? No, no, it was the 84 version. Uh, yeah. Where, where I think um, Graham is still there. Um, Superstar Graham is still there. Oh, yeah, and yeah, okay. Humperdinck is obviously introduced, you know, talking about, he's talking for Superstar Graham, talking about how he's the champion and all this stuff. And he's holding something like a like a rope or something. And then suddenly you bring in, they show Kevin Sullivan and he's kind of like, he's got like a noose or something around him. And he's like, he's sitting down on the floor, cutting a promo. And it's like, okay, this is a little bit um, crazy and pretty much what you expect from Kevin Sullivan. I mean, going back to the 80s, the guy was one of the stranger characters in professional wrestling. This is more of an 87 Florida Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. I think. Oh, when he, when he went crazy and like, like supposedly forgot everything. <laughs> Forgot it, like lost his memory or something. Stuff like that. But then he was doing stuff like that before too. Mm. Before the before he was started doing that. Like there's one there's one particular deal where he, Coach John Heath is interviewing him and Humperdink, and he's just like really acting silly in the in the whole thing. And uh, yeah, so it's stuff like that. But yeah, the Smokey Run's interesting when he starts going in that direction. That's for sure. When it starts getting his uh psychological evaluations and stuff like that. And you have woman, you know, there but not showing her face and everything. Fun stuff. All right. So also on television, Tracy's mother's what wrestled and he faced the Avenger. It was Chris Candido under the mask. Uh, Ron Wright wheeled, wheeled himself out eating popcorn out of a popcorn box. White boy then jumped smothers and KO'd him with a chain. Right pulled a paint spray out of the popcorn box, and Dirty White Boy sprayed Smothers back yellow. So we'll have the clip of that, and we also, I think, have the promo afterwards. So let's go to that. And for the cover, wait a minute, he won the match. White Boy on the way to the ring. And they're going to it right in the center of the ring right here in the opening match here at Smoky Mountain. The Dirty White Boy and Tracy Smothers, the White Boy, Kicked over the top rope by Tracy Smothers. Wait a minute, he's he's he's, he's, he's getting something now from Ron Wright. It looks like he's got something in his hand. Oh, he, when Smothers came off, and he dove after the white boy, and the white boy with that big blow right to the midsection. Now he's got Smothers rammed into that ring post. They're paying no attention to the bell. The bell is sounding, trying to break it up, trying to get him separated. The white boy is determined. He's got Smothers right where he wants him now, Dutch. He's Wait. just going to pound and beat on him. What's he going to do now? He's calling for something from Ron Wright. Ron Wright handing him something. I don't know what. In a bag. What is it? This popcorn bag. He's got a can of spray paint. It's yellow. I believe the lid on that was yellow, Dutch. And that was Smothers. He's painting a yellow streak right down the back of Tracy Smothers. Wait a minute. We got a visitor here. White here lightning. comes Tim Horner. And the ring. White boy out. The damage has already been done. Unbelievable. He took that can of spray paint and right down the back. He painted on the streak, and there you get a good look at it. Right on the back of Tracy's mother. 
Well, I think White Boy sent a message here to Tracy Smothers that the he may have won one battle, but the war is far from over. There you see the Yellow Street, courtesy of the White Boy, delivered to Tracy Smothers right there. All right, fans, with us right now, of course, here is White Lightning Tim Horner and Tracy's mothers. And Tracy, I, I've, I've seen a lot of, of things done to guys, but nothing like this. I don't think I've ever seen happen in a ring. Let me tell you something, Bob. White boy, you might as well put the strap down my back, too, because we like brothers. What you do to one, you do to the other. This man here can eat ten penny nails and spit out a barbed wire fence. So you bit off just a little more than you could chew. Talk about waving that flag. I'm not even going to unroll it. He's going to no, kick your butt. No, no, no. That's exactly right. Hey, dirty white boy, the battle rages on, man. The battle rages on. The problem with you is that I've got what you cherish more than anything in this world, and that's a Smoky Mountain heavyweight title. It means as much to you as you burning my grandfather's rebel flag. You'll go down as far as to jump somebody and spray them in yellow paint. By God, I'm not a coward. Tim Horner's not a coward, and he's not going to wave that flag, and I'm going to light you up like a sympathy orchestra. You want to dance with me? I know all the steps, pal. I said it before. I've been on that side of the fence, and I can play as dirty as the rest of them, and it'll be a cold day in July before a nothing-happening, stinking Yankee, yellow-bellied, sap-sucking dog. When I'm done with you, you will change your name from the dirty white boy to dirty white trash. Fans, we'll be back right after this. <laughs> the next time you need to get away, stay at the Holiday Inn in Corbin, Keep Kentucky, it quiet. offering Keep comfortable it quiet. accommodations, indoor heated pool, and simulcast wagering on Ooh. Kentucky off-track horse racing. Stay where the action is. For oh. reservations, call 1-606-528-6301. All right, fans, and with us right now here is Brian. Right, time, Brian. Okay. I wanted, the, I wanted to hear the plug for Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I noticed something. Um because I was having to look at something in a different window at times while the promo was playing. You know who not looking at it, Tracy sounded an awful lot like during a lot of that promo? His voice, his inflection, everything. Uh, that would be one Brian Gerard James. Well, they would have a connection later on, absolutely. Well, let's get the let's get Dirty White Boy and Ron Wright side of things. Yes. As <laughs> we go to the next clip. All right, fans, and with us right now, here's the dirty white boy and the legendary manager, Mr. Ron Wright. This needs to be a show image because we have Ron Wright in his wheelchair, in his Navy Yankees shirt, and his pinstripes Yankees cap, and uh, dirty white boy, of course, wearing the pinstripe jersey and the, the what would you even call that? Where it's not the team logo hat, but what do you call those what do you call that type of hat? Those were very popular in that era. That, they those, were. Hat, those type of hats were more popular in that era. And uh, Dirty White Boy is doing the thing where he was uh, ahead of his time in uh, Fredo, where he's one of these guys that's wearing their Yankees gear uh, because yeah. uh, they're, they're the front runners. I, I wonder uh, when baseball season was over if he put on the Lakers gear. Well, it wasn't or even the front runner thing. It was cowboy, the... <laughs> Cowboys gear. It, it was turning his back on being a Southern. I mean, I 1993. You don't get the joke. I get the joke. I just didn't realize that's where you were going with it. Because there are certain fans who the only people, the only teams they support is like the major teams. Like the, the, the Yankees, Yankees baseball, Braves, Lakers Cowboys. No, 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 no. But Yankees in baseball, Lakers in basketball, Cowboys yeah. in football. 
Okay. Yeah. Those three. Those three. Just those three. And, and you know, and you know, any listener that's worried about Dirty White Boy turning on his, you know, his home teams, um, I can tell you guys when I saw him in Vegas a couple of years ago, he was wearing um, Tennessee. I think it was Volunteers um, for uh, merchandise. So well, <laughs> he was, he's Knoxville. He was, Knoxville born. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he was still. He did. He never. He didn't completely go all in on the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the the Yankees here. Dirty white boy, Ron. Got that white flag. I have a hard time believing that you're going to watch this man in the ring suffer, get banged up, get beat up, and not wave the white flag. Let me tell you something, Mister Cottle. <laughs> right now, me waving this white flag will be the one and only time anybody in the world will see me wave this flag. When I come out to the mat, this flag's going to be rolled up. I'm going to have it stuck down in cement and have it locked down to where there won't be no way that it can be waved. That Tracy Smothers, these people just got a little glimpse of what's going to happen to him. They're going to have to take 10 men and seven ambulances to get all of his body parts up on different stretchers to get him in an ambulance to take him to the hospital, and maybe some doctor might be good enough to get him back together. You just seen what happened to him. His real colors come out here in the front of millions of people right on TV. He's got a yellow streak down his back, Bob, a mile and a half wide. You've seen it, and everybody's seen it. And I'll tell you, a lot of these old people around in these part of the country better get down on their knees and do a lot of praying because that boy's done got himself in a heap of trouble with me and my northern New York friend here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and you're happy with the fact that the flag cannot or will not be waved? Beyond a shadow of a doubt because, you see, I love it. When Pitt Tracy Smothers beats on me, punched me, you busted my stinking head open. But you know what? I like it. I don't think you do. And I know Tim Horner don't. So like I said before, it's going to be look like Tim Horner's at the races. Oh, please don't beat on him no more. Everybody that comes out night better have a strong stomach because it's oh, going to be bloody. Man. We're going to be back. Don't go away. Right now, let's take time out for this. Fans, Smoky Mountain Wrestling is coming to Harlan, Kentucky. Gotta love Ron Wright. Gotta love Ron Wright. Yes, one of my New York heroes. Yes, he is. It's a damn shame that he basically spent the entire decade of the 80s not. Well, it was just USA Wrestling 88, but basically the whole decade of the 80s not on wrestling television on a regular basis. A damn shame. But he was making money in his job, so can't hate him on him for that. But anyhow, all right, so uh, Wade Keller notes in the tour said, Tracy Smothers is the most cheered wrestler in the promotion and followed closely by the Night Stalker, whom the fans <laughs> wanted to cheer for a long time before he officially turned babyface. Because he's so big. He's big and handsome. Yeah. So, Although also, you know, that's not necessarily why he got over, but credit to Brian Clark, he did exactly what he needed to do during this run to develop to develop as a performer in the way that he so far had not been in wrestling. Yes. So, yeah, like, it is like Brian Clark pre-Smokey and Brian Clark post-Smokey are two completely different wrestlers. Yes. Oh, God, yes. All right, let's go to Memphis now. And one hell of a TV show. 
And also to start the show, they were having the match that Brian Chris was going to put his hair up against Jer- Jeff Jarrett's Southern Heavyweight title. Jerry Lawler came out and introduced the barber they had brought in and drew a picture of Christopher Ball, which he used to do in years past whenever he was in a hair match. Well, let's go to uh, to that clip, shall we? Yes, and it, it, it is the thumbnail of this episode of the USWA on uh, YouTube as well. <laughs> the drawing. So. Side, ready to go with USWA Championship oh, we got the Wrestling here today. Oh, yes, sir, indeed. We are ready to go. The Simply Divine, Rex King and Steve Dahl. We'll see them here today. The Marinos, Bill and Steve, the Young Stallions. They're on the card. Billy Travis, Jeff Jarrett, they're going to be here as well. We've got a full day. The King, Jerry Lawler's here. We've got a big day of USW yeah. wrestling. That's this right here. Curious about this. Let's find Is this the least Lance-ish we've seen Corey on a show where Lance is not there? Yes. I wonder what's going on. I don't know. Because he sounds a lot more like natural voice Corey here. He's not excited out about it right now. I yeah. see I see the king over here. Maybe uh, he can uh, help uh, shed some light on this. Yeah. Got a barber chair with the clippers, and uh, everything is ready to go. We have a southern heavyweight title match coming up right here today. And, King, interesting stipulation. Jeff Jarrett's title against Brian Christopher's hair. Did you all hear that? I mean, this, this is going to shape up to probably be one of the biggest days in the history of TV wrestling right here that we have ever had for studio wrestling because Brian Christopher has been begging, pleading for a title shot, claiming that he is always ignored, always overlooked, even though he's had I don't know how many. Now, he's finally got the title shot, but he had to put something at stake as valuable as the Southern Heavyweight title that Jeff's putting up. And what is he putting at stake? His own hair. And we want to bring in a gentleman from uh, a salon right here in Memphis, Tennessee, The Perfect Cut, which is over in Raleigh LaGrange, Michael O'Kelly. Michael, I want to welcome you to the show. Michael O'Kelly could be doing the honors here today. You have the chair, you have the scissors, you have the clippers, you have it all. Now, I want to ask you one question. Over at that shop at The Perfect Cut, do you all have, like, if somebody comes in, they want a certain style of hair, do you guys have, like, pictures or books they can look at and choose the style they want? Yeah, we have several they can pick and choose from. Okay, well, that's good because I'll tell you what I did. And while I was waiting in the back there, I took myself a little uh, magic marker and an ink pen and I sort of drew a picture of that idiot Brian Christopher. And I'll tell you what, I want you to look at this and this is the style that we want Brian Christopher to have today. See that right <laughs> Baldy there? Brian. That is what we'll... Can, can, you, can you get that for us, Michael, if he loses this match? Yeah, I think I can do that. I probably enjoy that real much. Don't you? All right, that's great. So if Brian Christopher, if you're in the back, take a good look, pal. This is sort of like looking at a crystal ball in your future because I'm going to put my money on Jeff Jarrett. I think he's going to remain the champion. I think we're going to see Brian Christopher have to sit his butt in this barber chair and get his head shaved right here on TV today. Well, you may be right. You're talking about Brian hasn't been overlooked. He and Jeff, of of course, have had matches in the past, and we kind of ran that through the computer, and just so you'll know, there's a better than 50-50 chance. Uh, 56% of the matches have been won by Jeff. So right. better than even chances, Brian will be sitting right there to get his hair cut here today. Right? Analytics. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, good deal. I think, <laughs> I think we're all ready. Southern heavyweight titles on the line. That's going to be coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to get things underway and be back with all the action right after this. All right. 
Law doing a great drawing of his son there. So there you go. All right. So uh, now let's go to the next clip, which is Brian. And uh, he's got some things he has to say before the match. So let's go to that. Not yet, Baldy, Brian. No. Jeff made the announcement uh, not too many days ago that he had a special partner in here, somebody that knew how to use a guitar, not necessarily in the conventional way. And sure enough, Billy Travis turned out to be the partner. They're here again today. Hello, Billy. Welcome. Good to have you here. Jeff, hello there. How are you? Big, uh, big doings today oh, for you. Huh? Real, real big day. You know, I've been sitting in the back thinking about this moment. And Brian Christopher, everybody knows that a couple of weeks back he turned on me. He's been a thorn in my side for over a year now. And since Brian's come along, he thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's cocky. He thinks he can't do any wrong. He thinks he's the best wrestler. He thinks he's the best talker. He thinks he's the strongest, the biggest, the baddest. Well, Brian, what you're going after today is the Southern Heavyweight title. And, pal, I know that you don't even think about who's held this Southern Heavyweight title. Jackie Fargo was one of the greatest champions ever. Jimmy Valiant, the boogie-woogie man, he was one heck of a champion. And probably the best of all was Jerry Lawler, because he held, that's right, he held the title for over 10 years. And, Brian, what I'm trying to do right now is sort of walk in their footsteps. I'm just trying to achieve the superstar status that they achieved by holding this belt. So, Brian, after today, you're still going to think you're great. You're still going to think you're the biggest and baddest and still going to be cocky. But you're also going to be ball-headed, Brian. And I can't wait to see you sit in that chair and get every head on your head shaved. You don't do enough. That's right. And Rex King and Steve Dahl, yeah, you think you're real big and bad, and you come in and you want to take on me and Billy Joe. Well, Billy Joe... Hold on, Jeff, hold on. You're just too nice to these boys. So let me tell you something, boys. When you talk about scum of the earth, when you talk about getting down in the gutter, when you talk about rats, you talk about Billy Joe Travis. Compared to me, you two punks are angels, boys. When you're in the gutter, you're just on the surface. I get way down in the dirt. For example, you bring a chair, oh, Billy Joe bring a chair and a guitar punk. Well, this week, you got a world tag team title match with me. I'm dead on peace. Billy Joe and Jeff Jarrett's going to be ready, and we're going to show you how to get back and how to get nasty punks. That's right, Billy! Dave, one last thing. Brian, listen up, pal. You got about 15 or 20 minutes before we step in the ring. And I'm going I'm to go back back here, find me in the corner and get to thinking because a uh, basketball coach that was, a, uh, he was one of my idols, Jim Valvano, passed away recently. And he had a saying, and it said, don't give up, don't ever give up. And that's what my motto is today in the ring, Brian. Hey, David, one more thing. I'm going to get rid of a little trash today. I got Whoopie D of PG-13. Boys, I am rated X. Ooh. <laughs> well, Travis, I tell you, he can go in there any way you need to, whether it be rough and tough or straight up wrestling. Uh, I love Billy Joe Travis as heel of Billy Joe Travis, but babyface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. All right, so well, uh, I mean, babyface Billy Joe Travis was the one who used the N word. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so uh, 
Brian comes out before the match, but Brian's got his own little side deal going on with Coco Beware. So uh, they have a little little uh, tit-a-tat on TV. So let's go to that. He's coming. That attitude. He's got that attitude once again as he heads this way. That evil little smile on his face. Brian Christopher. We've already seen him unofficially a time or two today, but now here he is. And Brian, I guess you're aware of. Is that an I'm Too Sexy remix? No, it's the it's the regular version. It is the single, okay. Because with Unbelievable, he came out to the twelve inch. Yes, yes. Which was awesome, but yes. Kobe, Dave Brown. I want to ask you something. I want to know what is that barber chair doing here, and why are them clippers sitting in it, along with them scissors? And the cold, huh, Dave Brown? Well, I think you're you're aware generally why they're here. They're here because your hair is at stake. Southern title is at stake for Jeff. And if you lose, they're going to put you in that chair right there and shave your head right here on television today. Well, Dave Brown, before we go any further, I want to know who is the referee here today? Me. Is it Frank Morrell? That's all I want to know. No, it's Kevin. Okay. Well, let me your tell brother. you what. Frank Morrell. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is he not even Kevin Christian yet? Is he just Kevin? No, he's Kevin Christian. He's <laughs> but Kevin he just Christian. called him Kevin. Yeah, well, because it's Kevin Christian. I mean, they didn't say Kevin Christian. It's Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> not to be confused with, as appeared in uh, Global the pr- previous year, special referee Kevin, <laughs> who was a guy club. who worked for the Bungie Company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, of course, the winner of the match, Kevin. Yes. All headed idiot. You have done touch me for the last time. Every time I got a match, you're always pushing on me. You're always touching all over me. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Next time you ever lay a hand on me, I'm going to knock your bald headed self all the way up into the top row of general mission. You understand me? Mark my words. And another thing, Dave, let me tell you what. You stand there and you hold it right there. Don't move again, okay? Now, everybody comes out here and they start running their mouth. Brian Christopher, he thinks he's big. Brian Christopher thinks he's bad. He thinks he's the greatest thing on earth. Well, let me tell you something. Brian Christopher knows he's big, bad, and he knows that he is the greatest thing on earth. Everybody wants to come out here and they say, Jackie Fargo, he was a legend. He was one of the greatest Southern title holders of all time. You know, I always wonder, why is it when I step in the ring, whoever I'm against, they announce it. Let's just say it's Jeff Jet. In this corner, Jeff Jet. Oh, yay, Jeff. <laughs> and in the other corner, Brian Christopher. <laughs> Jackie Fargo, they've been trained, that handsome Jimmy Bayon, you're idiots. You think that Coco Ware and Jerry Lawler, you think that you're supposed to clap for them whenever you hear their name. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I, I am a star. I'm not a second-rate wrestler like Jackie Fargo, handsome Jimmy Bayon. I am the greatest.
greatest wrestler that has ever drawn a breath. You understand me? So from now on, when you announce my name, you people should rise up and clap for me. I don't understand why you people will not clap for me. It's always Jeff Gitt, Kabooey, Jerry Lawler, and all these other stupid. Now you see who the fans appreciate right there. Did I tell you to shut your mouth? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Folks, I'll be This is my interview time, and nobody, and I mean nobody, interrupts me. You hear me? Hey, do you hear me? I said nobody comes out of That was the best compliment that you ever had, that you ever said, punk. You want to say Jackie Fargo was a legend? Jimmy Valiant was a legend? Jerry Lawler is a legend? Well, baby, hey, you can rank me as a legend, too. You can rank Jeff Jarrett as a legend. But you think those people that you're fooling those people, they're not crazy, baby. They're not crazy. That's right. You know what? I'm telling you, that's the reason why they boo you. That's the reason why they boo you, because you're nothing but a punk. And I'm going to tell you one thing. No, you can ask me something. You ain't telling me nothing. Come on, guys. Come on now. You don't get the chance to wrestle Jeff Jarrett today because I'm guaranteeing you, I will kick your booty all over this thing. What you say yourself is a superstar. You ain't nothing, punk. You ain't nothing because you ain't never paid no dues. You understand that? You ain't never paid nothing. That's all I got to say. And you put that in your little peace pipe, and you smoke it, you understand me? Because I'll knock you the next week. Okay. You make me so mad, you know what I could do? I could just throw up in your mouth. Okay. Come on now. Come on, Choco. You ran your mouth, Wait, He is the bird, man. Oh, my God, look out. Wait, are you saying he's the baby bird man? Well, it's a bird man. Birds throw up in, <laughs> the mama birds throw, throw up in the baby bird's mouth. So, yeah, I mean, there's another, <laughs> there's another way that term gets used these days. Um, <laughs> especially if you're talking to Nasty Leroy or Joey Janela about Nasty Leroy. <laughs> but look at Brian there; <laughs> he's begging <it> off. <laughs> Brian Christopher through the ring. Coco right behind him. Now one's on one side, one's on the other. Coco has been up on him, though. He's, uh, he's got him separated from the escape route, I think, right about now. Yeah. Well, I wish I could catch him forward, too. Coco saying, what's the matter? You're so big and tough. How come you're running? Here's Eddie Marlin trying to set it, settle it all down here. He's after Coco. What he's going to yeah. do is say, hey, this is not the time or place for it. I understand you're you're upset, Coco, but... Uh, no. uh, 
we talked about Tammy earlier being 20. Brian Christopher is 21 years old there. And as we said many times on this show, that guy at 20 and 21 years old was as good of a heel in wrestling as anybody at that time. Amazing promo, amazing heel charisma, timing, everything. He, he it's in the blood. Yep. It's in the blood. Yeah, absolutely, and, Fredo. He should, he should have a bigger star. Absolutely. And Yeah, so he was, what, about 13 months older than Tammy, it looks like. Yeah. And those are not two people you think about as being the same age either. No. Um, one thing I noticed, especially, too, because you know, I mentioned how fast he's running. The degree to which he has the presence of mind to do little things to look like a cowardly heel while running so fast and athletically. Like, he just gets it. He's he's natural. So yes. that's natural right there, what you say. Yes. And even though we don't talk about him that way because of how his style evolved, I mean, his his dad, before he became a really big name, was not the Jerry Lawler as we think of him as in ring-wise. No. Jerry Lawler, for the first what would you say, three, four years of his career was known as a big bump high spot guy. He was known as someone who was a natural athletic worker type. He was, yeah, I mean, he was a heel that was taking all the punishment. Yeah. He was not doing his Memphis Lawler style. You know, he could talk and he was doing promos and he could do Tennessee style wrestling. But, you know, it's enough that when Gary Hart brought him to Georgia, at least as Gary Hart claims, he was trying to get him away from the you know Tennessee people that Gary didn't like, and to get him booked in San Francisco for Warshire because he thought he he thought Lawler would fit in very well with that style of you know the Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson, Rocky Johnson in ring style. Yeah, how different is Memphis wrestling if Lawler decides to do stuff like that? You know. Yeah. But yeah, Brian Brian is amazing talent. And Fredo's right. So should have been a much bigger star in the business. So do you guys think Coco Ware regretted that last line immediately? or <laughs> Which line? Throwing it up in the mouth? Yeah. yeah the... <laughs> uh, he probably, I mean, it's live television. You know? Because it kind of sound, kind of sounded like he was like, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's live television. Things happen. Yeah. And, and not because it sounded disgusting, just because it sounded really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although also it hasn't been that long since Eric Embry has been there. I mean... <laughs> He, he did do an angle where he threw up in Pat Tanaka's face the prior year. So, oh. <laughs> Yes. All right. So Brian Christopher regained the Sunday Heavyweight off from Jeff Jarrett on May 1st in Memphis in the television match that went 22 minutes and eight seconds. It was set him at four and a half stars in the best, best Memphis television match in several years. Lawler came in the ringside during the match with the poster. Soon after, Rex King, Steve Dahl, and Scotty Flamingo came to the ringside. And before long, every wrestler in the studio was watching a match, cheering the guys on. The finish saw Steve Dahl trip Jarrett, and Christopher got a quick count from referee Kevin Christian, his younger brother. And before long, there was a 12-man in-ring brawl, which lasted for several minutes. Yes. Um, this was a fantastic match. Uh, and you know, Memphis Television is not known for having... You know, 
Mac just like that on TV. Because well, especially like, in this era, you know, we're way especially past. Especially in this era, yeah. But you yeah. never got a 20-minute long Memphis TV match other than maybe some expiration of, of you know, time matches. And those could be really days. good, but no, yeah, not a would, singles yeah. title stipulation match. Yeah, this is a big fucking deal, you know. This is a match that could have main event of the Coliseum with that stipulation. But uh, it did. So they ran it on TV. Let's watch the ending part of this match, and then we'll have the brawl and stuff afterwards. And yeah, this is quite the scene. Corner, Brian Christopher on his hands and knees, up on his feet. He turns, and Jeff presses him down to the mat. But a roll-up by Brian Christopher. He got a two-count. Momentum kept Jeff rolling. My yeah. goodness, what a match. <laughs> Flamingo and King and Doll and PG-13. They're all out here complaining to referee Kevin Christian. It was right, three, it was three, it was three, it was only two. One thing I forgot to note is basically it started out um, you know, with Lawler out there and Simply the Vine was out there, and then the whole locker room comes out basically to stand around the ring to watch the match. So, Christopher, he's slobbering away on Jeff Jarrett now. Tell Jeff a yeah with another right hand. Jarrett still on his feet though. Christopher slugging away. Christopher, all right, virtually, with Jeff in. And he DDT's in. Big DDT from Jeff Jarrett. What a move. Oh, boy. Christopher staggering, and Jeff nails him with a right hand. Ben, we're going to need to think about a break, but I'm not going to break away from this. Let's stay with it right here. Talk about oh, great bounce. Great action. Mad as this one. In the corner. Southern heavyweight title. Oh, Christopher dumped Jared right on his knee. Gets Jeff down. These guys have been battling since it started just like this. Going toe-to-toe against each other. Christopher on his feet with a right fist as Jeff stands up. He's still standing as Christopher continues to hit him. Yeah. He returns fire. Jeff mm. right back now. Blocks the down <laughs> right hand from Christopher. Comes off the rope. Blesses Christopher with a right hand. Sends him down. Jeff Jarrett comes off. Oh, look at Steve though. Oh, I don't know if they got a camera shot of it or not. What he got it. Oh, boy. Steve Dodd out here. Tripped up Jeff Jarrett. And now Corey's pouring it up. Steve Dahl tripped up Jeff Jarrett, and now Brian Christopher being treated as a hero over here. <laughs> he after getting the three count, and the referee Kevin Christian picks up the Southern title, hands it to. Is Coco Beware wearing the iconic Crystals T-shirt? that everyone wore in 1993 and could be purchased at your finest uh, cannabis, cannabis paraphernalia shop. I mean, he's wearing the Zubaz version of a t-shirt, yes. But you know the shirt I'm talking about that, like, everyone had in 1993, the Crystals shirt? 
Uh, I don't remember everyone having that shirt down here. Maybe that's a, a New York thing. That was maybe more of a Northeast thing, but I remember my <laughs> sister having it and it not being remotely uncommon. Brian Christopher, the referee didn't see what happened. No, he didn't he see it. He just saw Jeff's shoulders on the mat. He counted one, two, three, and Brian Christopher has been awarded the Southern Heavyweight title. Here we go. Jarrett got tripped up from outside, interference from one of Simply Divine's members, Steve Dahl. And now they're trying to explain exactly what happened. Referee Kevin Christian, he's over listening to everybody. He's trying to figure out what in the world happened. Lawler says, listen to the crowd. The crowd will tell you what happened. Yeah, Lawler's trying to tell him. And Steve, oh, oh look out. Oh, he's oh, got a big goodness. ball now. Everybody's in there. They're all going at each other. Coco Ware's got Christopher. If he can catch up with him, Christopher drops that southern title. <laughs> and boy, he runs freely around the ring. He runs in the crowd back there. Brian Christopher's over in the audience somewhere. Hey! Comes out of the back curtain today. Yeah, Christopher picked up the belt on the way, and he's headed out of here. Meanwhile, Coco Ware bumps into Wolfie D, who gets nailed. We've still got the free-for-all going. Christopher has left. He grabbed the Southern title, and he is gone. He's out of here. He is the new Southern champion, at least pending a review of everything. Yeah, the referee's to... ruling is going to have to stand. That's the way it is. The referee didn't see what happened. Yeah, he just saw the shoulders down. Yeah, that's all he saw was the shoulders down. We'll be back with more from the USWA. Man, what... Hi. Great, great shit there. God almighty. Um, and the punches. I mean, in that brawl, you got Jarrett's throwing punches. Lawler's throwing his punches. Coco's throwing his punches. Billy Joe Travis is throwing his punches. I mean, you got some of the best punchers in wrestling history just throwing bombs in that brawl. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean, like I said, if you've never seen this match, go find it, watch it. Because it is fantastic. It's the, the early part of the match, the, the selling psychology, everybody coming out, the heat, the announcing, tremendous stuff here. Absolutely. Can't talk about it enough. All right. Also on television, Wolfie D took on Billy Travis, which ended with uh, Simply Divine interfering for the DQ. Then JC Ice and Brian came out. It's five on one on Travis until Lawler, Jarrett, and the Marino brothers made the save, Bix. Remember the Marinos? I know uh, <laughs> one of them would, or both of them would become a key in the, with the Lawler thing later on. It was Ryan. Bill. It was Bill. Yeah. But, and yeah. I think it's why I tried to chime in. There was one point where we discussed it, and I think Bo was trying to make a point that got clouded about it, which was that it's not unreasonable based on the evidence we have now to think that there was a decision to single out Lawler, even though there was seemingly just as much to go after Bill Marino with. Big fish. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have gone after both, but... No, no, no. But it's, you know, it's basically the same yeah. stuff. It doesn't seem like there's any, like, you know, I read through all that stuff from the police. It really didn't seem like there was significantly more. There was maybe a little more um, that they had on Lawler, but it wasn't drastic, as best as I could tell. And as far as I know, he wasn't charged. So, yeah. a little weird. Yeah. 
All right, so Mr. Fantasy, dear Mr. Fantasy, Larry Williams is already gone. Well, Doug Gilbert quit this past week, and the Harlem Knights and Moondog Spot finished up this past week as well. Harlem Knights, of course, being middle on the mission. Papa Sean goes in town for a couple of weeks. The story lands out on April 19th in Memphis, which was headlined by Lawler and Miss Texas against Scott Flamingo and Sherry Martell. Yeah, Lawler against Sherry Apollo Driver. Scott Flamingo interview called Lawler a woman beater. They shared the interview saying that she was injured, but we'll see to get Papa Shago for the WWF to get revenge for her. In Nashville, when they announced Lawler and Shango for the next card, they got no crowd reaction at all, so don't expect Shango to help the crowds. Well, let's go to the Memphis uh, version of uh, this promo or deal here. Yes, with soon-to-be uh, unified champion Papa Shango. Yes, sir. Robin. Well, <laughs> you know, after standing there watching that... Jerry Lawler is dressed like Cole Radrick was at the Indy Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing he's, he wore that blazer to begin the show, yes. He's got a blazer over a black t-shirt wearing gold chains. The black t-shirt, which is almost a sleeveless black t-shirt, yes. And and it's like, what, what would you say? This is like a light tan or a mild peach-colored blazer, I guess? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's Conan's jacket. It actually he's looks Conan's like it, jacket. No, he's, it he's looks wearing Conan, like He's wearing the jacket when Cornette's wearing the pants. That's what I was about to say. It looks like the jacket to Cornette's <laughs> pants from earlier. That yeah, was spitting. in style back then. Yeah, it was. Flamingo. You're a woman beater. You saw that, Dave Brown. Everybody saw it. You're a woman beater, King. You took a poor defenseless woman and you bowed to her. What kind of man are you? You know what? You're a depraved degenerate. You should be in a cell with Mike Tyson somewhere because you are nothing but a scumbag. Pile driving a woman like that, you hurt her. And you're going to pay for it, King. You're going to pay. Papa Shango's coming, and I'll tell you what, there ain't a guy in the WWF that doesn't want a piece of you for what you did to Sean Martel. You're going to get it, King. You're going to get it! Great baby face fire there from the mensch that is uh, Scotty <laughs> Flamengo. <laughs> <laughs> And he's wearing his gray tie there, which insinuates his bulge. I was going to say, if Steve Austin was here, he'd get angry at him for quote-unquote showing off. <laughs> Wait, were those trunks or were those... I thought it was, I thought it was cut-offs. It was like by biker shorts, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. I also like that we're talking about this as Toxic Attraction is uh, appearing on NXT. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, because, well, this is this is the... Reverse, I guess. This is the uh, YouTube uh, jobber fandom version of Toxic Attraction. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, well, I guess at least he's out of here. You know, he says there's not a guy in the WWF that doesn't want a piece of me. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I think about each and every guy in the WWF. I think they all stink. You understand that? That goes for you too, Scotty Flamingo. Now, Sherry Martell, you put yourself in a man's place, and that's why you got exactly what you had coming. Is that what she got? What she <laughs> now, you want to go back up there, and you want to send down some mercenaries to try to do your dirty work. Well, Papa Shango, yeah, you're six foot six. Is that right? Weighs nearly 300 pounds. And as I saw there at the end of that video, you've even got... Uh, some kind of a skull with some fire shooting out of it. Well, let me tell you something, Papa Shango. You're looking at the man right here, 
talk a little bit about fire. Is that right? So I'm going to tell you something. You come on down. Because you're not in the World Wrestling Federation. You're in my backyard. You come on down and see the king. And I'm going to make you a promise, Papa Shango. The only flaming skull that is going to be in that ring this week is going to be the skull that's painted on your face. And it's going to be flaming, courtesy of the king. So come see me, Pat. Here's a word from the king, Papa Shango. I don't know if it was that episode or another episode they played a Papa Shango video, but there was one fan audibly in the crowd that yelled out, that's a soul tanker. <laughs> <laughs> Which he had been soul taker in Memphis in 1989. Uh, not too long ago. That's a, that's a soul taker. <laughs> I love the Memphis fans. <laughs> But anyway, Nashville Fairgrounds on May 1st in front of 400 fans. We have uh, Scotty Fleming over Randy Rocket, Nightmare Danny Davis over Tony Falk, Jared over Brian by DQ and Southern Heavyweight Title Match, PG-13 over the Marinos, and then Billy and Jeff beat Simple Divine by DQ in the USA Bay Tag Title Match. So JF did a double duty there. All right, so, oh, it's time. It's time to get to the Metroplex and all our Metroplex <laughs> extravaganza here. We'll start with the Global Wrestling Federation. Ring announcer Doyle King announced at the April 30th Global Car that the show would debut soon on the Dallas Superstation. But the only local Superstation, KTVT Channel 11, which aired world-class shows on Saturday nights to huge ratings in the Groove's Glory Day, seems to know nothing about it. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> yeah, well, it is Doyle King. So, did he have a reputation for? Uh... It's just Doyle King. Are you saying that he comes off like he is not particularly bright? <laughs> it's just Doyle King. You can't believe what he says. Skandar at bar held a birthday party in the ring for Saddam Hussein. Doyle King came out with his present for at bar to take to Hussein. It was a box of cow shit. Which gold <laughs> then dumped on the floor so everyone could see it was legit. <laughs> so, Fredo, we're doing a happy birthday to Saddam Hussein angle in 1993. Yeah. Two years after the war. I mean, and who does the whole cow manure thing? I mean, especially inside a building with people in there, it's like the smell. The Global Wrestling Federation. Yeah, it's going to stay. <laughs> You know, the smell, I bet you they regret it afterwards, where the smell just stayed there the whole rest of the night. So. Eh, it's the Sportatorium. <laughs> it smells like that anyways. Well, no, the Sportatorium <laughs> smells like stale popcorn, not poop. Yeah. <laughs> Saddam Hussein Angles in 93. Good Lord. <laughs> well, this Ray. is also, or was it more in 92? This is the period also where they're they're selling these... Like shoddily made crocheted Akbar dolls at the Sportatorium. <laughs> Do you guys remember seeing these on TV? Well, Akbar is doing the Saddam. I mean, he's doing the General Adnan stuff and Slaughter stuff from '91 and '93 and '94. Okay. Because I just watched a '94 Global episode, uh, January, the January 9th Global, 
which was taped on um, I think Christmas night. Yeah, Christmas night '93. And and Akbar is dressed up as Adnan was at like Russell, at the WrestleMania in the slaughter in that version of their their look, the uh, khaki suit with the beret. He's wearing that. Mm-hmm. And what a show that is! <laughs> if you ever watched night, early nineteen ninety four Global, oh my god! <laughs> like uh, there's one point. Iceman King Parsons has three managers. You want to guess who they are, Bex? Baboose? Yes. Brandon Baxter? Yes. Jackie Goldman? No, you're close. Well, not really close. Tony Adams! (laughs) How was that close? Well, (laughs) that's why I said not that close. uh, I don't think Tony Adams is a member of the tribe. I had to remember Jackie was a man. Yes, okay. (laughs) Yes, Jackie Jackie Goldman, the... uh, who tr- maybe he's a little bit later in 94 he comes in as the manager of tug and chas taylor who is secretly a heel <laughs> but he's a he he's he's cheating behind their backs and using objects on their opponents and they don't see it and also he's helping them develop their singing career fredo oh. if you have you ever seen the global stuff from 93 and 94 no, I think I, I tapped out. Like, Oh, my God. Well, some of it's I mean, on YouTube. Well, it's a completely different a production company. Well, it's, it's it, a lot of the stuff that's on YouTube is from Gray Pearson's Masters, actually. Yes. Oh, wow. And, it, is, it is amazing to watch. Yeah, you've got, like, 16-year-old Brandon Baxter destroying his hair with bleach and Baby being a heel manager. Swenson. Yes. Uh, Moadib. <laughs> Ahmed Johnson is Moadib. Wildboy Wilbur. Um, but but yes, Ahmed Johnson doing dives and moonsaults and oh, not wow. knowing how to run the ropes and uh, uh, yeah, um, and, and they re, you know restart the Iceman Chris Adams feud, uh, the reunited Freebirds of Jimmy Garvin and Terry Gordy managed by Michael Hayes, Francis Buxton, yeah, um, oh, and, and Moa Deep had a few with Jeep Swenson, by the way. We can't forget that. Oh, oh you two must love that. Was he, was he wearing his cutoffs for that? <laughs> no. Which, yeah, if if any of you have ever seen like that, the, you know the the weird photo shoot of uh, Ahmed Johnson in WWF magazine that looks very blue boy. Um, he wore those cutoff shirts as his short, excuse me shorts as his gear sometimes in global. So he, he, he well, I mean, Global uh, Global is the promotion that definitely gazed upon the male form with its camera angles more than any other in this era. <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, Stevie Ray kept the Norman Katana beating Johnny Mantel after Stevie got the pin. Black Bart and Atbar did a run in and hung him with a noose. Oh, geez. Of course, <laughs> he's black. Then uh, Mike Davis and Killer Tim Brooks headlined in a false canoe where a match was ended up in the concession stand in the lobby. After throwing food like mustard and relish on each other, concessionaire Jack Plyland asked Brooks not to come in. At that point, Brooks picked up the pan of water that they boiled the hot dogs in and poured it on Plyland's back. Brooks also punched and kicked Plyland when he went to the floor. <laughs> All right, we got to go to the results at the Sportatorium. We have Jimmy James and the Ebony Prince over Johnny Dollar and Chris Barrett. 
Vito Mussolini. Oh. Over Chad Champion. <laughs> oh, my God. And by the way, Vito Mussolini, not to be confused with... Um, Oh god, now I'm forgetting his name. What was it? What was it? Um, Joe Castellini, the uh, commissioner who was mobbed up and got arrested and stopped being the commissioner, and then returned to Global with a beard and rundown clothing because he had lost everything after being arrested on racketeering charges in Sicily, and had moved back to Dallas and was taking out trash at the homeless center, excuse me, homeless shelter down the block at the Sportatorium for minimum wage. See, this is what you miss, Fredo. <laughs> yeah. And that was on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's That was the weird thing. I, I remember coming home and like when it was coming towards an end and I was, I think that's when they did the whole Mike Davis thing where he did the bungee court thing. And I thought, man, I'm glad I stopped watching this. <laughs> Although now I think I probably should have been watching it all this time. Oh well, yeah, the, yeah. The thing about global is that like after like the summer of 92 between then and when they're off main ESPN, like mid 93, it is just a crapshoot of a, if anything is going to air B, if it's going to be new or going to be Legends of Global. And then also, if it's Legends, is it just going to be the same episode every time? And they're just doing whatever. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's fun fun as shit. Uh, Then we have, uh, so we have Chaz over Too Sweet Jones. Okay. Hope he was doing some type of pimp gimmick or something. Uh, then we had the Steve, Stevie Ray Johnny Mattel match. Booker T and Action Jackson, which were no contest with the uh, Colossal Kongs. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. For the GWF Junior Heavyweight title, Calvin Knapp. Ass. Retain over Stephen Dane. Ass. Well, how about that Ass. <laughs> You have the biggest dick I've ever seen. <laughs> also, how the hell is Calvin Knapp a junior heavyweight? <laughs> he, he's a body guy. I mean, he's, I don't know if he's that tall, but he's huge. <laughs> I, mean, this is, how? I mean, he is like 1992 Buddy Murphy. Or Buddy Matthews, I guess, now. Well, well, 93. He a, well, he was the cruiserweight champion in WWE, so. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hard body sad, Calvin Knapp and Steven. Sad Day. that this wasn't on. Uh, this wasn't televised. I know. Oh, Angel Death on Black by DQ. Man. Yes, Guido Falcone over John Hawk, and then the Mike Davis Killer Brooks Lights Out match. Okay, I'm curious. If I put in Steven Dane Calvin Knapp into YouTube, it's nothing there. No, if there's anything, they didn't have TV. Okay. Well, we do have a 20-minute Calvin Knapp video. <laughs> of course. Oh, no, it's 12 minutes now. I wonder why. Oh, it's an Alex Porto <laughs> match, it looks like. But let's see. What kind of comments do we have? All ca- So it's all caps pro wrestling Calvin Knapp. Uh, the description is all caps Calvin Knapp. Um, right now it has 666 views, the number of the beast. And ah, oh, comments are turned off. Oh, that's terrible. Oh well. Well, let's 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 give Calvin. Let's just search for Calvin Knapp this time and give it one more try. Calvin Knapp. Uh, well, no, Calvin Knapp wrestling. Yeah, let's try that. Um, we have a tribute video <laughs> from Will Riggs. 
See you right here. Oh my god. Okay, so the, the the comments are mostly okay, except for we do have Maverick Drone and Photography saying this is capitalized awesome. Miss this guy so much and working out. Oh wait, no, it's someone that actually worked out with him. So the comments are actually fine on that one. Um, okay, here we go. Calvin Knapp. Okay, should, should we go with? We've got Calvin Knapp, Kit Carson. We've got Calvin Knapp, Mike Lane. We've got Alex Porto. Um, and then of course we have a playlist of vintage muscle jobbers <laughs> trashed. So which one? What what should I click on here? I mean, uh, there's no. I've been looking as you've been talking. There's really there's no Nothing real much comments, as far as comments. Oh. Even Kit All right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> well, we do have that, that Calvin had a hot body, but nothing. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, and the, I mean, even the, the, someone replies saying he passed a few years back, and then the guy replies back, oh, that is sad. Do you know what he died from? Man, he had such a muscular body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. So they, they had a spot. Oh, and of course, the, the thumbnail on one of these is a head scissors. I know you're shocked. <laughs> Yeah, a spot show Mesquite, Texas on April 28th, which had a complicated finish in a match featuring Jimmy James, the Ebony Prince, and Bullman Downs against the team of John Hawk, Action Jackson, and Calvin Knapp. Freddie Fargo bought Bullman Downs' contract. He picked up a chair in a fear, but was pulled off the apron by Brandon Baxter. Fargo then clotheslined Baxter. Referee James Beard then was slapped by Fargo and Beard Day Fargo. While this was going on, heel valet CJ hit Hawk with her purse, and he was pinned. The commissioner then suspended Beard as a referee for hitting Fargo, which led to a singles match between them on May 2nd in Wiley, Texas. When the match started, Beard was nowhere in sight and finally stumbled out of the dressing room covered in blood. Never got into the ring, so Fargo won by forfeit. Fargo beat on Beard. After a while, Downs beat up Hawk, and Fargo spit on him before both faces were carried to the back. Tell me that Freddie Fargo was bragging to Dave Meltzer about what a complicated finish he executed in Mesquite without telling me that Freddie Fargo was bragging to Dave Meltzer about what a complicated finish he managed to execute in Mesquite. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Well, and with ESPN, did forget to mention this aspect of it, too, even this late. ESPN has aired some old Jared Taste from Texas in the 4 p.m. time slot. Max Andrews was supposed to be, begin supplying them new taste, which would have been the WAW from Florida, but the group continues to postpone their taping, taping their first shows. How about that? I don't even remember WAW existing. I don't think they ever. I don't think they ever did. <laughs> so this is this is Max Andrews being completely on the outs with everyone and trying to scramble to have some wrestling to keep making money off the ESPN deal and some on ads or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um. And this also goes to why it doesn't seem like WWE really has much of any global after this point, because what they bought, and which we finally confirmed when the thing was Lavi Margolin was looking through the copyright office records, they bought out whatever Max Andrews had. Yeah. Which makes you wonder, I mean, well, besides however they do this stuff normally with the network, why they haven't, you know, finished up or added to world class to get at least well, the, the world class run, but well, still, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's why this is yeah. the way it is. And why Gray Pearson has his stuff that he owns, which it seems like is strictly the stuff from after Max Andrews wasn't involved anymore. 
Yeah. Wes Crowder is going to begin running weekly shows at the Cowtown Coliseum in Fort Worth, where Bill Watts used to tape his TV on in the mid-'80s using Chris Adams as his booker. The first show is May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, which in Mexico is equivalent to July 4th in the United States. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> when when is, is not uh, Dia de la Independencia. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget. When is Mexican Independence Day? September 16th, right, Fredo? Yeah. Yes. yes. So uh, the show's going to – Cinco de Mayo is an American holiday, basically. Yeah. It really yeah. is. It really is. Um, we have Mil Mascaros against Black Bart, Kevin Munner against Iceman, Chris Evans against Rob Price, Steve Simpson against Action Jackson, and local Dallas area lucha wrestlers underneath. The show will be taped for both English and Spanish for Channel 23 in Dallas with a Saturday night time slot. Thousands of comps are given away for the first show, so it looked decent on television. I don't remember this happening. Like, why are you booking a, like, 5,000 seat? Stockyard venue. <laughs> Gotta look good on television, Bix. <sighs> what the? Why? Well, I'll say this much: I mean, at least, at least there are a lot of promoters interested in keeping these Dallas-based wrestlers working. Yeah, you know that's the one upshot to this, I guess, including our personal favorite, Big. D. Yes, yes. Bix is always excited when Big D's are around. And they run a show uh, in uh, the Rocket Fiesta Palace on May 2nd in front of 121. Oh, oh wait. B- Big D at the Rocket Palace? Yes. Yeah, isn't the Rocket Palace where you get, like, um, <laughs> facsimiles of Big D's? <laughs> yes. So we have Alice the Pug Porto or Billy Steele. Big D over Kit Carson, not the guy that made the videos. <laughs> Gary Young and Wobble Irwin over Terry Sims and Calvin Knapp. Where there's Big D, there's Calvin Knapp. <laughs> no, no uh, Stephen Dane, though, on the Big D event. <laughs> no, uh, the Blackbirds, which are no contest with Sweet Daddy Falcone and Sean Stevens. And then Chris Adams over Scott Braddock in your main event. I love that Scott Braddock is still hanging around, despite the fact that he <laughs> hasn't worked for any of the more notable TV offices in the city in like three and a half years. He just keeps getting booked on the indie show, so yes, Corporal, he's getting taken care of. Corporal Scott Braddock, Sheik Braddock. Sheik. Yep. So Calvin yeah. Knapp and Big D, a match made in heaven. Yes, and by the way, is it me or does it seem like every Big D result in this era is pretty much always somewhere in the neighborhood of 121 fans? That maybe that was typical past year the club of the Rocket Fiesta Palace. Yeah. So what do we think the Rocket Fiesta Palace is? Because remember the results a lot of times had just said Rocket Palace. Let me see. It, it, does this place still exist? Uh, Probably. Okay. Uh, yes, Rocket Fiesta Palace. It, it exists. It's a private <laughs> club of All some right. kind. Oh, oh, you'll love this. Uh, the Rocket Fiesta Palace, where the home of Big D, was on Cockrell Hill Road. <laughs> <laughs> well, when there's Big D's, there's going to be a cock around too. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Cockrell sounds like the last name someone would come up with too, just as a wrestling or a porn <laughs> name or something. Yeah, I guess it would be more Cockwell than Cockrell, but. Maybe. Tad Cock Tad Cockwell coming soon to NXT two point oh. 
And now let's close out with the World Wrestling Federation and uh, a very light section for them this week. WF sent word that they don't want Jacques Rougeau to use the Mountie name on the Indies. So he's being billed as Canadian Law and Order, formerly known as the Mountie. <laughs> Apparently this stems from an attempt to look like they're not specifically targeting Kevin Nails Wacholtz, who's now being called the Convict instead of Nails on indie shows for similar reasons. I am so pissed off that I don't think I have the Law and Order dun-dun loaded into the soundboard anymore. <laughs> Canadian Law and Order. Is that like the band who respects Law and Order, the boss? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Canadian Law and Order. <laughs> Formerly known as the Mountie. Canadian Law and Order. Got to wear wigs over there, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Can a, Canadian Law and Order. Every character's named Gord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. All right. So the first week in the house shows this meeting by Lars didn't draw well. The only big house show reported to the Observer was on May the 1st at Nassau Coliseum, which drew 8,400 which is well below average for the building. But nowadays, any crowd of that size can't be considered unsuccessful. The rest were in the 1,500-3,100 range. Highlights of the A shows were Bret Hart beating Lex Luger by DQ, and Razor Ramon interferes as Bret has Luger in the sharpshooter. After the match, Razor holds Bret, and Luger goes for the forearm, but Hart ducks, and Razor gets knocked out. When Ramon finally gets up, they tease the brawl between him and Lex, which seems to be building towards a Razor face turn. It was, but not against Lex. Uh, Yokozuna and Jim Duggan are having horrible matches in a negative star range, although with all the TV behind Duggan's comeback, he's getting as big crowd reactions as ever. Mr. Fuji throws salt leading to Duggan getting counted out. The other big match is Shawn Michaels against Mr. Perfect, which has largely been 20-minute draws, although they've done the dusty finish, where Perfect won the IC title, and then getting DQ'd after as well. Smoking Guns are replacing the Nasty Boys all the house shows and matches against the Head Shrinkers. Told the guns are surprisingly impressive, and the two teams are having the best matches currently in the in the company. Apparently, the Nasty Boys are out for a month. Well, they'll be they're longer than that because they're going to WCW. Hmm. All right, so let's look at the shows here. Uh, we have a double shot on May the first. Now, I saw Coliseum, Brooklyn Brawl over Jim Powers, Bob Backlund over Blake Beverly. A lot of bees there. And Brooklyn Brawler, too. Hey, Shrinkers are smoking guns. Yoko over Duggan by count out. Perfect and Sean go to the draw. Bam, bam, Bigelow over Kamala. And Brett over Lex Luger by disqualification. Now, Landover at the Capitol Center. The only different match we have here is Damian Demento over El Matador. And that's the that's an added match. Every other match on this show is the same as Nassau Coliseum. Same results. Fredo, what did you think about uh, Duggan in this comeback run here against Yokozuna and eventually the Sean feud on Raw? I mean, Duggan, by that point, <laughs> another guy who's pretty much, uh, I don't know. I mean, it just, I guess it, it was a whole, yeah, it's pretty much done at that point. And, you know, although in pro wrestling, you're not, you're never done. So you're, you're always going to get a second chance. And obviously Duggan got another one and, you know, him being the the previous U.S., you know, the guy who represented the U.S. and everything, he comes in to work with Yokozuna, so he was going to get a 
you know, that basically was, he was just there to like fill time, I guess, for whoever else was coming up next. Which is going to be Lex, yeah, or Hogan, yeah. really, basically. Yeah, so, I mean, and you, and Duggan was at one point a, a, a name, and you know, if you're going to go with somebody, you go with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah. Tor says there's talk that Wayne the Train Bloom, the current wrestler here, is Bo Beverly, may jump at WCW. Well, we have Blade Beverly working solo now, shows Bix. So I guess I guess kind of some, some credence to this rumor. And he just retires for five years. Yeah, hmm. that's it. All right, we talk about Hulk Hogan. Some uh, disgruntlement about Hulk Hogan's comments on a United Kingdom television show when he was promoting his movie where he said things that some people interpreted as exposing the business. Oh, boy. As that, if that's even possible <laughs> these days, given what the WF product is, just a few weeks before the tour, and claiming that's why the UK shows didn't sell out. But in reality, one had nothing to do with the other. And it doesn't say what he said. So I don't know what he said that would have been uh, exposing the business. So. Yeah, wonderful journalism in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For more on wonderful journalism, patreon.com slash between the sheets. That's all we'll say about that. Uh, yeah. And, ma- and, major, and major newspapers, too. <laughs> all right. Well, we got Hulk Hogan to close out this show. And um, Hulk Hogan's been accused of imbibing with some uh, some uh, party favors, so to speak. Over I don't know if years. I'd say imbibing, per se. That didn't actually seem like it was a- partaking. I think you mean partaking, yes. So, but that's usually attributed to the '80s, not the '90s. Well, let's watch this promo here from May Second Wrestling Challenge, and you be the judge, shall we? I can just mind meld with you right now, and I can hear the word, the phrase "Tampa Pipeline" just floating through your brain <laughs> over and over. Well, let's watch the clip, shall we? Wrestling Federation Champion Hulk Hogan is holding court here on the sands of the beautiful Gulf beaches of Clearwater, Florida. He is on the movie set. Gentlemen, that's the business of the hour. However, there is future business that is going to be conducted as part of the King of the Ring, June 13th in Dayton, Ohio. I don't have to tell you I am talking Yokozuna and the World Wrestling Federation. Okay, real quick. First of all, despite being at Clearwater Beach and not in Orlando, especially with Gene being there, this looks exactly like the talking to Hogan before he's in WCW, WCW segment from a year later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, to the point, it's disconcerting. And Brutai is wearing the protective mask for no apparent reason. Yes. Well, what I can tell you right now, little dude, is you're talking trash, brother. Because the only reason I'm out here on the movie set, the only reason I'm in Hollywood is simply because it was a prior commitment. Is that straight between you and me? You, you got it. You done it right. I got it, brother. I got the World Wrestling Federation title for the fifth time. And I'm going to hang on to it, brother. All I got to say is in Dayton, Ohio, when the strongest power in the world, Hulkamania, runs wild, the ring crew from the WWF better reinforce the ring. Because when I get old... Fatso up in the air. When I get old, Yuko Zudo, Stinko Buno in the launch position. What? I'm going to crush him over my head. I'm going to show him off to all my Hulkamaniacs in the arena. And then when he splits the ring in half, don't panic in L.A., New York, Kansas City, or Tokyo. 
It's not a worldwide earthquake. It's just Yokozuno going down for the second time. <laughs> now to cut to the quick, brother. We're going to take care of that dude in Dayton. But you, Fuji, Yokozuno, or anybody else that messes with <laughs> me, my little holsters, or the brothers at my side, you're messing with my family. I precious that. I pressure that. I precious that. I regard that more than life. I'm fucked hey, up. I can't even I talk. Can... <laughs> <laughs> Dayton, Ohio, brother. You got a date with disaster. Brutus the Barber's gonna be hanging in back. And after I beat Yokozuna for the one, two, three, you're gonna get a little haircut. You're gonna look just like Mr. Fuji. <laughs> oh. What you gonna do? <laughs> okay. Um, also, boy, for such an overcast day, they sure are wearing a lot of sunglasses. <laughs> well, Jimmy Hart always wears his sunglasses, and we know he's he's clean. It's a but Gene, but... Uh, Gene and Hogan are <laughs> wearing them as well. Brudai is not, but probably because he's wearing the mask. <laughs> yes, but um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was different. Um, the what? sand when the only white white uh, substance hanging around there. I tell you that. Uh, um, one thing that's clear though is that as much as he is clearly not on the gas Hogan is visibly trying to work his ass off in the gym to look as good as he can off steroids yes this right here looks like he is in the best shape he was in in this whole run mm -hmm. um, and one thing we need to remember too it's not just the role it has in muscle growth and stuff. It's that it makes it you can work out a lot more. Mm -hmm. Because recovery is so much easier. Yeah. But that was something. Mm -hmm. Hanging and banging there on the beach. <laughs> yeah, Cruising exactly. for some action while listening to their favorite rock and roll station. <laughs> oh, Crank man. it up, blow it out. We hate school. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. So there you go. That's it for WF. <laughs> a quick section, as we said this week. Yeah, this was. Oh, Jesus. Okay, wait. We're... Okay, that went by quicker than I expected it to, even. Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're not even at 11 minutes yet, so. Yeah, well, we got the. We got some plugs and stuff to talk about, so that'll make it a little longer segment. But that is it for us for this week. Fredo, always great to have you on the show, so go ahead and plug away, my man. Well, I mean, you guys could visit me on LuchaWorld.com for all your latest Lucha Libre news, and I would also like to tell those people that attended that WWF show in Landover who witnessed Damien Demento Russell that it gets better later on, you know? Life <laughs> gets better. You, didn't, you, you, you might have regretted those few minutes of watching his match, but it gets better. Life gets better. <laughs> Although I, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that because we just went through a whole. Uh, we're still in the process of trying to get past this pandemic thing. Uh, maybe 1993 <laughs> watching Damien Demento isn't the worst thing possible. Uh, but yeah, check out LuchaWorld.com where uh, you get all the latest Lucha Libre news and uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of news going on, especially this week with Triple Mania going on as Triple A is celebrating their. 30th anniversary at Arena Mexico. CMLL is celebrating Arena Mexico's 66th anniversary. So there's going to be a lot of big shows this weekend. So um, we'll have all the news on that during the week and next week. 
Yes, and, and like we've said before, remember, this is Arena Mexico's anniversary, not the promotion's anniversary. There are two separate yeah. deals. <laughs> uh, and you know, that that's always a pain in the ass to explain. But And of course, uh, you're on Twitter as well, if you want to get that out there. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. The real Fredo, also at Lucha World, two different Twitter accounts. If you want to get all the, you know, the the Wednesday tweets as I suffer through CMLL Informa and give you any witty responses about Luchadors, you could follow me on the real at the real Fredo. Or if you just want the news, go to at Lucha World. Um, also, you can check out my Patreon, Patreon.com/LuchaWorld. Um, lots Absolutely. of stuff on there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a lot of yeah. historical stuff and everything. So yeah. everybody go check that out if you're a fan of Lucha Libre. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1990. And this could be a, uh, another kind of a shortish show, but still some, a lot of fun stuff going on as we'll have a World Wrestling Federation with uh, more discussion on Hulk Hogan and what his plans are after WrestleMania. And we got uh, some uh, mainstream media appearances by WF Talent to talk about on, t- on television. So there's that. Twin Wars 90 in St. Paul, Minnesota as the NWA and the AWA hook it up. So we'll talk about that for a, a card there. We got another wild week of uh, USWA to talk about in Dallas featuring uh, – Chris Von Erich, which is always going to be fun. So we have that. And we got uh, some title changes in Memphis. We got uh, news on the other indies, including a, a special little section. I'm going to say a section. But we got a group that we won't, we don't have anything to talk about but a couple of clips for television, just because it's on YouTube and we got to talk about it. So... There's that. Okay. Lucha. We got a little Lucha to talk about. We got some uh, news on Stampede Wrestling and possible television deal. UWF runs a big show at the Budokan. We'll talk about that and other UWF news. New Japan runs a triple header at Cork and Hall. So we'll talk about that. Not on the same day, but three straight days in a row. All Japan and how in the hell are they going to get past uh, Tanukarichiro leaving for uh, the future SWS? And we have the National Wrestling Alliance, where the big story of our week, as it takes place on the very last day of our week, Ole Anderson is named the booker of the National Wrestling Alliance. No. And we have a day, <laughs> day by day summary from Matt Watch. One of my favorite Matt Watch things is the TikToks of major stories like this. So the thing, yeah, because the thing is, is that Steve was on a two-week sabbatical when this took place. Oh boy! So he had to do a full rundown in the Matt Watch he returned on, so he had everything dated, which I loved it. So I put everything in context, and we'll have news on uh, other media stuff uh, involving the NWA, and it's going to be quite the section, believe me. And we're joined by a first-time guest next week as J.D. Oliva will be joining us for the first time on Between the Sheets. So there you go. You know, I was thinking, especially if we're talking about Booker's named Oli, that uh, potentially John Muse would be a good fit. So 
Well, John's buddy JD is just as good a fit. (laughs) Yes. So there you go. So anyway, yes. So it should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. But anyway, that's next week. This is this week. And we had a great time with Fredo. So Fredo, we thank you for being on with us. And we'll definitely have you back on in the future. Always great being on the show with you guys. Thank you, Bix. Of course, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Patreon special edition number 67. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's time to tackle Titan Gate 1992. And as we said in the build-up to all this, this is definitely going to be more than one show. There's no set limit on how many shows we're going to do on this. But we know it's going to definitely be more than one. <laughs> and maybe more than two before it's all said and done. So, uh... The time has come, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of interesting to talk about on this show, isn't it? Yeah, and we know our goal is that the series will go through basically the Ultimate Warrior and British Bulldog firings. We're just not sure exactly how long that will take, pretty much. Yeah, well, there's going to be enough here, believe me, to uh, make up for a, a lot of interesting audio that I don't think anybody's going to be upset <laughs> as far as that, no. Um, and like we noted when we were setting all this up, you know, on the main shows, this is the whole set of Titan Gate scandals in 92 that we're covering. We're covering mm-hmm. how the drug and steroid scandals take further shape in 92, on top of the Ring Boy scandal and Murray Hodgson and all that other stuff. And I guess we'll give the disclaimer up front. 
I mean, it starts off with more drug stuff, but takes a turn quickly. If you do not want to hear about the sexual harassment or abuse scandals, this is probably not a series you're going to want to listen to. Well, that's why. I mean, if you're listening to this, you know what you're getting into. Yes. You know, I, I know, I know why you want to give a disclaimer, but if you're listening to this show, well, it'll be show, clear in the description whatever, too. Yes. You know what you're getting into. Extra from Wade Keller's A Few Met Clarifications feature in The Torch. Fire on the spot is what Vince said would happen if there was evidence of an employee involved in perpetrating sexual harassment. Phil Mushnick said on KFAN Radio in Minneapolis Monday night, two weeks ago, my man told me he fully suspected Mel Phillips years ago. He fired him four years ago because he felt he was spending too much time around kids. He hired him back out of sympathy in his heart. Then Friday, when Mel Phillips' name was brought up, he acted like the guy was a stranger. So that's Monday afternoon. Monday night into Tuesday, Phil's writing his column for Wednesday, which gets the front page of the sports section in the post. So here we go. Sex lies in the WF. WS Defense, just more lies by Phil Mushney for the New York Post. In a world where scandal within legitimate ranks has become an everyday reality, there are many who respond to the staggering tales being reported by men who once served the World Wrestling Federation as tales that are both easily explained and dismissed. After all, we're told pro wrestling is simply a rogue industry behaving as a rogue industry. And that's exactly the mindset WF owner Vincent Mann's banking on. And that's exactly what it's empowered the WF to do to the people, children and adults, exactly as it wishes when it wishes, and all, all, as often as it wishes. The WF is power drunk in the knowledge that its autonomy fully enables it to violate every standard of human decency because right-headed humans possess neither the time nor inclination to do anything about any industry they've always viewed with bemused disregard. Hmm. Never will you encounter a human more cold-blooded, more devoid of honor and provided an investment man. America's foremost TV babysitter. In your wildest, most twisted dreams, you won't meet up with a licensed man, a miscreant so practiced in the art of deception, the half-truth and the bald-faced lie, as to make the artful Dodger appear clumsy. A George Steinbrenner or a Don King pale in comparison. So help us. Indeed, Annabelle Lecter is the only fictional character who comes close. Ding, 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 ding. So, as we've discussed before, and I'm sure we'll discuss yeah. again... Holy shit, did this stick in Vince McMahon's craw for decades. Yeah. <laughs> that the, that Hannibal Lecter line specifically. It comes up in every lawsuit. It mysteriously comes up in Russo's first issue after having taken over the Pro Wrestling Spotlight newsletter completely from in his split from Arezzi. He brings it up. Every time they talk about Mushnick, it comes up in the... 50, friggin' 50th anniversary WWF book from uh, almost a decade ago in the section about the steroid trial and stuff, they bring it up. It's constantly brought up throughout all the Mushnick litigation and stuff. It, it, it Something about being compared to a fictional cannibal serial killer enraged Vince to a ridiculous degree. <laughs> Now, yeah. it is a bit of an exaggeration, especially since we don't know about well, Vince. We haven't heard about any of the Vince allegations yet. But, like, it, it that and, is a bit And much. that's the thing with people reading this, too, Bix. Is they read that and they're like, oh, come on. You know? Now, <laughs> I don't think he necessarily means Vince McMahon eats people. No, I, but I the think, comparison. Well, that's the thing, and I think this is where it could just be better written. 
If your point is to say that there is no better fictional presentation of a sociopath or whatever than Hannibal Lecter, and that you're saying Vince McMahon is a sociopath and that's your point, there are a zillion better ways to say that. Exactly. Comparing comparing him to Hannibal Lecter, which you know, Silence of the Lambs is very very big at this time. I mean, it actually, when would the act? When would the Oscars have been, or would they have happened? A month earlier, in March. Well, we're in no, March. No, the same month. We're in March. So it's March. Okay, the Oscars aren't until are until two weeks later on the thirtieth. So it's it's a nominated very favorite. topical. Yes, yes, very topical movie to talk about. And Hannibal Lecter is you know the how he's you know, portraying that movie and everything. I mean, you could you could make your comparison better without making it come off as a cartoony comparison like he does here. Yes, and, now, and, and people the, and people read that and they're like, "Oh, uh-huh, look at this guy," you know. All of that said, both in general and under the circumstances, it's still completely ridiculous how much this bothered and stuck with Vince for so long. Well, Vince, Vince is Vince. What can you say? Yeah. All right. Um, after nine months of examining this man's ways and means, let's pick it up Friday night with my man spin control appearance on Larry King's CNN show. Following the conviction in, in June of Dr. Joel Zaharian, who for illegally dispensed steroids and other drugs to WWF stars, including Hulk Hogan, ex-wrestlers, ex-ring announcers, and ex-ring boys have been crawling out of the woodwork to report on the record years of blatant sexual abuse, sexual harassment, pedophilia, and drug abuse engaged in and perpetrated by WWF executives, stars, and administrators. So on Friday night, my man appeared on CNN in full knowledge of this steady stream of charges and fully expecting a lawsuit from a 21-year-old named Tom Cole, whose corroborated claim is that he was sexually molested and harassed by WF execs and front office workers while serving WF as an underage ring-assisted gopher. My man met the accusations with 30 minutes' worth of indignation and unblinking lies. Mel Phillips? WFTV ring announcer Roe Boss named by Cole and another youngster is the man who had recruited them and sexually abused them? Mel Phillips has never been employed at WWF. McMahon told King what a strong resolve. To this day, never been an employee. He's used as an occasional laborer. You know, on the occasions when WF is in business, Phillips is well known to the wrestling world as a WF regular for 10 years or more. Monday on the Phil Donahue show, seen among seven of WF's accusers, McMahon amended Phillips' history. Phillips said McMahon is not technically an employee, although he worked with us every day. Oh. McMahon also told King's national audience that he had no idea whatsoever about any sexual misconduct by employees, not even a hint. Yet two weeks ago, during his pour-his-heart-out phone calls, he told West Coast-based journalist Dave Meltzer, then me, that he had let Phyllis go four years ago because Phyllis's relationship with kids seemed peculiar and unnatural. McMahon said he rehired Phyllis with the caveat that Phyllis steered clear from kids. McMahon also said that no charges of sexual harassment had ever been before been level. Baloney. As far back as 1976, Jim Wilson, a former NFL lineman accused of National Wrestling Alliance, exec from, of blackballing him from the business after refusing the excess sexual advances. The WF was a member of the NWA at the time, and Wilson's story and fate is well known in the wrestling industry. Oh, okay. So... I, I I was gonna say I, I Vince is clearly talking about the WWF, so it's kind yes. of bullshit to bring up Wilson. Absolutely. But Vince would know. 
Vince would know about it. So I kind of get what he's going at. They were a member of the NWA. The NWA itself did get sued. I, I kind of get what he's going with here. I just well, don't know if I would have used that example to make that specific point. What much Where Mushnet went wrong in all this, to further illustrate his point, he should have said McMahon hired this same executive six years later. Yes! <laughs> that's that's where he should have you know put that in there to to add uh gravitas to you know this whole thing with this this line of uh you know conversation he's having here yes now he that's hired jim barnett that said we've already talked about i don't want to belabor too much i get that dave and the others are in a whirlwind of insanity at this time and it's a complicated story to explain later Regardless of what you think of how seriously the story is being taken and that it should have been covered better, actually should have, it is still completely fucking insane that the part about what Vince told Phil and Dave just does not stick to this story at all. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. Because, look, at this point, the main story is what Vince did or didn't know. That goes right to the heart of it. Why? Phil brings it up a couple more times in columns later in 92. Dave pretty much never brings it up again. Wade pretty much never brings it up again after this week. Even in the history pieces Dave does years later, this never comes up. And, you know, I asked him about it once and he kind of agreed with my theory. It was just, there was so much going on. Like, he absolutely agreed with me when I asked Dave about it. He said, yeah, obviously it looks ridiculous now that this didn't really stick to the story. But just in the context of the time, just there was so much going on that it somehow slipped through the cracks to really reiterate it. Which, again, is insane. And the other insane part, outside of the questions in Phil Mushnick's deposition about this, as far as I can tell, and those questions are actually the most civil that McDevitt is in that whole deposition. WWF has never addressed or refuted, even excuse me, refuted or even addressed period this once. Their strategy, it appears, became ignore it, pretend it never happened. If it comes up, do not say anything. As stupid as that sounds, and as improbable as it was. Holy shit, did that work? Yeah. Anyway, we still got a lot, so let's keep going. In 1985, Wilson repeated his charge on ABC's 2020. McMahon, dripping with sincerity, told King he had begun an internal investigation of all the charges. But later he said all the charges were a bunch of bunk. That's some way to begin an investigation. Yeah. McMahon also said that while he accepted resignations of his right-hand man, Pat Patterson, and his assistant, Terry Garvin... Ex-wrestlers and WFXX publicly charged by at least 10 people as having made sexual advances on wrestlers and as having engaged in casting couch employment practices. McMahon had the colossal gall to suggest that these execs were victims of America's creeping homophobia. Real quick, before we get to Phil's rebuttal of that, this phrasing of charged, even though in context it's very clearly just made an allegation— McDevitt really tries to seize on that in the lawsuit against Phil and his deposition. Oh, they were yeah. charged? Which I kind of get as a legal strategy, but in context, it's very obvious what he means. Yeah. 
Good God. Is there anyone with a more complete track record of teaching kids to hate homosexuals than McMahon? All his employees who have accepted ring roles as effeminate wrestlers have been positioned by McMahon as the villains. Hate has always been a big kitty cell of McMahon's and hatred for homosexuals has been a steady angle pitched to children. In recent tag matches, the Bushwhackers have wrestled the effeminate Beverly Brothers. Each time the Bushwhackers encouraged the kids in the honest to chant faggots, quote-unquote, at the Beverly's, this scene, Mom and Dad, has appeared on WS nationally televised shows. No, it hasn't. That one hasn't. No, and <laughs> Phil Mushnick, uh, again, I mean, that's wrestling, brother. <laughs> but, 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 it is a fair point to be like, oh, oh, you're saying this is all about homophobia events? Like, oh, oh, who's responsible for more homophobia than you? Like, I get his, it's a fair point, though. Yeah, but he's far from the only one that has done it. Oh, and, of course. You know. I mean, the the Beverly's Bushwhackers thing was kind of a weird, unique kind of egregious, though, because outside of, like, of that on those house shows, like, other than the fact that they wore purple and were managed by the genius, there was never any hint that they were supposed nope. to be effeminate or, or quote-unquote gay or whatever. They were brothers. <laughs> that would be saying it would be incest. Well, if it was with each other, yes. So, yeah, that one's a tough one. Um, anyway. But anyway. Um, <laughs> finally, Friday, McMahon flatly denied he was attempting to reach a financial settlement with Cole in an effort to prevent him from filing suit. He said he's trying to reach him solely in an attempt to get to the bottom of the charges. Monday, McMahon appeared on the Donahue Show with another altered story. He said a possibility existed these ugly charges were true, but then as the show wore on, he fought the charges with the same practice indignation and heart-clutching outrage seen Friday night. What wasn't immediately apparent Monday was that Donnie studio audience included Tom Cole. The kid and McMahon said on CNN Friday he was trying to meet with, but only to hear his charges and not to seek a financial settlement. Cole arrived at the show in the company of WF employees. Incredibly, Cole had reached an agreement with McMahon before Monday's Donahue show. The conditions of the Cole-McMahon agreement are that Cole will never again be confronted by Phillips, Garvin, or Patterson, Patterson. That McMahon provide Cole with a multi-year contract to return his, his position as a ring boy, a gopher with a long-term contract, and that Cole received two years back pay. And that's two years back pay for a teenage ring boy who used to make $100 a show, working no more than 30 shows a year. $70,000. Cole's attorney, Adam Allen Fuchsberg, 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 whatever, uh, said yesterday that the deal is not a payoff, but rather an agreement because Cole has returned to a job he once loved. Not a payoff, but an agreement. Semantic obfuscation. For 70000 plus, adding a highly paid ring boy to the payroll, the man gets away cheap if it means the preservation of his multi-billion dollar TV and toy empire. Certainly, McMahon bought himself out of what was promised to be a devastating lawsuit. They are still facing an unfair termination suit filed by former announcer Murray Hodgson, who claims he was fired after rejecting AWS exec's sexual advances. Fuchsberg said that McMahon, in an effort to save WF, will make a full and sincere admission that the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Fuchsberg later in the day sends a letter saying he never said that. Um... I'm not sure how much I trust Fuchsberg, but I, I, I don't know what I make of that, though, because whatever you think of Phil Mushnick, and there are a lot of negative things that you can say about him that are actually absolutely true, I don't think he'd make that up. 
So, I don't know. What do you make of that? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know what to make of it. Let me see real quick if I can find exactly what he said about that. Uh, I, uh, I was misquote. Okay. Uh, at Okay, uh, okay. first at no time did Vince McMahon acknowledge having known of the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole, and I was misquoted by Mushnick as I did not say McMahon had offered to make an admission that the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't say what he said, though, that he says misquoted, but what could he have possibly said that could have been misquoted there? I have no idea. That's really weird. And to, and also it's made clear that the the $70,000 was basically supposed to be two years of back pay for if he had continued with the warehouse job that he had just started when he got fired. Not the ring boy stuff. This is, this is when he would have originally beco- first become an actual Titan employee. But anyway. <laughs> Fuxburg. Fuxburg. Uh, which, boy, I, I could tell you a lot of stories that Lee Coles told me about him, but I don't know if we have the time. I mean, man, it gets way cheap if it means the preservation of his multi-billionaire TV and toy empire. Certainly, McMahon bought himself out of what was promised to be a devastating lawsuit. WF still faces an unfair termination suit filed by former announcer Murray Hodgson, who claims he was fired after rejecting a of sexual advances, exact sexual advances. Fuxburg said that McMahon, uh, in an effort to say WF, will uh, make a full and sincere admission that since the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true, or that the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true. I already read this. Fuxburg said he saw the only final minutes of Don. Yeah, you, you doubled back further than you meant to. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. He didn't know that McMahon, his agreement, he didn't know that McMahon, his agreement with Cole was already done, had the chance to come clean about Cole's claims. But instead, use the Donahue show to continue to try to discredit all the people who have come forward to support Cole's story. Hmm. And speaking of which, from the Torch cover story. Tom Cole and his older brother were with Basil DeVito backstage at the Donahue show Monday afternoon. DeVito, a vice president, refused to comment. We reached by Torch Weekly at his home Monday night. Chris Los, the other former Marine boy, went public with allegations has isolated himself from further media exposure. And basically just never appears or says anything in this context ever again. Um, Mike Sawyer, who was friends with him and, you know, was doing his little leg drop newsletter at the time, um, has said that all of a sudden one day around this time, Chris Lewis had a very expensive new car. Funny how that worked out. Yeah. Make of that what you'd like. Um... You know, we still have a lot to get through because there's a lot in the Torch and the Observer, mainly the Observer. Um, But it'll probably go by quicker, at least. So as far as the Coles, the way that Tom and, to an extent, Lee, who was not in the... No, excuse me, he was, like, nearby, but he wasn't able to to see what was going on, and he was in the room because they kept him out of it. But based on what he's always said and what Tom had always said... Fuchsberg, whatever the hell was going on with him, kept taking breaks with the WWF lawyers and leaving Tom alone with the McMahons, or at least Vince, which 
I have no reason to doubt that story. And it sure makes you wonder what's going on with Felix Park, who was not the initial lawyer. The initial lawyer was Joseph Petura, who they just found in the Yellow Pages um, in uh, in Utica. And they always said they regretted going away from him because he was the one who took those statements. He really seemed to know what he was doing. But, you know, we'll get more, we'll talk about now it can be told next time. When Geraldo's producer got in touch with them and basically threatened to camp out on their lawn if they if Tom didn't agree to do an interview, um, she ended up pushing on him that he needed a big city lawyer. Her boyfriend worked for a firm that had conflicts, so it couldn't be him. They directed him towards Fuchsburg, and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, and the other thing though is that Tom said basically he blurted out that it you know it wasn't about money. He just wanted to go back to work for WWF, which you know he would say later was the stupidest thing he ever said. It was not something that had even really been on his mind going back to work there. But he loved wrestling and et cetera, and yeah. So look, we're gonna get a lot deeper into that as time goes on, especially once we get later in the spring and. Lee and Tom have their split, and Lee's going on all the radio shows. So we'll, we'll get to that then in part two or three or whatever. All right, back to Dave. That's how Vince McMahon spent day one as the new and improved sincere Vince McMahon. Donahue staffers and panelists, including Bruno Sammartino, Meltzer, and Hodgson. Why is Dave mentioning himself in that way? Uh, those who come forward to expose their from Donahue show were appalled to learn that one of the few people they had gone to bat for, Tom Cole, had not only been bought off by McMahon, but that the Dave had brought him to the show to flaunt him before the whistleblower's disbelieving eyes. Vintage McMahon. But the most disturbing about Monday's Donahue show was the look on me and the face of the adults in the audience. They looked amused by it all, as if they were watching a cartoon show and listening to the testimony of make-believe men. A story midget wrestlers being blackballed from the Dave because one of their own, the karate kid, refused the sexual advances of a Dave exec led chuckle to chuckles from the audience. But this story been about the Orioles, the Packers, or Green Bay, uh, uh, Green Bay Packers, or General Electric, no one would be laughing. It would only be the lead storm among every news entity in this land. A congressional hearing following a drop everything FBI investigation would ensue. While those accusers continue to surface on a virtual daily basis, this story must no longer be left to the media to expose. State and federal legislators must see it through. Federal law enforcement agencies must act. If the FBI can go after Howard Spira. That's a name from the past. It ain't going to the WF. But as long as the day's real-life horrors are considered a laughing matter, no one's laughing louder than Vincent Mann. Talking about the, the people in the audience. I mean, again, that's what, it's wrestling. It's not serious to people, man. You know? But again, even then, though, like I said earlier, like the... The fact that that woman could sit... It's one thing to go into it with that. It's one thing to even be part of the way through the episode with that. To go through an hour of that and then ask, but isn't wrestling fixed anyway? Is still a bit much. That... Look, Bix, wrestling fans are so deep inside the bubble that they can't understand that people that are not wrestling fans have... No, 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 I get that. But my point is, is that... The, my point is that woman who asked that question is not a serious person. You could say it... it 
you could apply that to anything else. You could apply that. I mean, even just saying that it's wrestling, it's just that's. There are other people who ask stupid questions. There was the how many? What's the percentage of the home of homosexuals in the wrestling business guy? But it's still nowhere near as stupid and egregious as the question that closes the show. But anyway, again, 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 it doesn't. I mean, it, 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 as people's perception of wrestling that are not wrestling fans. So I just realized I don't know how this happened. The reason you were confused is that at some point when I was putting this together, I maybe it was late, maybe it was getting lost in the weeds. I typed Dave instead of Phil. That was the continuation <laughs> and the end of Phil's column. So, well, there we go. And we weren't going to re-record that because we still got a lot to get through. But <sighs> look, by and large, he's in the right here. It's I don't understand why. He doesn't I – because, mean, again, the, the, the Phillips thing should have been the center of the article, and it's not. Um, that's – I mean, that's what really sticks with me here. And this article really, and not just the Hannibal Lecter thing, also becomes really the biggest sticking point in the whole thing as far as the lawsuit, probably more than any other article. So I I don't think there's that much you can take to task with it, though, right? Once you get past the Hannibal Lecter thing, you know – now, that's the thing that sticks out, but that's uh, that's at the, at the beginning of the column. So you read that, and you're like, "Well, it's also not know. defamation, though. It's you know, it's it's some there's, you know, there's other things, but it's also rhetoric. Phil Mushnick too. It's also Phil Mushnick. That's his too, style, who, and everybody and people knew that at the time, and that's why he's seen as more of entertainment. Yes, he's a columnist. Yeah, I mean you know, that's seen the thing as too. Entertainment. Very, there, there's like only one story, one or two stories here. And I, I think, oh, I forget if it's the one the day after the Savage column comes out or the one where they're, the first one where they talk about the potential lawsuit before it. There is one that is run as news where him and Mike Shane are given the Cobine line, but everything else is in Mushnick's column. And so that's the thing. If it had been run by the normal, uh, news writers or whatever and not by him as a columnist it gets more traction yes now this one's a little different because it was front page of the sports section but but still it's a column yes and it's phil mushnick yes <laughs> if it had been done by one of the main sports writers then i tell you it's, it's treated differently yes now all of that said chris Said they should have a drop-dead federal investigation. What do you see here that I included that uh, we have from the next day? Federal investigator Anthony Valenti of the U.S. Attorney for the District, uh, Eastern District of New York left a message for Mushnick. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.